again, friends, and welcome back for another 605 Holiday Star Wars, this one being Labor Day Star Wars, not Memorial Day. For those of you who get the two holidays confused, some people do, uh, but we are here for Labor Day Star Wars, and you know what that means. Minimal editing, lots of different guests from the show on at the same time, usually a lot of talking over one another, but we're going to start off right now with a very popular man on the Super Podcast, Howard Baum. Howard, welcome back to the show. Hey, hey, hey. What an honor. What an honor, Brian. I appreciate being put in the top spot, the Ric Flair Royal Rumble spot right at the top of the show, which means one of two things. Either you really believe in me or Scott and Bix aren't home yet. But <laughs> No, I actually chose you to start off. I think it would be fun, but you did a hey, hey, hey. I have to say, I just brought up on the Jim Cornette show. I said that I thought What's Happening was one of the great instrumental theme songs, and he thought I was nuts. Oh, wow. Well, what else was Rerun going to dance to, if you think about it? I mean, what would have fit? He didn't really dance to that song. He ran after a Jeep to that song. Well, he was poetry in motion. With, with <laughs> him just moving, I mean, it was like a interpretive dance. Did you ever watch any of those old Soul Clean, uh, Soul Clean, Soul Train clips of him doing the Soul Train line? Like, he does slow motion, and he does all of his different moves? Yeah, he used to be on the Gong Show, too, right? Yeah, I think he was actually a member of the Lockers. Remember the Lockers? That's right. That's right. That's really going back. That's really going back. I, they, I think they, either they or another dance team invented the moonwalk and then Michael Jackson stole it from them. But the lockers had like, you know, a bunch of different dancers who had a uh, renown from Soul Train, but also Tony Basil, I believe was a member for a while. And of course, she's had a pretty bizarre career that, I mean, I mean, in a good way, that's been going <laughs> on for like 50 years. Like she was an easy rider and then she had Hey Mickey and then oh, she really? was in the lockers. Yeah. I mean, just a really interesting wild career and then she choreographed all sorts of different shit so yeah that was her main thrust the uh choreography the main thrust absolutely yeah. <laughs> absolutely i like the new i like the rebranding by the way the entire um 70s pop and lock and uh pop music uh i'm glad you decided to ditch the wrestling because i That's think right. this is a much richer vein that we can explore well we'll be right back after and this with hr puffin stuff and more here on the show. <laughs> sponsored by bill Bob Cottle. Why do I always call him Bob? Was it Bob or Bill? Bob Cottle. Bill Cottle. I'll tell you. you or <laughs> or Chili Bill Caudill from Pittsburgh for all you uh, <laughs> Pittsburghers. That's right. That's and right. by the way, once again, thank you for scheduling the show, the taping tonight around my busy sports viewing weekend, of course. I have a very busy weekend planned. Tomorrow I'm going to my local. All my teams are playing. And I plan on drinking a Bud Light and screaming at the screen for a moron like six or seven hours. <laughs> Who are your teams? <laughs> well, I've got big money on the Cincinnati douche nozzles. <laughs> of course, they're taking on. <laughs> of course, they're taking on the Detroit scum suckers, and uh, that's the big one. That's where I got the big money on. So, fingers crossed, folks. I can't afford the vig. I'll tell you, I really screwed myself. I scheduled this recording of Star Wars today. I am probably more tired today than I've been at any point in the last, like, month and a half or so. I'll carry you. Oh, thank I'll you very much. I'll carry you. I'm, I'm full of uh, piss and vinegar today, so. I've, I've got a fresh coffee right here in my hand, and it's uh, helping out. It's really <laughs> doing the job. I've got a fresh Jack and Coke, so hey, together, Jack. let's make some magic. You ever do vodka, or you're a Jack and Coke guy? Vodka turns me into a maniac. Oh, you got to do more vodka. <laughs> yeah. Vodka's <laughs> not recommended. Vodka's not recommended unless you have bail money. Jack and Coke get you to chill? Yeah, that's it. I could drink a bottle of Jack and I'm good. That's my elixir. Hey, Howard, I was thinking about something earlier. You're, you're kind of the perfect person to talk to about this because 
you'll be able to weigh it even if you dismiss it or put it down. But I had a thought earlier. Right. And I'm not saying this is like the reality of it, but I just had a thought. If you're going to argue a point, and then I started thinking about it, I said, like, well, there really is an argument. Is there an argument that Dusty Rhodes was never a good booker at all? You know, I think his very presence overshadowed his booking because I never looked at him as a booker. I mean, okay, if you want to take his Florida run, which I was ringside literally up close for, four feet away from him every week. So this is 83. For years. Well, yeah, 82, when did he 80, start booking? 80, 80, I don't know, but I mean, every one of his matches was exactly the same. So if he had creative control, then I would say that either he was not a great booker or he knew exactly what worked and just replicated the formula every week of his night, every week of his life. Because every Dusty Rhodes match, as you know, much like a Bruno match is, is he gets jumped before the bell or the heel <laughs> takes advantage. Then he bleeds. Then he does the thing where his arm goes down for the two, but not the three. Then he comes back. Then he rallies. Then he gets fucked. Then he either loses or he wins by throwing J.J. Dillon into somebody and then see you next week. And that was, that was every opponent since 1976 <laughs> through uh, 84. That was, that was the formula for every match, but it worked. You knew you were going to get your blood shot, and um, either at the end, if the guy's leaving town, he wins, and if the guy's not leaving town, he gets fucked, and uh, see you next week in a bull rope match. So as far as being a booker, I don't know. I mean, the knock on him is that he was selfish, and he put himself above everybody, but who was a bigger star than Dusty? They like Barry Windham down here, but Dusty was a bigger star than Barry Windham. Let's look past Dusty, then. What about the rest of the card while Dusty was booking? Mm-hmm. I think he knew good talent, and um, all during the early 80s, well, ever since the 70s, Florida had good talent from opening match till, you know, till the main event. So I don't know if that's a carryover from Eddie Graham, who, of course, was there the entire time, who stocked the roster with good talent. But, you know, there were some missteps, but I think for the most part, what he did, and I could speak more to what he did in Florida, like everyone knocks him for his NWA work and all that, but... Speaking for Florida, it certainly worked because we had 5,000 filled seats every night for 10 years straight that I saw. But 83 specifically, because that's when he had control. What are your thoughts on 83? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, Sullivan and his army were really over, and that was a good foe for him. He's never a big fan of um, Angelo Mosca. Joe LaDuke was a little watered down at that period. Of course, they brought in Angelo Mosca Jr. I forgot he was in there, too. Yeah, I thought he had a great future. I don't know whatever happened to him. When you talk about the greats (laughs) that really never got their chance to shine, I think he was really gypped out of it. You got your Tommy Rich and you got your Angelo Mosca for really big stars that we never got to see shine like they could have. No, but he was the drizzling shits. He was absolutely the worst worker I've ever seen. Ever. Bar none. I've thought about it. I've literally thought about it, especially with his pedigree. He was supposedly an athlete. His dad was in the business. <laughs> well, you know, he just... had to have been the worst. That expression on his face. He looked like he looked like Joe Piscopo trying to go in and work a match. <laughs> well, Mike Von Erich <laughs> had very similar things said about him. He was an athlete. His dad, obviously, a longtime wrestler. I recently watched some. Uh, I think it was Mike Von Erich was Rip Oliver at Texas Stadium, '85. Yeah. And it was just, it was cringeworthy. I felt bad for the kid. Like, it was just yeah, so totally. bad. That's true. That's true. Because Mike Von Erich is the one wrestler who I literally felt bad for. Until you find out that his brothers hooked him up with uh, 
coke and whores, so <laughs> can't feel that bad for him. You never felt <laughs> can't bad, feel that for, bad for the kid. At least never, he had some fun during his brief life, right? You never felt bad for Mosca Jr. Ah, uh, he he did he didn't deserve you know he he couldn't have carried my bags into the building. How did WWF luck out? Because Mid Atlantic got Mosca and Mosca Jr. Florida got Mosca <laughs> and Mosca Jr. WWF got Mosca. That's it. I think I think you know the word had spread by then. They <laughs> might have uh, they might have done some tape trading with John McAdam or something and said, "Uh, uh-uh, we're not bringing him in this time." But I think Mosca was in there before Florida and North yeah, he Carolina. Was. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think yeah I don't think Mosca went back. I think he was kind of done after Florida, like eighty four ish. 83, 84. Yeah, he still did some but stuff I mean, in Canada. From to- but... I mean, from, from top to bottom in 83, we had Brad Armstrong, who I um, made mention of on the internet, that he was one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the business or out of the business, and one of the best workers could have a match with anybody, but he was un-get-overable. He, he did not have the it factor. He had the not factor. And I don't like to say that, because he was a great guy, but... Uh, he was ungetoverable, and we had him. So you know, he was in the first three or four matches. Magnum TA was coming up; those two were tag champions, Magnum and Brad. And I always thought Magnum was very one-dimensional too as a worker. You never saw him, you know, do a series of holds. You never saw him do mat wrestling. I think he was at his zenith when he was working with maybe Nikita or Tully during their gimmick matches, but everyone in, in forgets Florida, about I always found him. Everyone forgets about Mid-South. I just talked to John McAdam and Sean Goodwin after they were done recording, because they talked about this exact topic, about Magnum, and I said, everyone hmm. forgets about Mid-South. Everyone forgets how good he was for that year in Mid-South in 84. Was he? Oh, he was, was that great. Was before Florida? I, oh, yeah. That, that was, was after Florida. Florida. So was he probably after got, Florida. Yeah, so he yeah. probably got a little seasoning, and he was in there with some good workers, apparently. He was working with two and stuff. I saw the funniest thing, which is true. Somebody said that uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 looks like a grandfather that put their underwear on and went to work a match. <laughs> That's what he always reminded me of. He sounded like it, too. He sounded like an old angry grandfather. Yeah. You ever see him without his mask? He looked like he was like 75 when he was like 30. <laughs> he had he, he, he suffered from Dory Funk disease. Dory Funk. I mean, yeah, he looks exactly the same almost as he did 60 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Slow as molasses and... Uh, I found him to be the most unexciting guy, too. I mean, I know that's been done to death. He's He was an early sacred cow, but um, for all the legends about him, I mean, I've literally never seen him do anything exciting in my entire career watching wrestling. Now, you did not get to see the Briscoe matches, right? Because that was in Florida before you were there and you were watching. Well, I saw him work Briscoe, but not the famous 70s matches, and... um a funny story, which um, I'm kind of saving because I'm going to be on the Booker and Barry show uh, talking about the greatest matches in Miami wrestling history. And much to my chagrin, um, I missed the Terry Funk beating Jack Briscoe for the title match in 75. And um, it wasn't for lack of trying. It was the one match that I ever sent my down, my dad down to get tickets for that we couldn't get tickets for because I was like a um, prima donna back then and I could only sit in the first three to five rows. Like the first two rows were not going to happen at that point because we didn't have any connections. <laughs> I was like nine years old, but I read the magazines and every time there was a great, great card, Superstar Graham, Terry Funk, when they loaded it up with names that I knew, I'm like, Dad, you got to go down there. So every Tuesday, 
was when the tickets would go on sale at the Miami Beach Convention Center box office. And um, that's the only time my dad came back and said I couldn't get tickets. And I thought it was going to be another Jack Briscoe Dory Funk classic because I had done my due diligence reading the magazines for the past couple of years. And I remember that famous magazine cover with Jack doing the, the leg breaker or the knee breaker on Dory. And it said the greatest match in 30 years. So I'm like, okay, it's Jack and Dory. I'm going to go. Then it ended up being the Terry Funk title change. And I've regretted that for the next 40 years of missing that. I know that's one of Barry Rose's great accomplishments that he was actually there for that. But it's like I there are a lot of heel fans it. too. If you watch the video of it, there's people celebrating when Terry wins. Young that guys. Got a big, yeah. yeah. I was surprised in retrospect at the pop that got, because I was I was like a kid. I was just like in awe when I was in the convention hall. Like I, it, there was just so much going on. If you're a kid, there was so much action going on between the smoke and the fans and the action and the noise and everything. But looking back on it, seeing the tape as an adult, like it got a huge pop when he won. So that's my biggest regret of my entire career as a fan. That's the actually. There's two things. That's the first one. The second one is what in 1980, my dad had to go in for surgery and he was in the hospital and they were like very protective of me. And I wasn't one of those kids that was going to get into the Camaro and go down with the dude down the street and go to the convention hall. They weren't going to trust little Howard with any of that. Convention so convention hall, not the confessional. <laughs> but, <laughs> I didn't say but, confessional. You know, God forbid. I said convention <laughs> hall. You heard confessional? <laughs> well, maybe I have a guilty conscience, yeah. but it was going to be – I don't remember the rest of the card, but it was Bob Backlund against Don Morocco in a rare Florida WWF title defense oh, yeah, 1980. The, yeah. So I'm 14, and I'm like, oh, I am going to that. And my dad was in the hospital who usually took me, and I'm like, oh, my friend, we're going to go with this dude from down the street. And they're like, no, you're not. And not only are you not, but it's a Jewish holiday, so you're definitely not. I'm like, okay, that's it. And that's what really tore it with Judaism and religion for me. I said, because if Judaism is so great, it wouldn't be stopping me from seeing Don fucking Morocco against Bob Backlund in his only Florida appearance. So I made a vow. I said, I am never going to miss anything good again due to religion. And I didn't. Have you kept that vow? I almost missed, I almost missed my own bar mitzvah, for God's sakes. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I was, you know, I'm not a fan of the whole thing. I could have done without it. I was counting on a big payday, and it wasn't even that glorious. So, um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you because uh... <laughs> I didn't know a lot of people. I didn't know we didn't have like one of those big Godfather bar mitzvahs. It was just a pretty low key affair. I'm like, that's it for the, for all that work. Well, I'll tell you what. On this blasphemous note, let me uh, add another person here to the call. Hold on one second. It should be dialing him now, I believe. We'll see if he picks up. Hello there. Hello, Lucia. Are you a lesbian? <laughs> Would you like to go to bed with women? McCall. I've been listening to this <laughs> so, <laughs> so many times since we've recorded that segment. And I found actual footage of the show that we saw. I know, me too. Me too. Unbelievable. Here, this is, the, <laughs> this is the best part that we didn't play on the show. Go a lesbian for two months? Damn. I don't know. Is she a man or woman? She must be a... Uh, Hello, Phil. Are you a lesbian? Do you like to go to bed with women? You are? You do? You what? You got to with my sister. Why you lesbian? You damn freak. You, you, you. She hung up on 
<laughs> you, you, you. <laughs> he does. He does remember that line on stage. You, you, you. <laughs> the whole plot of the song is so bizarre, and it gets funnier when you realize it probably really happened to him in real life, and he went home and said, "I got to write a song about this." And yeah. It's he was dating Lucille, I guess, and then it turns out she was a lesbian, which it sounds like from the way he describes her, he should have known. But then it also turns out she's dating his sister, and his sister is a lesbian. Is that it? Or is his sister a lesbian separately than Lucille? <laughs> I think uh, I, think See, I didn't I didn't even know that Rufus R. Jones cut an album, so I'm really <laughs> gobsmacked by all this. Let me see here's, I, the, here's the big I ending. Have Rufus R. Jones single. What? <laughs> He had at least two two forty five RPM singles. The wrestler, get out, Star Jones, absolutely get out. Where Mid Atlantic or somewhere else? <laughs> Where would he do this? Where did he put out? I don't. Singles? I don't know. But they're on Rufus R Jones Records. I've shown you this thing before. <laughs> Have you? How did I forget this? <laughs> Completely crazy. And as a singer, he's not as good a singer as he is a wrestler. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say as a talker. Right. <laughs> is she a woman? And we men know how that's done. I don't wanna see or hear a lesbian. Cause my stuff is a lesbian. The ending. <laughs> that's how yeah. the song ends. Because my sister is a lesbian. Abrupt. Abrupt. <laughs> no time for no time for the fade out. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to write the song. They didn't quit it. It's another thing to somehow get into the studio, record it, and think you're going to do something with it. <laughs> and yet, here we, and yet, you here know what we I, were talking about it. You know what I love that I just re, I, that I just rewatched was when Jerry Lawler, before Jimmy Hart even got into the business, and Jerry Lawler came to cut his single with Lance at the at the Memphis uh, recording studio. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> good i'm that, glad you uh could add to that story <laughs> nobody showed up and he's like he's like lawler's like all cocky and he's with lance and everything and he's like these are the guys this is the world famous gentry's and jimmy hart is like standing there and he's not famous yet and uh <laughs> lawler's like why don't you introduce the guys and he's like well of course jerry this is uh brad wilkins of course on guitar it's just hilarious because he's, he's not jimmy hart he's not jimmy hart yet uh <laughs> And then they do Jerry Lawler, He's the King. That's the worst Which song. was kind of catchy, I have yeah, to say. Of all you. his singles, I think that was like the best one. One, one of my <laughs> arguments I've made on the show before is that Jimmy Hart actually doesn't write good songs. But anyway, Scott, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, that's okay. But I, I read somewhere not too long ago that uh, you know, Lawler knew a lot of people that were <laughs> around Memphis and some people that were involved in the recording industry and stuff. Somebody said it never surfaced uh, to this point but that there's actual recordings with Lawler singing uh, either, I think, produced or, uh, or at least uh, guitar on it by uh, Alex Chilton. Alex Chilton, I should say. A big star. A big star and uh, the box tops. The box yeah. tops, yeah. The letter, of course. Great song. Hmm. Get out of here. I've never heard that before. I mean, obviously a Memphis institution <laughs> in one way or another. Uh, or in an institution at times, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I didn't know that Alex Chilton played with Lawler, and that's something Jimmy Hart set up, or that's separate from Jimmy Hart. I don't know anything about Jimmy Hart. I just think that there was some recording session somewhere, so I've heard where Lawler and uh, Chilton are in the studio together, which is fascinating to to uh, to imagine, but not impossible. 
Uh, <laughs> Chilton was involved in all kinds of crazy stuff over the years. If I met Jimmy Hart, I don't hmm. think I would ask him a single wrestling question. I would actually ask him about Alex Chilton. I would ask him about stacks. I would just want to talk about the Memphis music scene. I would not want to hear one thing he said about the wrestling industry. I just want to hear. What yeah, I wonder about. if he hung around stacks and all that. I, I wonder he, if he actually knew those people. I mean, well, the thing is, I think he hung around studios, which I think is the most important yeah. part. So it ends up being who's using the studio. Right. You know, yeah, Stax yeah. was cool. I love that. St- a lot of people like Motown. I'm a Stax man. Albert King. I'll take them over Booker T and the MGs. No, any no, day. Booker They're... T and the MGs are Stax. They are Stax. That's right. No, no, no. What am I thinking of then? The Muscle Shoals people. Whoever backed up, whoever backed up Albert King on "I'll Play the Blues for You." That band and Isaac Hayes's band, as opposed to, um, they were funkier. They were more hard hitting than. Um, I might have something mixed yeah, up. Yeah, you but put down Booker I'm T one more sure. time. You may have no, 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 lose. but look it up. Seriously, whoever backed up um, Albert King and the Muscle Shoals sessions, that was different than Booker T and the MGs, who were the yeah. – maybe they were the yeah. Stax guys. I they don't were. Know if a... Booker T and the MGs, obviously, they had Green Onions, and they had some amazing albums. Some some of my favorite things in my vinyl collection are I have all the original Booker T and the MG albums, which are uh, just fantastic. But they were also the backing band for Otis Redding, for Sam and Dave – for uh, uh, every cool. single stacks uh, act you can name, Booker T and the MGs were the backing band. So all those classic tracks, that's them. Yeah, that's not what I'm thinking of at all. I'm going to grab my CD right now because ah. the people will know what I'm talking about. The Albert King stuff. So you're, saying somebody, you're saying there's somebody better than them. I don't really care for that. I don't like Motown. I find it. What's well, um, not Motown though? Is there anything about Motown? I, all right, I'm going to dig out my Albert King right here, <laughs> and um, we'll get right to the bottom of this. Funk. I just like that Jimmy Hart became, by virtue of the fact that he was in a recording studio when he was in his teens, and he wasn't the lead singer of the Gentries, he certainly had been in a recording studio. So from that point forward, anytime anything musically had to be done, up, into, up, up to and including his time in the WWF, uh, he was the go-to guy. He was Mr. <laughs> Studio, Jimmy Hart. I remember when I first saw clips of the Gentries, and I was surprised because I had heard so much about them, and I thought he would have been the lead singer. And then I realized, oh, he's just standing there clapping and like doing backing <laughs> yeah. vocals. You know what yeah. he is? He's the Steve Allen of uh, wrestling songwriters. <laughs> he's <laughs> prolific. He's, pro- he's prolific, but terrible. That is he, or, or the or the Irving Cohen, you know, like da 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 yeah. DDD, whatever the hell else you want. Here comes Brutus Beefcake. That's another one, baby. Cut it. <laughs> no, do you know who I was thinking about? You guys are going to feel so silly now. The Barkays. The Barkays are oh. awesome too. So are the Marques. Oh, very awesome. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, I one, way prefer one, the I way prefer the, the Barkays to. Scott, do you know which one died in the plane crash with Otis Redding? Was it the Marques? Or may, they may have been the bar case, um, but a couple of them died. And there's a there's a couple of them still alive, uh, maybe one who's still alive that survived the plane crash. Bar case are a lot funkier and groovier to me. They backed Isaac Hayes and um, Then why not just Albert say the King. JBs? Then why not just go right to the JBs? Why not <laughs> JBs version two or, <laughs> you know, something? Well, that would be preferable. I find them. I find um, the um, Booker T and the MGs to be really um, like white meat, like very cut and dry. You know, they didn't seem as funky to me. 
You know, there was a, there's a bar I love in Brooklyn called Freddy's uh, on Fifth Avenue, I believe, down in uh, South Slope. And uh, I don't know if they still do it because they haven't gone in a little while. But every Friday or every other Friday, uh, they always have free shows in the back room. It could be comedy. It could be spoken word. It could be some sort of weird play. It could usually be music, but it's always free. It's the best bar in the world. And they would have Fred Thomas every other Friday. Fred Thomas was a member of the JBs. So he was a wow. bass, bass player. So it was Fred Thomas with this band. And you wouldn't think much of him. Some white guy with dreadlocks on guitar, some Asian woman on saxophone, some like drummer that looks like he just woke up. And they were fantastic. And they would play everything. They would play Tighten Up. They would play all these amazing old soul and funk hits. And I used to go all the time. That was, I'd like to go back. That was great. We used to have a lot of good um, blues and funk acts that came down to South Florida, and then that all that all petered out. It kind of it's kind of like the Cauliflower Alley Club because there's nobody good left to come down. But we used to go see Coco. We used to go see Coco Taylor, Gatemouth Brown. We used to have clubs down here like the Bamboo Room in West Palm and Tobacco Road in Miami. Tobacco Road used to be a famous, famous blues club that all the people would come down to, all the big names. And you'd see these posters on the wall, Albert King, Albert Collins. And then by the time I was going in the 80s, um, it was, you know, it started to peter out. Mm. And then eventually every big act stopped coming down to South Florida. Like, we don't even get any good acts today. I'm going to add someone while you guys talk. Let me add him now. He's <laughs> I, see I, killed the, I see I killed the show once again. No, well, he's, he's, he messaged that he's ready, and I don't want him to wait too long if he's actually okay. waiting on standby. So uh, let me... He might, have some, he might have some insight into this uh, Booker T versus the bar case. <laughs> let's see, let's let's see what he knows. People. Hold on. Let's, wanna... ha- let's have a bet right now. How much of this stuff will Bix know? Will Bix know... Hmm. You never know. Bix what? is an enigma. I, I know. So let's take let's make some bets right now. Do you think Bix will know that Booker T and the MGs were the Stacks house band? Yes. Howard? That's pretty common knowledge. He's an educated man. Okay. You thought they were Motown five minutes ago, but pretty will, Yeah, but will he know? I'm a little fatuist. You know, being on the air is a very heady experience, but um, see if he knows who Albert King's backing band was at Muscle Shoals. That's the real question. And it's Stacks. If he if he knows that that will be super impressive, but uh, that's pretty deep because I knew it and I forgot it. So. Let me let me add him uh, now. Hold on, <laughs> Howard. Did you ever get to see Wayne Cochran? Um, he used to play all the time at a place called the Newport Pub, and Barry Rose will pop for this. And I was too young. I used to just go uh, to the restaurant, which was next to the place, but I always saw the photo of him like appearing weekly. Wayne Cochran with his giant pompadour. And just as a kid, I was 10 years old. I'm like, that looks cool. Yeah. And you would go down this spiral staircase, and that would be the performance room. But I was with my parents, and we just went to go eat some beef flunkin' at the pub. Only <laughs> I've, that, that routine was only for the purposes of Barry Rose, because we used to live in the same building on the same street, and only he would know what I'm talking about. But all you Miami people are probably uh, popping right now. Hold on, hold on. Do you hear that? <laughs> the Bix alarm has gone that off. That could only mean... Bix, that can only mean one thing. Bix, did you hear the experience this week? Yes, I did. <laughs> I say, I think you did better than him, but Bix, we have a little bet going, and you're going to answer yes. the bet for us right now. Does it involve that? No. Who was the okay. house band for Stax Records? Tax Records had a ha- – oh, the, as in like the, the studio musicians? As in the band that played on the majority gonna of the know. hits. He, he's going to know. And also toured with the acts. Um, 
I feel like the only like studio band that I know the name of is the Wrecking Crew, and I know that's not them, no, so I don't know. No, no. All right, Booker T and the MG. I didn't. I wasn't guessing them. I was saying I know it's not them. I know, no, no. <laughs> I'm saying when I was saying no, I was saying it to Scott and Howard. I wasn't really okay. saying it to you because they both. You thought, know, I was. They both thought you would get it. By the way. I was so ready to say that this was going to be the best and most star-studded wrestling podcast of Labor Day weekend 2018, and now I'm not anymore. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> just fine. <laughs> Hold on. I we're, a virtual who's th- we're a virtual who's that of the podcasting world. Is it pharmaceutical or off the street? There you go. That's maybe the best Austin Idol line there is. Vix, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> Doing all right. Uh, we're having a good old time over here. We've talked about... A little wrestling, a lot of music, seemingly. Bix is a concert goer. Bix likes to go to concerts. Yes. I'm seeing the the in a few weeks. Yeah, you told yep. me that. I didn't even know he was doing anything. I hadn't heard about Matt Johnson in years. Well, he, he had been doing like a little bit of touring in Europe, I think going back to early last year. And I kept hoping, I really hope he comes to the States. I really hope he comes to the States. And then finally they announced, not sure where else he's doing besides New York, but... He has two dates in mid-September, one at Brooklyn Steel, one at, uh, why am I forgetting the name of the place all of a sudden? The place in, like, uh, near, by, like, oh, what is it, like, in the 60s? In the 60s? Beacon, Beacon. Oh, the Beacon, on the east side, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I thought you meant the Fillmore East, that was big in the 60s. Fillmore East wasn't in the 60s, though. Oh, it was big in the 60s. See, I'm so stupid, I'm actually thinking of the fucking street map. <laughs> he, he, he's joking. That's I know, I know, and I'm thinking of the you. fucking... Uh fucking layout of new york city i'm like the 60s it was in the east village which by the way sucks now barry rose posted a picture before yes. the second avenue deli and what it is now the chase back i mean it's been closed like 12 years or whatever now but boy the east village is great and now it's Ugh. it's it's painful what they've done it's it's sad Vix, did you ever get to experience I used, like- I used to stay i had a friend like on first and fourth right on the cutoff between the bowery and alphabet city and it was perfect location. I could walk to the West Village. I would go to the Cafe Wa and the Lions Pub right there. Wow. Record stores and everything. And like um last time I went up there it was just just uh dead. Done. It's you gotta watch gone. the deuce now for that excitement. Yeah, I gotta start watching that. Everyone I know really likes it. So. OMG, you gotta watch the fucking deuce. Everybody, watch See, I hate the deuce. James I put Franco. it off, and I—that's what has me too. Me but he—he he rules in this. Oh my god, he plays a dual role, and it's great—the greatest dual role since Patty Duke. I swear to God. <laughs> well, no, but seriously, hold on, now I have to think about no, who else has got a dual role. Uh, let's. No, but serious, and of course, uh, Bewitched. You had the evil uh, Samantha. Andy Kaufman once did Andy Kaufman talking to like evil Jacka, <laughs> I think. That's right. Soundstage. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> no, but listen, dude, the Deuce. Oh, it's so good. I'm not an easy fan, and it's good. I don't know. The Deuce is one of those shows that like I'll find myself watching it, but I don't actually think it's good. So you hate watch it? <laughs> not exactly. It's not Seventh Heaven. <laughs> Wait, what? You, you hate watch Seventh, well. he- Seventh Heaven? I you I did when it was on. Is that the one with with um the child molester? Yes. I was gonna say, is it um Jessica Biel? Yes. She's not the child uh, molester. No, 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 Stephen Collins. Stephen Collins. He's the actor. I I never watched that show. I only saw the commercials. Yes. Alf, oh, that show, that Alf show was a, amazing. Alf had a chomo on it too. Wait, what? Alf? One of the guys on one of the guys on Alf was a chomo child molester to those non prison people. Wow, I, I I never heard about that. What the dad? Yeah, 
Yeah, how many people were there? On I think that? so. The guy that wore the glasses, like the really wimpy looking dad. dad. Guy who played Willie the... Tanner? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Are you Hold sure? And if not, Bix is out of the case. Don't sue me. No, no but I think it's true. I think it's true. I remember here. And also Jeffrey, what's his name from the Ferris Bueller movie? Jeffrey. Um... I knew that one. Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows him from Ferris Bueller. No one ever says the guy from Amadeus. <laughs> poor, poor guy he's in one of the great films of all time and everyone mentions him as the fumbling principal on ferris bueller he was in ed wood another classic mix are you looking up this information i'm not sure if he is, okay wait wait max that right. could be your next expose man sitcom dads of the uh of the 80s of the molestation world yeah. <laughs> okay this is from three years ago from radar of course exclusive Former ALF star Max Wright, quote, an outcast, after gay porn and crack-smoking past exposed, see the photos 25 years later. Wait, wait, hold on. So 25 years? I, do year- I don't think he's a child molester. <laughs> um, hold on. There's videos and photos of him 25 years ago smoking crack? Yes. And 25 years later, they just emerged and it actually hurt his career? No, I remember him at the time. I mean, he, he oh. I, it was, this was probably during the, the latter years of ALF or just after it. Were yeah, there he, years? What's that? Were there years? Was ALF a multiple year show? I seem to yes. remember being. See, I remember being. Yeah, ALF was big. See, I remember being gone quickly. Yes. I guess I'm wrong. ALF was a huge crackhead, too. I don't, you know, <laughs> it's not well known. I heard the new reboot is awful. I haven't seen it. Wait, what? This is surprising. <laughs> We're so completely out of ideas that there actually is an out. <laughs> I saw that in the Google results. I didn't realize it had actually started airing or anything. Yeah, I'm hearing nothing but bad reviews. Does that, does <laughs> I hear there's going to be a reboot. There's going to be a reboot of 227 with uh, all white people. <laughs> does the dad on Alf smoke crack on the new Alf? Okay, so for for the record, maybe there was no molestation. Wait, yeah, wait, Scott, what are you talking about? The articles, the 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 articles are from like four weeks ago, and that it's in development, and that's when it first came out. Wait, hold on. About Alf, the Alf guy. I heard about that a long time ago. No, about about the reboot. Oh, the reboot news only got out when the news of the crack got out. No, (laughs) the hell's going on? Third base. You have a show right now. There's a half a million people out there saying, "When are they going to start talking about wrestling?" Hello, Lucia. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about wrestling. Uh, Howard and I had a conversation briefly before the show. I'm not saying I agree with this, but I was thinking about it before. I was thinking about different things that are conversation points, and then I started really thinking about it, and I started saying, "Wow, I could see how someone could argue this." So I'm going to ask you both this and uh, play with it if you want. But is there a chance that Dusty Rhodes was never a good booker at all? No. Scott? No, that can't be. Are those bongos I hear? So what the hell's that other noise? Don't wait, it sounds like someone's like just fighting. playing glasses. I was I was just tapping on my Jack and Coke glass until I was uh until it was my turn to speak. But I, I thought it was I a roller show part, all of a sudden. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty catchy, you gotta admit. I'm looking for an indie contact contract. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I think he was adequate. I, no, I think he was adequate because he took the, the Eddie Graham template 
and just transferred it. Like the first match is long and boring. The second match is kind of the same. And then you turn up the heat a little bit from there. Second to main will be some good technical workers. And the main will be a big juice fest with Dusty in some kind of a gimmick match. And that was the template for, for like 10 years in Florida. So I think if anything, um, it was kind of a Florida template that Eddie Graham just kind of invented and then Bill Watts and Dusty took and grew from there. But that was kind of the template for any card um, in the olden days, you know? How many times was the Dusty finish actually done in Florida during the Eddie Graham years? Obviously, we call it the Dusty finish because he overused it over and over and over again in a very brief period of time. You know what? Eddie Graham gets credit for inventing it. How often did it actually happen in the territory? It happened every fucking time he he wrestled for the title. It was a disappointment every time. And even as a kid, I said, there's never going to be a title change. You left the building every time. It would be like Dusty would have Harley Race beat, and then some crazy thing would happen, and then Harley Race would leave with the belt. Or the actual finish where you think it was it was that he won the belt, uh, yeah. that really didn't happen, except except the night of the rider when he was under the mask as the Midnight Rider against Flair, and he left with the belt. But that made sense then in the, the night of the mask because of the whole mask gimmick. You could justify it. Mm-hmm. And they had done stuff yeah, before but, in I the mean, NWA that was similar, like, Fritz starting to use his real name on TV because he's trying to go for the NWA title. Um, didn't Tim Woods unmask at one point to prepare to go for the NWA title too? Like I've always that been confused. Made sense. I've always been confused how many, how often, and where Tim Woods was Mister Wrestling that it was supposed to be hidden that he was also Tim Woods. Yeah, I heard you guys. Dis- I heard you guys discussing that, and I thought the same thing as a kid. Like everyone has seen his face, and now he's back as Mister Wrestling One. I thought that was odd. Yeah, because like even when they had the bullshit Mr. Wrestling in Memphis that wasn't him, they still said Mr. Wrestling and then like in parentheses Tim Woods, and then it was just some other guy. <laughs> in the mask. It was another well, guy the, pretending the to be Tim one was Woods. A, it was Dick Steinborn, right? <laughs> was I see? I wasn't sure if Dick Steinborn was that or the fake Mr. Wrestling too. If there was a, I guess that was Dick Steinborn. Yeah, Dick Steinborn was the fake Mr. Wrestling because Dick Steinborn had a reputation he can copy any other wrestler, any of their uh, mannerisms in the ring, right? He did. You never heard that? He had a reputation that he could mimic the mannerisms of other wrestlers. So it would make sense to take someone like that and put him in a mask gimmick, although I don't know how often the people in Memphis, they wouldn't know what Mr. Wrestling was wrestling like. They wouldn't know his style or anything. They just know what they see in the magazines. Mm. Well, he well he had already been on cable by that point, though. Hadn't he? Uh, that was in... I don't know if they had cable in Mem- uh, TBS wrestling in Memphis and... Before I got to ask Scott Bowden, actually, I don't know what year they would have started getting it. He was like the tofu of professional wrestling. He could absorb the personality of any worker. (laughs) Hold on. Sorry, guys. I'm getting a message over here. I'm just trying to manage. Does tofu steal wrestlers wallets, too? Is that a true story? (laughs) Apparently. Is that is that true about? uh... That's why he got fired in Texas. Dick Steinberg. Either. Yeah, either he stole, was stealing everyone's wallets or everyone believed he was stealing the wallets. Now, you're thinking of Max Wright. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, I, I, heard that, <laughs> I heard that, though, uh, recently, not too long ago, and I had never heard that, that he had a reputation actually throughout wrestling, someone told me, of, like, don't leave your stuff in the locker room around him. And I had never heard that before, and I just recently heard that. And you're saying that's what you had heard, too? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's been, I know, I mean, Grand Assault, it's in Gary Hart's book, among others, but I think, I feel like I've heard that story elsewhere, too. 
just I just don't remember. Where. Yeah, I just heard yeah. it recently. Um, but uh, hey, on the topic of books, bitch, you get Death of the Territories yet? I have it. I have not read it yet. Just in part because the the Nitro book is so long. I got the Nitro book. I haven't dived in at all yet. Tell me about it. It's incredible. I mean, this. I don't know how exactly Guy Evans initially made the contacts he did. I mean, he did, he was on um, John Pollock's podcast a week or so back, and he said it was really just reaching out. Like, I don't know if he has a background as a writer or journalist, but you read this book, you would have no idea that this is just a randomly kind of self-published thing. I mean, it's – and I mean this in a positive way. It's almost kind of like the Steve Jobs book of wrestling books. Hmm. in the level of research and being so long and just that it's so much of just talking to Turner executives and, you know, he talks to Jamie Kellner, to uh, uh, Harvey Schiller, all sorts of lower level TBS. How's the accuracy based on information that's already known? Good, really good. Oh, okay, good. I mean, and a lot of it, a lot of the stuff that's in there too is just brand new too, like... This had actually come up online like around the time, uh, like a few weeks ago anyway, because the match had showed up. It confirms that the Randy Thornton in New Japan that wrestled Shinya Hashimoto doing a kickboxer gimmick was also Master P's bodyguard, the master, the, excuse me, what? the massive Swole. Get out of here. <laughs> because it turns out that Swole was a childhood friend of Master P who then became his head of security. And one night he was watching Nitro and saw Conan doing the bout it, bout it and rowdy, rowdy thing, which was from uh, a Master P song, I believe, or it was or it was from the Master P movie, something like that. So he calls Brad Ringens because Brad Ringens had been his trainer for his like one or two match New Japan run to have him hook him up with WCW. And that's how the whole Master P No Limit Soldiers thing came about. That may be the exact moment I stopped watching WCW when, like, all of a sudden, it was mm. Rey Mysterio and Conan out there yelling "Hootie Who" and all. I said, "This is and Brad worst. Armstrong. This is the worst shit yeah, of all Brad. time." And uh, that's <laughs> right around the time I stopped watching WCW. No, specifically, was the last thing you watched Silk the Shocker's birthday? <laughs> the sh- what? Master P's. Br- they had a that's birthday the- party for Master P's brother in the ring. I didn't yeah. see that. Silk the Shocker, that's the only thing I remember of that whole run, practically, is that the audience just hates them, not even enough to boo. They're just almost just silent. <laughs> and there's all these guys in the ring, and uh, Master Pete's going, it's Silk the Shocker birthday. Well, it gets better, though, because he, he, he wants everyone in the crowd to start singing happy birthday right, to Silk yeah. the Shocker, and he just starts going, you know how it goes. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. <laughs> and no one sang. How, yes. how, did, they, so how did they it, think this would work? <laughs> I don't know, and it gets better. So <laughs> apparently at uh, one of the pay-per-views, whatever the last pay-per-view Master P is at, I guess, there ends up being some confrontation where Master P's crew uh, starts flashing their guns at Eric Bischoff. See, that I would have watched. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow from there, I guess because Swole wants to stick around on his uh, $400,000 a year deal or whatever it was, 
Um, oh, whoa, whoa. He had a $400,000 a year deal, the bodyguard for Master P? Something like that, yes. Well, he paid his dues. <laughs> he had those two Japan Japan matches, yeah. Right, he came up the hard way, the old-fashioned way, trained by the Masters. But he he decided to stick around and keep the thing going, so he and Master P have not spoken to each other since. Their friendship broke up over Nitro, over, not even Nitro, over WCW? Yes. What happened to Swall after that? What year was that in terms of when the buyout happened? Was he still under contract when the buyout happened? Was he in the uh, in the uh, lawsuit about the racist things that no. were said by different people? Anything? Okay. Well, okay. So according to the documents in the lawsuit, he his contract was $350,000 for the first year and a $50,000 signing bonus. The payroll shows him as being paid $30,890 of that because he was released uh, on September in September of 99, according to a memo that was in the lawsuit. But he insisted in the book that he got paid every single dollar he was owed on the contract. And knowing WCW, I would believe that. Yes. Well, OK, so that leads to something else, though, and this is a big theme throughout the book. Turner Broadcasting's accounting was such that I forget who it was said that basically the company the whole the company as a whole was not meant to make money. I had actually heard that before, not about wrestling, but about someone talk. I was having a conversation with someone about Turner's broadcasting business when Ted Turner was actually involved. TBS, CNN, etc. And same yeah. same exact thing actually, almost verbatim came up. And there are so many weird allocations and stuff. And I've been thinking about this more and more lately. When you consider like all the licensing and sponsors and stuff they had for a good part of the Hurt era, even with as bad as their house shows were doing, should they really have been losing as much money as we've heard they were? Well, I mean, if they're paying Swole $400,000 a year, yeah. <laughs> well, that not then, but in like, you know, ninety ninety one. Oh, no, because they weren't making any of their money. All the money they made, like any pay-per-view money didn't go to WCW, went to Turner Broadcasting. Right. Now, I'm curious, too. Like, And they the... also didn't pay for any of the – like, they obviously, it was their company. Obviously, they didn't pay any rights to have it on the air or anything because right, it was an at in-house the time. company. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's a big credit to Bischoff, too, that Bischoff right. was the one who got them to pay rights fees. It's Now, Bischoff did some good shit. That's the one thing everyone has to remember. For all of Bischoff's failings and all the failings that he either doesn't remember or won't admit, Bischoff did a lot of important shit, and Bischoff did a lot of big shit, and he got it done. He may have had fucking Mike Shields write a fake fucking bullshit letter to submit with his resume or whatever it was, but he got it done. He got certain things done that no one else would have gotten done. Well, I mean, Heard, too, though, because think about it. Between Heard and Bischoff, all that licensing... All those extra sponsorships are gone. They have no licensed merchandise. How much money does it have? How much money they were making in licensing in like let's say eighty nine and ninety and ninety one? No, unfortunately, that's what I really want to know. Because think about it. I mean, some of the okay, some of that stuff was not that widely available, but the Galoob action figures were everywhere. Yes, and they moved. They those did not end up on clearance anywhere. Those sold. So are you telling me they didn't make huge amounts of money from those? Maybe they just made enough money that they could stuff into a pair of ruse. You don't know. You just stole my thunder. I was just going to say there was the lucrative ruse deal. Shoes for your feet, pockets for your stuff. 
Yeah, yes, those uh, very large pockets for the stuff that you can fit into the little pocket on the side of a roux. What could you fit into the pocket uh, on a roux? It was literally or, like a tiny change purse. That's all you could fit into it. Was it not the perfect accessory to go along with your Zubaz and uh, fanny pack, though? Only if you have a Ribera Steakhouse jacket. <laughs> and a cut-off workout shirt from World Gym. Gold's Gym, yeah. <laughs> Stop, what were you going to say? Now, you were just talking about uh, commercials, like the Ruse commercials. Oh, I heard one today, and actually I heard it on the um, on the non-fan guide, non-fans guide. They did an episode where they were watching wrestlers in commercials. <laughs> and there's a Slim Jim commercial that I used to see constantly that I'd forgotten about. It's just at the beginning, it just begins. This is the thing that just killed me. And I couldn't even remember anything else. Is it begins with Randy Savage just uh, going, chips. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stand those potato chips. Thank God he's got uh, dried meat product. <laughs> Before that, uh, Randy, the WWF had to deal with Slim Jim. They had the Ultimate Warrior. There was a commercial where there were like some guys in the garage and the Ultimate Warrior shows up. Because Slim Jim makes you powerful, whatever the fuck it was, I don't even remember. And then they went with Randy, and then after Randy left, they went with Bam Bam, and then Slim Jim said, we want Randy. And that caused, (laughs) I actually had always heard uh, that that was the main reason for the Randy Savage Vince McMahon fallout. Uh, I don't know if that's ever been said anywhere else, and I don't know how true it is. Well, it has, Randy says that. I heard it at the time, and then I heard it a few years later, and I've always thought that, but I heard that was what it was. The deal was... You can leave, but Slim Jim's staying. No problem. Slim Jim stays. They do Bam Bam. They're not happy at all. They like Randy. They like the relationship with Randy. They go with Randy. Vince feels betrayed. It also happens to be happening right when Vince feels the pressure starting to build from WCW. He just got through with the trial. His company is not doing well. He's, you know, they always say he's on the verge of bankruptcy or the company was about to go broke around that time right before the boom happened. Who knows what the realities of it are? You probably do, Bix, because you know. They took the water coolers out. They took the water coolers out and Lord Alfred (laughs) Hayes went home. But uh, that's around the time where, if you notice, Slim Jim showed up in WCW. Mm -hmm. But I don't buy that being the thing that made Vince, like, unwilling to do business with him again, because Vince was willing to do business with him again several times over the next, like, decade. No, of course. It was obviously the three-way with Linda and Stephanie. (laughs) You said that. I didn't say that. I said that. I said that. No, uh, I don't know. I don't know how much of it's the, the sex with Stephanie thing, but I could tell you one thing. If someone screwed me over in business or I felt they did like that and took a major thing when my company was about to go out of business, yeah, you're never working for me again. Simple. You know what I mean? I, I, I would do the same thing if that is the case. Because, again, it's not Vince at his peak. It's Vince when he's desperate. That's Vince. Go look at pictures of Vince around that period of time. He's not even on steroids. He's skinny. He looks like the way you imagine he would have looked if he had grown up and not done steroids. Then he gets all big again. <laughs> it's the period where Vince looks like a human being, and he's desperate. He's going to the Cauliflower Alley Club to get an award for his dad and for himself. He was desperate for any kind of anything he can get from anywhere in the wrestling business or any advertiser or anything. And Randy took Slim Jim. Again, who knows what the realities of it are, but I heard that at the time. I heard that a couple years later. And then all of a sudden, I had never heard the Stephanie thing until a few years after that. And then, uh, you know, that's the story everyone accepts now. But I had always heard way back it was all about Slim Jim. Had you ever heard the Stephanie story before it became a thing online? No, never. Me neither. Never. 
By the way, I never heard someone else brought this up. Oh, and I, I, uh, I want to say it was Sam Nord, and I could be wrong, but someone brought this up on Facebook the other day in one of the groups. I mean, geez, there's so many groups now, but I had never heard that superstar Billy Graham should have gotten a baby face run until like 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Like that was never said in the eighties or nineties that I heard like, Oh, the backland title win was a mistake. Billy Graham should have stayed around and had a long baby face run. I never heard that until Billy Graham put out his book or whatever. Well, I have always been a big proponent of that theory because I was the world's biggest superstar Graham fan. And as a kid, you don't have the wherewithal to understand the business machinations, but in hindsight, it makes perfect sense because he would have been Hogan seven, what, like seven years before Hogan. If they would have turned him, he would have been so big, he would have been like an attraction. He, I mean, but I don't know how many national you, then. I don't know how many of you guys saw him during his prime, but I saw him live, and the sun literally came out of his ass. And that guy shined <laughs> like the sun. He was like seven feet tall, built. I never saw another specimen in all my time like like superstar Billy Graham. And if they would have turned him at that point, and if if he was working second from the top, or because WWF liked to put their main event title match in the middle of the card, they could have had him close out the show working against their typical melange of characters up there. He would have been Hogan before Hogan. He was an attraction that I think was on a level higher than any other. He was a, the original superstar. I always put him on a pedestal above all the other workers. When he came down to Florida, I thought he was too good for Florida. He was bigger, better looking. In hindsight, oh, he couldn't work, blah, blah, blah. But and that's time, overstated, fan, too. I mean, he. You know He's what? It was? Maybe he could work, but he was he was clunky. He was he was uh, uncoordinated. He was a body. He was a big bumper when he wanted to. He was a bodybuilder. Yeah, he took big bumps. But he was so impressive. I mean, to see him live, it, I saw him in like seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, I believe, and he, it was ridiculous. He just outshone every other talent on the card. And I remember there was a famous card where um, Flair and Steamboat came down from Mid Atlantic. And the main event was Superstar and Dusty. And Dusty was like mopping the floor with Superstar. And I was like 11, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Because look at Superstar compared to Dusty, and Dusty was just like killing him. Mm. Yeah, but you know what? Well, I, maybe. I guess you, you could maybe make the argument another way. I think you can make. I think there's a strong argument, though, for Dusty being a better athlete than Superstar Graham. I could see that. He is, no one he gives him credit for that. Played, Dusty, was, Dusty was so agile in his day and full of fire from about 76 to 70, 70 up until about 77 maybe. He was very athletic, quick, agile. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, he, doesn't, the, uh... he doesn't. Go Uncomfortable ahead. silence Scott, for Scott, are you going to jump in? No, no I, just, gonna... I, I don't think he gets enough credit. I don't think Dusty gets enough credit. If people were there for the genesis of the American dream, how he was literally electric for like two or three years after the big turn. And then it became kind of a formula. But um, for those first couple of years, I was always a heel fan. And I liked Dusty. Like I always dreamed of meeting Dusty. And then I did, and I regretted it. Yeah, but, like everyone else, you met him deal. and you realize he's a giant. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Scott, what were you going right. to say? No, it was just about Graham. Uh, 
Just that I I don't think that that notion that he should have gotten a, the baby face run and it would have been the biggest thing in the world. I don't think that came from Graham's book. I can't tell you where it came from, uh, but I heard it before that point. I don't think. Oh, I know where it came from. All right. The interview he did with Dave in like 1991, I think. Oh, that's right. Well, you know, the fans always dug him. He always had a contingent of fans, even up north, right? And I think probably guys like John McAdam will vouch for that. And he was, I think he was one of the first cool baby faces that the people actually wanted to root for. You know, he had all the hip problems. I mean, and, I mean, he he had all the hip problems and hip replacements and everyone blames it on the steroids and the bumps. Has anyone ever said it may have been because of Bob Backlund's atomic drop? That oh. was so deadly that it just <laughs> it vanquished every home. opponent. Most devastating move ever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was going to bring this up, though. Remember how, like, in the early 90s, everyone was acting like. Superstar Graham was kind of the picture of what everyone who was a heavy steroid user was going to end up like. And then I was like, no, he's the only person who ended up having like a necrotic bone disease in wrestling. That is interesting. And I have thought about that. The idea of, you know, we heard about how dangerous steroids are and how, how bad they are for you. But how many of the guys who did steroids 40 years ago were still out there and healthy? You know, at this point, the number grows, doesn't shrink. Yeah, a lot of the guys who had what appeared to be steroid-related deaths were the smaller guys who were trying to bulk up, too. Right. What is the difference between taking steroids and trying to bulk up and going a little nuts? There's a difference between doing a cycle and ignoring the cycle and just doing steroids nonstop, which has happened to a lot of guys. Well, that, too, I don't yeah. want to name names, but I heard that from guys directly in the 90s, and I told I was like, you're nuts. Don't do that, where they would say they weren't cycling. They would just stay, keep going. And uh, I don't even know what happened there to their uh, natural testosterone or anything, but it's just bad idea. But again, if you're if you're just using steroids, if you're doing it, you know, I hate to say under a doctor's care because none of them are doing it under a doctor's fucking care, really. But if you're doing, what are steroids, you talking about, Doctor Zahorian? Yeah, if you're doing steroids with Doctor Zahorian on a regular cycle and being monitored and not doing cocaine and like the travel lodge or anything, then you may be all right. <laughs> That's my uh, note for the day. <laughs> But seriously, like all these guys, he's a urologist. That's right. He's a urologist. No, but I mean, maybe he had like a secret stash. Maybe he was doing a different batch of drugs than most guys were doing. And maybe that's what affected him. Or maybe he was just genetically predisposed to osteo, you know, osteopathic necrosis or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, that might have been just his bad luck. But look how he was going to die 20 years ago. And he's, he's one of the oldest guys around now. He was yeah. on death's door, like, in the early 90s, and he looked almost exactly so the same. Times. And he looked as, exactly the same then as he does now. Now, granted, he's been through a lot, but, uh... Yeah. By the way... The worst uh, commentator many... ever. But anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she took a dress off! Brother! 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 So what do we what do we like better? The karate superstar, Graham, or the return as the bald Jimmy Valiant? Billy Graham. Um, That's a, that is a great question. That is an excellent like question. Okay enough. Who likes that was sad. Billy that was so sad anyone? to see him become a glorified Bugsy McGraw. You know what's sad for Superstar? And he just wrote about it. He's like, why did I change my look? Why did I become Karate Superstar? Because you were on drugs. And then eventually, <laughs> well, the thing is, it's the hair, man. It's the hair. It's what killed David Lee Roth's career. 
It's like he admitted it, and it's oh. like he got away. He got away with male pattern baldness for so long because he had so little hair objectively. But you never looked at Superstar Graham as a bald guy. Like he had a little shred of hair, but you never thought, oh, there's a big. He just had a cool look, like the that blonde hair seamlessly went into the big sideburns. Yeah. And it was just a cool, complete look for him. It, you didn't say, oh, there's a balding guy. Whereas on Hogan, it kind of stood out. Dusty couldn't have gotten away with being bald. What would these guys do if they went bald? He but went, Superstar managed. Yeah, he went from the flamboyant 70s superstar to fucking G. Gordon Liddy on steroids. I know, I know, true. Well, based on how he true. looked at G. Gordon Liddy on minimal steroids. <laughs> I just saw that SCTV episode. Well, he came back. I mean, you got to admit, Gordon Liddy his body on, uh, in 19... 19- this kid's show? What was it, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Hansel's Tiny Town or whatever it is? And it was, <laughs> the letter of the day is G for G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> right. Great stuff. Dave Thomas, right? Dave Thomas is G. Gordon Liddy. That's right. Right. God, look what's in that mind of mine. I can't think of shit, but I know Dave <laughs> Thomas played G. Gordon Liddy in 1978. In Motown. <laughs> hey, Vic, Vic, you're an intelligent man. Um, <laughs> Motown... Or uh, what is the antithesis of Motown? Like Motown or classic stacks or Muscle Shoals? Well, hold on. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, you're, you're making it more me. difficult than it is by just saying Motown I know, because I can't – I mean, I'm not a detail guy. <laughs> I'm a vibe guy. So, all right, Albert King or Booker T and the MGs? That's not fair. I don't know, Albert King. It's completely fair. It's one of the other. That's not fair at all. No, one of them is a fucking Booker band T. that does mostly instrumentals on their solo albums, and the other guy's one of the yeah, greats. But Albert, yeah, but Albert King had the Barkays, who also backed up uh, the, Ice Cays. Then you say the Barkays are Booker T, not Albert King. That's completely unfair. That's that. To okay, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't think anyone would even get that because nobody knows who the Barkays are. Al Albert King or Otis Redding? Yeah, what do you think, Bix? Albert King or Otis <laughs> Redding? There you go. There's a, there's a clear cut. Let's get to know the person behind the journalist. Let's see. This is good. Behind Bix. <laughs> By okay, the way, so it's Zeppelin's 50th anniversary, so... But again, the Bix. It's, it's, it's Zeppelin's 50th anniversary, so your your tribute is, like, very timely. If it's Zeppelin's 50th anniversary, shouldn't our tribute be ripping them off? Oh, yeah. come on. Don't even start that. Get out of here with that. <laughs> okay. So how many of you saw two yeah, months ago a, the... Uh, Versus an actual blues man. I keep trying to ask this. And then, okay. <laughs> saw the thing Tim Horn did. Okay, but what blues man ever from... came up with the, with the half-hour version of A Whole Lot of Love? Nobody cares. Drops Mike. Okay. <laughs> the letter from Stu Hart to Wally Carbo that Tim Hornbaker posted a couple months ago about Wayne Coleman. I did see that, yes. It's easy it to forget. Great. It's easy to forget that he started up there with Stu. But, yeah, you have the letter there? Yeah. So, uh, August 26, 1970, Mr. Wally Carbo, read Wayne Coleman. Dear Wally, it was good to see you again. So, August would be NWA convention, right? August or September, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, below is the only address we have for Wayne Coleman. I believe it is his mother's address. We tried to reach him by telephone, but were unable to get him. We left word for him to call, but haven't heard from him yet. Encloses all the artwork we have left on him, enough to give you an idea. He will have more. He's a pretty impressive big fellow, six feet four inches, close to 300 pounds, 22-inch biceps, about a 38-inch waist, can legitimately bench press 600 pounds, and is very limber and agile for a big man. He developed into a pretty good talker on the mic 
and I think he has all the qualifications to be a hell of a wrestling attraction and a moneymaker. Best regards, Stu. Did he go from there to Los Angeles? Where did he go that... I think Arizona and then L.A. And then, and then Arizona with uh, Arizona working the reservations with uh, Eddie, with uh, Jerry. Jerry Graham. Jerry, yeah. And wow. then I think that segued into L.A., and I think that became that went into AWA. No, no, San Francisco before AWA. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll tell you an aside. Um, in seventy five, seventy six, we had a ring announcer. Well, he was always there, but this happened in seventy five, seventy six. The Miami ring announcer was Frank Freeman, and um, he never made any editorial comments. He just announced, and um, you know, a typical announcer, height, weight, city. But it was Superstar Graham and Joe LaDuke. No, it was Superstar Graham and Ox Baker against Joe LaDuke and Sailor Art Thomas. And I remember specifically, uh, Frank Freeman said, ladies and gentlemen, I have never been in the ring with four physical specimens such as this. And I think that was an accolade befitting the occasion because it was truly impressive. I don't know. You guys had to have seen Superstar back in the day. I'm sorry. No, but but no he was one, amazing. No one's dismissing him. No, I'm just saying that the argument that he should have been the champion and, ba- and you know, they shouldn't have gone with back when they should have changed the plans and had a babyface run. I never heard that until the last I think, 15 I don't, years. I don't so, think he needed the years. belt. I think they could have taken the belt off of him and had him as an attraction and had him in feuds. Uh, you know, be like the gatekeeper for Backlund or something, the, the semi-main event or the true main event. Because, the way they use Bruno. And Backlund gets, you know, Backlund gets exactly, just like they use Bruno, bolster the card, keep your legend around. Bruno didn't need the belt at that time, and I don't think Superstar needed the belt at that time. He had a few good years left, and I think what got him is the depression. And then he just, you know, he's like, you've been to the mountaintop, what are you going to do next? I think it had to be demoralizing, but I think they could have used him. He could have had a great babyface run after that. Hmm. He could. I don't think he needed the belt either. And also, Backlund got incredibly short shrift in history because, in hindsight, because uh, at the time he had great matches, you know, against just about everybody. He had long athletic matches against everybody until the Snooker feud. He was great. Right. Right, that kind of that was unwatchable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that kind of was the new era where they wanted some more excitement, and that was kind of it for him. Well, what happened after the Snooker feud? Karate Billy Graham comes in, destroys the belt, (laughs) and Backlund starts crying on TV. Yeah, and then after that, That he starts hanging out with Carl Gotch and changes his conditioning routine and gets the crew cut and starts wearing the singlet. Right, right, right. That was a bad move. And that segued into like the USA, the USA deal, whatever that was called. Right when Vince is trying to market everything and make everyone as marketable as possible, he's finally got full control over this company. Backlund decides to make himself as uncommercial as humanly yeah. imaginable. Crew cut, singlet, <laughs> boring promos. And what a weird guy he became. I will I will say that in 83, I had a gimmick table set up at the front of the <laughs> Miami Convention Center, and Bob Backlund came out, and he wanted to meet the fans. He had his one brown uh, pinstripe suit on, and he's like, where can I get one of those tables? He was doubling his uh, Lanny Poffo impersonation at the time. And I'm like, take mine, and I got another one out of the back, you know? And he sat there next to me the whole time just greeting fans before the show. And then after his match against Ron Bass, he hung out for another half hour signing autographs right by the ring. And he was, he was okay enough at that point. Like 
But then I bumped into him at some conventions later, and he was doing like the like the Mr. Backlund thing became his real personality. Yeah. He would make people recite all the presidents in order to get his autograph. Yeah. It's very odd. Very odd. Because he was semi-normal, and then he went complete Mr. Backlund. Very strange. <laughs> I love the line. I'm trying to remember who who exactly he told this and how it got right later. I think he ended up being... A, I don't know if it was one of the newsletters or what, but it, I know it's fairly accurate that he explained that like the juice drink that he makes for himself every morning, it was like carrot and apple and maybe like garlic or something weird like that as far as a combination. And he said that he drank it because it's like chemically the closest thing possible that you can drink to human blood. <laughs> what? Well, he obviously knows what he's doing. He's in fantastic shape. Oh, yeah. And, and all he does yeah. is the wheel, the step, and drinking the blood juice. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Uh, he was illiterate. Did you see his Hall of Fame speech from? Did I see his Hall of Fame speech? I, I know I did when it first happened several years ago, but I haven't watched it since. It, it was amazing because, like, he spends half the thing trying to get some random amateur wrestler he knows a job. And just keeps screaming his name over and over, Andrew Cabana. Who is that? Just some guy. Is he like? And a, then is he a Colt Cabana like like ripoff character <laughs> or anything? No, no. He's, he's just he's, another he's just wrestler. <laughs> Andrew Cabana. <laughs> well, no, he's just an amateur wrestler. I don't think he was even an indie wrestler. And <laughs> and then I believe that's the one where Kane's music plays eventually, and he walks out with just a sad look on his face because he has to give him the hook. I just saw Kane. Uh, they released a letter, I guess, that he'd never used steroids in his life and he's never seen steroids, whatever the fuck it said. Yeah, just look at some pictures of Kane from 2001 and get back to me. Yeah, look at pictures of him in 1995 mm. in Tennessee and get back in Knoxville and get back to me. <laughs> uh, ridiculous. But no, they did that with Kane also for Mr. T. And that one I actually genuinely regret that we never got to see where that was going to really go. Because I know everyone's like, oh, he kept talking about his mom. But after a while... He definitely was going to move on to something else. I, I'm dying to know what the rest of that speech was. Because it got to the point where you were sick of the mom. And then when he kept doing it, eventually you started to like it again. And then they, they walked him off before he could say anything about WrestleMania or anything else. Yeah. No, wait, Kane, can, no, Kane took Mr. T off. Yeah, That's T. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, no, no, no. Kane was Mr. T. Kane, Kane wasn't Backlund. Kane didn't drag WWF champion Bob Backlund off the stage at the Hall of Fame? No. <laughs> oh, that was the, oh no 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 that was the one where Vince came out. That's right because yeah, I was at that one. Vince struts out behind him to try to give him the hook. Wow. What what about that weird rule where none of the guys are supposed to mention Vince? No one's supposed to say, "I want to thank Vince for for hiring me and giving me all this money and calling and me now year, and giving me five thousand dollars for this shit." Like no. And then one every year, like <laughs> the headliner or whatever says, "They told me not to thank Vince." Yeah, they told yeah. me he doesn't like it, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm a maverick. And uh, yeah, mm. it's just, it's so silly. Who are they going to induct in the hall? I, is there anyone else they can induct that I'll actually care? Hmm. Vince. They'll never, he'll never do it. <laughs> and it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a weak ass. But they'll ne can you imagine if they inducted Dave? That'd be something. <laughs> no, no one would get a word in during that speech. They're out of people. <laughs> 
Well, it's going to be, no, it's going to be the 90s people now because it legitimately is the bottom of the barrel as far as the Hall of Fame and the CAC is concerned as far as the 70s and 80s guys. And it legitimately now, um, it's the beginning of the 90s guys getting honored. Those are the guys that are getting the convention gigs and the autograph shows and all that. That's the deal now. These are, this is the nostalgia for the next generation up. Yeah. And by like the, the way, guys that we consider newcomers, those are the old timers to guys that are younger. And with the all Owen Hart thing, and I tweeted something about this earlier today. Now, especially like that, the pictures out there of Martha Hart proudly showing off his award, Owen's award from the Dan Gable Hall of Fame. Can people just start stop just talking about all this bullshit about her just wanting his legacy denied or whatever? And like, like it pisses me off that Brad is even doing that now. I totally take her side to it because I think everyone mm-hmm. else, I think everyone else's perspective is selfish, quite frankly. And yeah. no one can say it's for Owen. I, I believe her more than I believe anyone else about what's for Owen. And uh and that company fucked with her. And she has every right to say no. And you know what? Doesn't do anything to hurt Owen's legacy. But you know, by the way, I think more people talk about Owen because he's not in the Hall of Fame than if it finally ended and he was. So I mean, if anything, this actually keeps him alive in the conversation. But uh, it's also just one moment too. I mean, it's not yeah. like there's nothing keeping him from being remembered. He's on the network. His name's not removed. Like Benoit. I mean, come on. Bix for those who don't know, and I don't know the whole thing. So I'm one of those exactly what went down between Martha Hart and the WWE after Owens passing that led to the feelings that she has today. Oh, I don't think it's all that. I think it's about it is just what led to Owen's death. I mean, I think the countersuit for breaching Owen's contract by suing them in a different state is part of it. And then, you know, trying to get the various family members to side with them. Yes, I think that's part of it. But I think as much as anything, it's what what led to Owen dying, which briefly is that they wanted him to do the repelling again. Someone, I believe, Vince didn't like how it looked in terms of taking too long to get out of a harness. Wondered if there was something quicker. Um, they called the like more established stunt guy who had, I believe had done it for them before and had done stings entrances. I did sting. I believe. Yeah. Right. And he's like, ah, no, that's not really safe. I mean, I'll do it for you the normal way, you know, same fee, blah, blah, blah. When they don't get back to him, he starts freaking out. He's like, oh, God, they're going to find someone who's going to do it. He tells his assistant, call them, undercut me by a lot, and try to convince them to hire you that way. Because he was scared, basically, that they were going to get on hard killed. And they huh. turned the assistant down. They found someone who was willing to use that quick-release snap shackle that was not designed for stunt use. It was designed for sailboats, and... It failed, and that's what happened. Wow, I didn't know all that actually. It's, I mean, everyone read her book. Seriously, if, like, if you want to skip past the stuff about their relationship and feel that's extra depressing or whatever, fine. Read her book. Read all the stuff about the lawsuit and everything to understand exactly what happened. I mean, another thing too that rarely gets talked about. Max Mini was going to be strapped to Owen in a mini blue blazer outfit. And Owen immediately turned it down. Wow, I didn't know that. Some minor differences. Owen, Max Mini, and Jim Corderas all would have died. And yet Sting lives. 
Well, they did it the right way with Sting. All the Sting had some close calls. Where they let him much in the way that Stevie Ray Vaughn died, but uh, Lil Lil Seltzer is still alive. Did yes, they, Sting lives. Did Martha Hart have any issues, Bix, with getting royalties? Okay, so well, no, there was a lawsuit about this. Remember a few years ago? I thought so, but I wasn't certain exactly what happened. Okay, you got to remember, she completely stopped following wrestling in any way. She also. Even Brett, she had stopped talking to, even though Brett had sided with her in the lawsuit. So she has no idea that WWE has the network, that they're putting out these archived DVDs, so on and so forth. When they put out the Hart Family DVD, she's she's like, well, wait a second. I don't want them doing this. I haven't gotten any royalties for anything. And she sued. And apparently she also had bought the rights to some family photographs in the interim like after the DVD came out. So it's like her copyright claim on that didn't really make sense. What it came down to the other stuff got, most of the stuff got thrown out. The royalties did not WWE claimed that her, this settlement agreement released them from royalties, but there ended up being some kind of settlement after that on the newer lawsuit. So she's justified in everything she feels. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I get why some people feel a little weird about how she says in the book that, Austin was faking the neck injury, and I don't know if I, I mean based on said, every, I didn't know she said that. I, I, I've never read her book. She it's said, the only thing in the book that's out of sort. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like something out of character based on what we know about Owen to have told her that. Um, the only thing I can think of is that Owen had told her something about ne- Austin's neck already bothering him, which is true. His neck was not in good shape in the few months going into that match. And she had misremembered or misunderstood that. But, I I mean, I see why people would see that as undermining her credibility in some sense. But, I mean, the stuff from the lawsuit and everything, I mean, she took that from all the paperwork. And if WWE had an issue with it, they would have sued her. And they didn't. She says that Owen said that Steve Austin was faking his injury. I don't remember if she said Owen said or if she said that. It would, I, I mean, I would think because she even if it Owen isn't true, it. Yeah. even if it isn't true, if that's the context where she's saying Owen said it, then it's still important. If she's saying it like he was faking it as if it's a fact, then you have to question it. But if she's saying Owen said it, that's a whole nother thing. I have the book. That goes I into Owen's fact. mindset, actually, about the whole Austin incident. So that's why I'm interested in that. Yeah, I'd have to check. But I mean, well, based on the whole sequence of events, you would think even if she doesn't phrase it outright that if that Owen would have told her something that either gave her that idea or outright said it, if that's what she's saying. I'll tell you what, guys, you guys talk amongst yourselves for a moment. I'm going to add someone to the call, and it's going to take me a second, so I will be right back. Bix, I'm leaving you in charge. Okay. I I have a few things I want to grill this person on about his old neighbor when this person gets on the line, by the way. Um, I don't think I'm adding the person you think I'm adding, but anyway. Okay. Is it the last person who gave their number in the Facebook chat? No. Oh, okay. That I'm not. I don't know who that person's old neighbor is. Then, give me just a second. You... I've got to go. Block, I've got to go block Fred the Elephant Boy. <laughs> oh yeah! Did you guys talk about around? that before I got on? <laughs> I know we have not talked about that. That is fucking funny. I saw that first. So thing Scott, he's he's willing and able to speak now. <laughs> well, not, on Twitter, sir. Not to me or Brian. No. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him. I saw him in person once. What a mess! So I said on the Cornette show that Fred always really smelled every time I was around. Yeah. And by the way, he did. I stand by that. Yeah, he he did. He did. And then 
I guess he got upset about that, and then someone responded to Fred. I think he said something like, your co-host is an asshole. He has shit for brains. And okay, I pulled it up. It's weirdly like, spaced and everything. It's like... It's so okay, here, here it is. Okay. At the Jim Cornette, I heard your podcast in which two spaces, you made a mention of me and Kid Vicious. After all these years and the quote X space close quote amount of three no excuse me amount three spaces of stories and adventure you had remembered me no period capital thank you space (laughs) period space btw space capital your two spaces shit for brains of a of a two spaces co-host is an asshole period I think the problem is he dictated this. <laughs> so, Actually, it sounds like a some, boy name come from him smelling bad as opposed to anything else in the first place. I don't know. I actually never heard his his first few appearances on Stern. I heard almost all the ones from the '90s. After that, I remember him and Rick Rude in the studio. And like Rick Rude, you could tell he's really uncomfortable because they're really ignoring him and talking to Fred. And like, Fred, do you like these guys? You like having pictures of them on your wall? He's like, oh, no, I have clockwork orange on my wall. Like, whatever it was. But I mentioned that he he smelled, and then he mentioned, you know, all these things about me. And then someone responded to that with a clip, which I hadn't heard in in years, from 2005 or whatever, of when Fred shit in his pants at a Gary appearance. And I'm wondering if that's just the issue. That's why he always smells. He just shits in his pants and walks around. But who knows? Anyway, uh, Godspeed, Fred the Elephant Boy. <laughs> that that definitely was the highlight of my day. That was definitely one of them. Mm. Fred the Elephant Boy. Entree. I miss I miss Kenneth Keith Callenback. Oh, <laughs> For, you know every time he got me because I thought he was going to blow smoke out his eyes. Hank oh, the God. Angry Drunken Dwarf, who had the oh, greatest insults when he would get drunk. He was fantastic. Yeah, I can't you mean World it. Wrestling Federation superstar Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf. Oh, that's right. But they were so was, desperate. <laughs> there was a period of time where where people in all those wrestling organizations and WCW wanted part of Howard Stern. He was probably at his hottest. Yeah. And people like Vince Russo and people in WCW wanted Wait, people like Vince Russo. Well, <laughs> but, but was he the same guy that brought brought in the Beatles? Oh, about uh, like Beatles? Yes. Russo? Okay, well then it was him, <laughs> but he was hardly alone in in wanting part of Howard Stern. Whatever made Howard popular at that time, Stern at least at that point was smart enough that he had no interest in wrestling and even for any kind of money was not interested in doing it. So they took anybody, <laughs> anybody that had any association with that show, uh, and, and put them on. You know, it it was crazy. Oh, never- that reminds me. Go ahead. I need to tell my new Vince Russo story. Please. Okay. So the other day this week, it was the birthday of Sean Rossap, a Fightful friend of mine who edits, is the editor of the site. And back several weeks ago, and I, I regretfully forgot about it because it was while I was in Tennessee, um, James Vanderland and Jimmy Van, who owns the site, and... Uh, initially got involved with wrestling and stuff from doing the website for Dale Gagner's version of the AWA. He he emailed me and other people about doing a video where 
he'd send people masks he made up of Sean making a face, and then they'd take the they take the mask away and wish him happy birthday and blah blah blah. So he sent a bunch of people. Matt Riddle, who was probably high and forgot to do it, and various other people who've been involved with the site. One of them was Russo, who early on they did some stuff with. Um, so on, on the show where they showed the video on Sean's birthday, like a, a minute or two later, Jimmy's explaining to Sean why Russo's not there, which is that he's texting with Vince and he's like, bro, David Bickenspan, because apparently this is how he... I don't know if he spelled it like that or he talked on the phone to him too and said it out loud or if that's how he says my name on his podcast. But he's like, bro, David Bickenspan work for you. And Jimmy's like, well, I mean, he mainly writes for Deadspin, but he works for, I mean, he writes for us from time to time. And he's like, bro, I can't do anything for any site that has him working for you. (laughs) And he refused to do the birthday video for Sean. Wow. I still like David Kaleidoscope as the best mix-up. Oh, no. oh, I love David Kaleidoscope. <laughs> All right, let me add this person now. I was so entranced by your story, which fell flat at the end, that I forgot <laughs> to add this other person. Hold on. Uh, and actually, I don't even know if I have his regular phone number. I got to wait for him to send me his regular number. All right. Well, you know what? While we're waiting for him, I will add someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. I, if it's the person that I think you were thinking about before, Bix, you're talking about Dr. Francois Petit? Yes. Okay, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. I will call up his neighbor now. His old neighbor. I don't yeah. think they live by each other anymore. Right, 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 right. Ed, this guy hasn't been on the show in a while. It's going to be nice to have him back on the show. Dialing him now. Usually he makes a brief appearance and says goodbye and disappears. But we always love when he's on the show. Hey. Yo, yo, yo. What's up? What's up? What's up? Bob, what's going on? Uh, just watching five foot ten inch legs of surfer girls walking around the park. <laughs> I love talking to you. On the line with you right now, David Bixenspan, Scott Cornish, and Howard Bauman. Of course, everyone, we are speaking with Bob Barnett, a great friend of the show. Bob, welcome back. Hello, Bob. Oh, thanks. Hi, hi, guys. What are you doing? So Bix had uh, something he wanted to talk to you about. Bix? Sure. Tell me everything you can about Dr. Francois Petit. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he says he, he was an advanced shiatsu. I have no reason to disbelieve him. I knew him for years. Um, he lived across the street. He lived right next door to Keith Emerson. Well, hold on, um, hold on. Stop for one second. For the listeners, explain who he is. For the listeners yes. who don't know, Dr. Francois Petit was the ponytailed little man who would frequently run in and help the wrestlers. If you remember the Mick Foley incident with the uh, Hell in a Cell with the Undertaker, it was Dr. Francois Petit who ran in there and tried to help him. And then he would also manipulate the wrestlers backstage. And I believe he may have been in one of the documentaries filmed at the time. But that was Bob Barnett's neighbor. Is the point of this? Yeah, he was a real. He was a real good guy. Uh, his wife was just gorgeous. Um, he had a pet opossum, uh, and some pet birds. Oh, this he keeps getting really good, better and better. <laughs> he was a real, he was, he was a really good guy. Um, he knew everybody. Um, he got paid 250000 a year, mostly because he worked on the McMahons. Uh, I don't he was really getting paid to work on the wrestlers. They they needed him because both their backs were a mess, and Vincent and the uh, junior. 
and uh, eventually we let him go. I don't know why. That was when I started cost cutting. But I remember one night um, there was a WCW show on the WWF show in town. Uh, I the WWF were in Honda, were in Honda Center, and uh, WCW were at the forum. Huge shows, completely loaded. But for two days before the in front of his house was a collection of more wrestlers than I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he, I mean, every wrestler from both companies was just lined up waiting to get treated. And uh, it was it was pretty amazing. He was also really good friends with China. And when she got her jaw redone, uh, she was there a lot. I don't know why, but they sort of babied her. I think she might have stayed there for a while while she was recovering. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and he also knew Russo. He was good friends with Vince Russo. And uh, is he still alive? You're talking day, about him in the past tense. Uh, I don't. I haven't seen him in 15 years. I moved. Is in Santa Monica. I'm in Huntington Beach now. He moved down to Marina del Rey. Um, I'm sure he, he's probably still alive. He's, he's a healthy guy. But um, God, I forgot where I was going with this. But uh, anyway, the day he re-signed a $250,000 contract. He had uh, been with Russo. Right, that was the day after Russo signed with WCW. And Russo told him, as soon as he got to the airport, that he was pitching a deal to Fox. And if, and if it sold, he was going to dump WCW. And they never gave him any shit for it. I think they knew about it pretty, pretty quickly, but they let him continue his magic. So, you know, he helped destroy the company. <laughs> Did he ever tell you about his vast martial arts experience? Yeah, he talked about that all the time. I'm, I'm shocked. You, everybody knew him. Um, everybody knew him. So I don't know if anything about him was fake. I assumed it was all real. And uh, well, uh, his. But I mean, one of the alarms that goes off in my head was when I was doing some googling a few weeks back, and I saw that Austin had had Russo on his podcast. And Austin referred to Francois as a self-taught chiropractor. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't—he wasn't—he wasn't a chiropractor. He never said he was a chiropractor. He—he—I don't know where he got his doctorate from, but he only told people that he was a shiatsu, as far as I know. I don't even know if he really had a doctorate in anything, though. I have no idea. Everybody called him Doctor Francois Petit. I just call him Francois. Everyone, and, and there's uh, an really article. And there's an article that Kevin Kelly did on him in Raw Magazine that is ridiculous. And I found it interesting at the time. And in 2018, it's kind of terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Let me me find the right part here. Because he he talks about being able to do non-invasive surgery. What the heck is that? Sounds like the Uh, Filipino guys that pull their livers out. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um... The Andy Kaufman cure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I never heard that one. Okay, here we I go. Mean, I, I found it. All right. Um, it, it was... Okay, so he talks... Okay. I'll let it be. All right. Everything started in 1954 when I started martial arts. After the war, there were very few Japanese masters teaching in France. My sensei's brother was the head surgeon for Emperor Hirohito. <laughs> Yeah, he was okay. the shiatsushi for the emperor. When I was in judo training one day, there was a horrible accident. 
a student suffered an open fracture of the knee, and the, the brother, the Shiatsushi, was there. I was only seven or eight years old, and I saw him putting the whole knee together. Everything was put back in, and I couldn't believe it. Now we go to Kevin Kelly. This was not some kind of witch doctoring. The science is thousands of years old. Petit is one of a long lineage of doctors trained in this massage technique that was mainly used within families or clans. There was no formal medical training. Oh, I'm shocked. Yet soldiers injured in battles had to be healed. It originated in Japan and then passed to Europe. This ancient art of healing was Francois Petit's calling. It was this experience that showed the young Petit what he wanted to do, life and friend, blah, blah, blah. His tutor passed away, completed college, played rugby, then an on-field accident gave him the opportunity to utilize his shiatsu training. And now we go to Francois again. The team was using, as is common in Europe, a ribotoe or an orthopedic surgeon using non-invasive practice, he explains. If someone fractured an arm or a knee popped, scroll to the next page, out, the ribotoe was there to reduce it or put it back in so the athlete could get back on the field. A player was hurt in front of me while I was on the field, and the ribotoe was busy with two other injuries on the sidelines, so I fixed it. When he heard what I did, he told me he would teach me everything he knew about ribotoe. Petit was a phenomenal student. Not only did he excel in the medical field, but his martial arts training also brought him unprecedented accolades. He's a former world champion in bare-knuckle karate and a seventh-degree black belt in both karate, do, and jiu-jitsu. After Come school, on. he went into the service. The military would be his chance to use both the shiatsu, which governed the nervous system, tendons, and ligaments, and ribatu, the training he had received, which focused on the bone structure. I was 21 and I was drafted and I was in the Special Forces. I did two tours in Africa with the French Foreign Legion. When I got there, I took over for the medic. Believe me, you learn more than anyone else when you're in a war, you're in war for two tours. His room at a WWF TV taping often resembles a MASH unit. Bandaging and suturing <laughs> in one corner, adjustments and reductions in another, and painful screams all around. Remember, this yeah, is war I... and soldiers out fighting the battle are able to get back into the fight many times because the amazing work Francois does. Federation superstars still, however, have to suck it up and deal with the pain. Every day, Francois is amazed at how tough these superstars and patients are. And I'll end with this anecdote. A prime example is the work that Dr. Petit does involved Al Snow, our beloved Al Snow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the hardcore match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre left Al with pain and swelling in his right forearm. The next day, after icing it down, Francois reduced the injury and put or put the fracture back in so that Al could compete that night. With Al in a near meditative state, focusing on his breathing and not the pain, as well as his hatred for the Jews. Oh, wait, that's not in there. Uh, he located the fracture by feeling for it. No x-rays were needed as he pulled Al's arm out, rotated the arm, and the reduction was complete. Success, exclaimed Francois, as Al clenched his teeth and fought the tears that leaked from his eyes. As a precaution, the next day, Al went to an X-ray, and indeed, or excuse me, went for an X-ray, and indeed, there was a fracture that had been put back in. No cast would be necessary because of Francois's work. No cast means no time away from the ring. His work is beneficial to both the company and the combatant. Neither wants any lost time if it can be avoided. When asked how tough the wrestlers are, Francois responded, $250,000. <laughs> Boy, it's, a, it's all new to me. I never knew about that stuff. So. <laughs> I didn't even know Al, Al still hated Jews. <laughs> uh, well, 
we'll tell you that more about that off there. Um, Bix needs to blow the lid off that one day. I'm fascinated by that topic myself. Just, just, just think think about. I why. think all the anti semites in wrestling should be exposed to be quite. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll have a conversation about that after the weekend's over. Yeah. I guess. But just just consider for a minute that why he mysteriously does not have one T-shirt store one place and mysteriously became part of another T-shirt company that basically tells people they're sponsored athletes if they buy a T-shirt. There's a lot of Jewish wrestling Things fans like Nick- who have some money who may have seen Munich <laughs> a bunch of times. Maybe in the wrong business to be hating Jewish people. That's all I'll say. So you're saying that Septiem Braid Negro should have picked a different name if, when he was going to be a pro wrestler? <laughs> Possibly, yes. <laughs> you know, I think if we were to blow the lid off uh, racism and wrestling, there would be no uh, nobody unscathed. No, there would be left. Absolutely. And um, by the way, might I say, you know, the L.A. guys, the California guys, um, Bob and Vandal, they just seem to have the best stories because I think out there, like, entertainment intersects with wrestling, and they, they all their stories get to intersect with rock stars and movie stars and wrestlers and all these people. And no, Bob like, has the best yeah, like Bob, Bob, Bob has the best ones, though, because a lot of Bob's stories... Yeah, Bob is, like, the most interesting man in wrestling. because no, here, <laughs> here are half of Bob's stories. I was with my girlfriend, and I was with this other girlfriend I had, and we were walking down the street, <laughs> and I saw John Tolis running on the beach. <laughs> it's just it's, right, it's, everything right. Sounds Red classy, I mean, casual. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I want Bob's life. Me too. I just thought I just thought everything was normal. I you know I never thought about all this stuff. I mean, I had no idea. See, Bob had the real idea, Howard. Bob would take acid and go to the Olympic and watch the crazy mm. shit with Mill no, and ma- Masculine. Masculine. Oh, oh can you imagine? <laughs> Mescaline. I think that was in uh, Incredibly Strange. I think that was one of Vandal's characters. Oh, it would definitely be one of Vandal's characters. I know. <laughs> Mil Mescaline, the man of a thousand acid trips. What were you going to say, Bob? Right. I knew this kid. Um, when I was, I was working for the Shrine, I was doing publicity for him when they were doing the huge concerts in LA in 67 and 69. And uh, when I was in school, and I knew this kid who was a brilliant chemist. He was 60 years old and he used to synthesize masculine and he, I'd get real big bags of it from him and we'd all go to the shrine. and we'd Wait, he was a six-year-old? He was 16. Oh, okay. I thought you said he was a six-year-old synthesizing mescaline. A six-year-old chemist? He could have been, but I got him when he was 16 <laughs> and uh, he, was, <laughs> he, just made, he just made the greatest drug in the world. And everybody at the shrine used used to take it. And then one day I went over to his house. He says, "Well, I'm through. I got enough money to go to MIT." And that was it. He quit. <laughs> <laughs> See, we we missed all the good stuff. It's like it's like a Hunter S. Thompson novel. We missed all that stuff. Like, what do we have? You guys get to go yeah, out I, in uh, in the desert and do drugs. But I never did any of that stuff. Yeah, I I didn't do drugs in the desert. I, I've never been a desert fan, but. You know, Where's that place that everyone meet? goes? They go to like you Joshua know the famous tree, place uh, that everyone goes out there. Joshua to trip. Tree. Uh, Joshua Tree. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joshua Tree. Yeah, that's, right. that's where I, that's I, where um, Grand Parsons died. Yeah, that's where and the Eagles shot Jerry their first album on him. cover. He, he carted his. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's I, 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 that's my big regret that I didn't have those like hippie early seventies experiences. 
I just yeah, want to writer time. I thought it was gonna la- I thought it was gonna last forever, movie sixties, nearly seventies, and then it didn't last. I just want to go hang out in the Olympic with some women and Richard Meltzer and, and watch some good shit. <laughs> See, that's yeah, what Meltzer was. Meltzer was pretty much the greatest guy you could go to the Olympic with. I mean, he was. He didn't, he didn't give a shit. <laughs> he just didn't give a. He'd pee in his pee in the cup. Uh, <laughs> he'd bring guys along, you know, that hadn't been wrestling the boxing. And they would just get freaked out. He brought John Doe from X one night when he went to the Olympic to see a. Uh, boxing match it was johnny owen against um lupe pintor and owen's got owen got killed in the yeah <laughs> this is john Doe's first, first match and we got you know great seats and all of a sudden uh owen goes down the way he went down you could tell he wasn't ever getting up again and melzer had been sitting in the corner when emil griffith um, killed wow. Benny Kid Perret at yeah. Madison Square Garden, and he still had the shirt with the blood on it. And as soon as he went down, he goes, "That's two. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, Bill is just freaking out. I, I don't think he ever went back to a boxing match again. <laughs> well, that'll do it. If your first match, the guy yeah. dies in the ring right in front of you. Yeah, oh. and not only died, it's should... one of the biggest riots I've ever seen at the Olympics. Oh, really? It's I didn't crazy. know about the riot. Tell me about the riot. Well, they um. We, when we went in, we I was at the first row so we could eat in there. It was a like a thick railing. So we were eating, and we noticed the place filling up, and there was a giant section near ringside that was empty. There was about 100 seats. We couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, right before the matches start, all the guys from Wales, where Johnny Owen was from, come marching in with their white T-shirts with their Welsh flag on it. And the Mexicans just went fucking nuts. They're, all, they're already all shit-faced, so... They just they were waiting for something like that. So they threw everything they ever had at these guys when they came in, <laughs> including everybody was everybody was throwing cups full of beer and pee from the balcony. And it looked like a, a, there was a rainstorm moving through the Olympic. It was so big. And then, so they have the match. Um, the Walsh fans were shit-based. They were getting pretty rowdy. The Mexicans weren't about to be out rowdy. Uh, Pinto was a big favorite. So Owen gets knocked out. So when they're dragging him out of the ring, Owen and all his handlers had their pockets picked. So when they got to the hospital, none <laughs> of them had any money or IDs. <laughs> on, on top of this, they're carting in a guy dying, and they couldn't prove who anybody was. It, and the Welsh fans were just freaked out. And the Mexicans were having a party. And when the Welsh guys tried to leave, it all hell broke loose again. I mean, it really just looked like it was raining inside the building. Hmm. I wish wow. I could have gone to the Olympic. I wish I could have seen boxing and wrestling yeah. and derby at the Olympics so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boxing is fabulous. That place, you know, that place looked like it had such a vibe. But I was always, I was always dismayed that they cheaped out on having a guardrail and robbing people of getting a true front row because they just used the first row of seats as their guardrail. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a picture. I mean, the people with the best seats are so far away because the front row wasn't even that close to the ring. Um, well, no, if you originally, if you see the tapes from the six, if you can see any tapes from the sixties or very early seventies, the front row was right on the side. I mean, if guys bled, yeah. they were, they'd bleed on you. And then they redid it. They did, redid the angle of the floor. And so the, uh, boxers and wrestlers could get into the ring easier. So they flattened out the, ver- the center of the floor and then you were, you know, a few feet away, but I'm telling you, you it was too close sometimes because I went to a fight where, between a guy from Mexico and a guy that 
Jimmy Lennon would go New Mexico, just to give him heat. And uh, <laughs> when the New Mexico guy got knocked out, I mean, all hell broke loose. So I, I used to wear one of those Brockabella hats that Cal Worthington uh, sold. <laughs> you know, it's like an umbrella on your head. And I popped that thing up as soon as the guy went down because I knew it was going to happen. And I mean, he just got so wow. I, was sitting, I was sitting here with Meltzer, and he just took it. But, you know, I had the umbrella, so I didn't have to take it. <laughs> Bob, uh, where are you? I hear the breeze. Are you walking by the beach or something? Um, I'm in the park right now. I haven't been able to swim this week, so I've been walking. Uh, why can't you I usually swim? swim a mile every day. Uh, I, there's an Olympic pool a few miles away from me that I belong to, and I swim there every Bob day. I decided to get a triathlon in during the taping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't know if you were even going to come, so I just decided to walk and swim. Any, uh, you're fading in and out, so before you fade completely out, any recent Leno stories or updates? Ah. Um, I think I thought I sent you an email the other day about his obituary for Walt Harris, the old announcer for Shire's promotion. Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'll have to try it again. But uh, basically, Walt Harris was like a million years old. And the best thing about the old bit was when Lano said, I bought him a plaque. <laughs> I mean, as soon as I heard that, only Lana would buy plaques for people. <laughs> there's no dinner. There's no dinner. There was nothing important happening. He just brought him a plaque. That's that reminds me. Yeah, I haven't gotten an email on the Mike Lano email list since July 17th. No, he's been he's been pretty quiet. He, starts, he does restaurant reviews on some uh, Bay Area sites, and uh, he he just gets weird. And sometimes you see him on Yelp, and you know you cuss him out, and then he disappears. Okay, here here is the. Last email from Lano. This is, like I said, July 17th. This is just the subject line. There's no uh, body to the email. Quote, loser gets demoted to S-down? Question mark. That's reassuring to Fox et al. From Angle Angle with Bailey, spelled B-A-I-L-E-Y. Or was that a threat? Stupid. <laughs> All right. Who did he send that to? I think it's the usual email list. So that's me, Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez, <laughs> Wade Keller. Um, oh, I don't know who Sam Grass is. Oh, everyone needed this uh, update. Oh, this one is Mike Rogers. Oh, oh, very cool. Bring around the Eric Northwest. Eric Schaefer, Alex Marvez, and... Tim Whitehead? <laughs> editor at WrestlingOnline.com. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you find that hilarious? Just the idea, because I mean, it's true. Just all the names are just, you know, so random. <laughs> it's a need yeah. to know basis. He's so great. He's so great. He is the best. He is the best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me add someone to the call. He was actually supposed to be added before, and uh, he was having an issue, a technological issue. But I'm going to add him right now. He's also on the West Coast. Let's have complete silence until he picks up. Hello? Hello, Lucio. Are you a lesbian? Dan Farron. <laughs> yes. Welcome, welcome back to the Super Podcast. On the line for Labor Day Star Wars, David Bixenspan, Scott Cornish, Howard Baum, and the esteemed attorney, Bob Barnett. Oh, this, it sounds like my favorite law firm. That's what these four guys sound like. Yeah. <laughs> so, we were, uh, so, I, can't imagine, I can't imagine what you guys are discussing. What? Dan, Am I what? Don't you have your show tonight? Don't you do your show tonight? Your oh, those are on show? Wednesday nights. Those are on oh, Wednesday uh, nights. 
Uh, what Bob's talking about is that uh, for about the last 18 years, uh, I've been doing, uh, with these other people, we do these storytelling shows where people get up and they tell their real-life stories about lives and whatever. And uh, been, we've been doing that on a Wednesday night for years. And I've occasionally been able to get some wrestlers to come down and do, do shows. That's always interesting. We, you know. um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I had Nigel McGinnis there, and Kurt's done a couple of them. And uh, uh, Rob Van Dam, I, we did one with him one time. So, yeah, I, I, it's always fun to listen to, to people tell stories. I always think the stories are much more interesting than any of the angles of the matches, to tell you the truth. You know, I, I heard a story, oh, yeah. I heard a storytelling show on NPR. I don't know the actual name of it. I know uh, it's a regular show. I just don't listen to it. But I was listening one day mm-hmm. in the car, and it had this amazing story of this guy. And he's just telling a story about coming home from work, and his neighbor gave him a gift, and he loved his neighbor. He was a nice guy. And then one day, the FBI stops him and says, your neighbor's Whitey Bulger. We need you to help us. And he's just telling, <laughs> he's telling the whole story of, like, that day of, like, planning on going to see a concert, but he couldn't go. Because this nice neighbor who had given him gifts that he really liked, he had to help the FBI take this guy down, who also, by the way, happened to be the most wanted man in America. So now like, <laughs> yeah. he has to deal with all this happening at the same time. It's an amazing story. I'll find it, and I'll post it. Yeah, I heard yeah. that story. I can't remember who and, the guy and, was. And, yeah. and Bolger that might have been the my old apartment. What'd you say? That might have been the security guy because they nope. lured Whitey out of his house by saying there's a problem with your car, and that's how they got him to come out. It, it was the neighbor. It was and, the next door neighbor. And dropped his guard. It was the next door neighbor. Yeah. Bob, what did you say? Ah, okay. I used I just wanted to walk away from where Bolger lived in Santa Monica. Walk away. <laughs> did you ever see? He has all the good shit, man. <laughs> Bob. I mean, who knew? Who knew? I'm telling you, man. He would have been one of my favorite neighbors. What a what a neighborhood. Whitey Bulger, Dr. Francois Petit, Bob Barnett, and Keith Emerson. And Dynamite. I know. Think of all the and rock and oh. the wrestling. Oh, come on. It's not even fair. Did you say Donamichi? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and and awesome. what's his name? Uh, Zorro used to walk by our house. Zorro? Uh, Guy Williams. Guy Williams. The yeah. gay blade? No, this is the guy that eventually no, became the father of Lost in Space. Yeah, that was right. the, the father on Lost in Space. Yeah, that was that that was Guy Williams. Yeah, and then I went out with his TV, his TV wife's manager for years. What's her name? June Lockhart, who was Blassie's mom. You went out with her. I went out with the manager of June Lock of June Lockhart for years. You got any good Lassie stories? Uh, <laughs> no, no. June June had a real big mouth, but she didn't tell the dirty stuff. Ah, oh, damn it! Damn it! Yeah. Did, did she hate Barbara Billingsley? No, she never talked about the old stars. Okay. She she just thought she was lucky where she is, and, and she had a manager who really kept her working, even after she couldn't really act anymore. Well, that's that's all you want from a manager. That sounds like a good manager. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Dan, we were talking a little bit yeah. about the Olympic and the atmosphere in there. Bob talked about seeing some boxing, some wrestling. Mm-hmm. What was special about the atmosphere in the Olympic? How can you relate that to uh, someone who's never been there? I've never been there. I've always wanted to go there. I've only seen videos and photos. So uh, tell tell me what I missed. It was the most scariest fun you could have in your entire life. Uh, I mean, uh, I think the best, the only times that I ever attended any shows that came close to having that atmosphere, and I and I think Bob was there that too, was some of those early AAA shows when they would oversell yeah. the sports <laughs> arena. And yeah. you sit there. I, I I was we were here at one show one time, 
And everybody was standing up, and we thought a riot was going to break out. And I looked over, and Mike Tanay was standing there. And Mike Tanay looked scared. And I thought, oh, my God, if Mike Tanay is scared, we're in a really bad situation. Because Mike had been there during the classic days of the Olympic and, and gone through all those riots. And if you read some of the old newsletters that go back uh, even to the 60s and whatever, it's just so nonchalant. Guys will write, they'll say, Okay, then Ernie Ladd hit Tolis in the throat, and Tolis started spitting up blood, and a riot broke out. And then it was like, and then Gorman and Goliath did this, and then a riot broke out. And it was just like, no, oh, it's just another, <laughs> just another Thursday night, Friday night at the Olympic Auditorium. Yeah. I mean, these were the people. You remember, uh, this is this is not one of the high points. I guarantee you, this is something that you will never see in any of the documentaries about the Olympic Auditorium. And I forgot the guy's name, but he was a boxer, and uh, he was actually killed in the ring, and they didn't know he was dead. Yeah, we just talked yeah, about that. Bob was there. Oh, there we go. Yeah. They, they were taking him out on a stretcher, and the fans were throwing shit at it. You know, yeah, well, they were throwing shit at everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. They know they did. it didn't take a lot. It didn't take a lot to get anybody to throw anything at the Olympic. I think one of the things that also made the Olympic um, so interesting was the way the thing was built. Um, when you were in the upper deck. It was almost like you were going straight up a ladder. I mean, the, the incline yeah. of the steps. I mean, it was just straight up, up, up. And I think there was there was part fear from people in there that uh, they, you know they were going to topple forward at any moment, and uh, and that had a lot to do with it too. I mean, you know, if you arrange your seating situation where you're just a little uncomfortable. I, you're be you're going to be much more inclined to rip the seats up and set fire to them and throw them out of the upper deck. <laughs> the good old days. Look like every seat was pointed directly at the ring. Yeah. So, I mean, there was even the worst seat in the place was a great seat. It was, it was just a great place. And the well, bathroom, yeah, was always boxing and wrestling arena, right? That's what it was built for. It was built for the yeah. what, 36 Olympics. It was built in 28, I think. Yeah, uh, somewhere around that. I actually wound, wound up going downtown the library and digging up out of the Herald Examiner the original announcements about the Olympic and how this was going to be the big jewel in the crown, and they really thought that, yeah. you know, uh, this, that this was going to, you know, really change things around there. But yeah, I mean, the way it was when when we did the the, the Secrets of Pro Wrestling special, and, and I stood in the ring and looked at the Olympic from being inside the ring, it was a whole different animal altogether. And I, and I kept thinking, man, I, I'd be scared to death to be in there, and a riot breaks out because there's really no way to there's no way to get out of there. You know, there's no well, way to get out of there. That's that's why they changed the angle of the ringside seats and built a tunnel mm-hmm. that went closer to the ring. So if all hell yeah. broke loose, they, the guys in the ring didn't have to run as far. Because before yeah. that, a lot of them would have to go up to the halls and run down the halls and then back yeah. down into the, the underground. The Olympic Auditorium was one of the few wrestling venues that actually had an underground railroad going underneath it so that you could, you could get away quickly in case you had to. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of... A lot of doors and weird bathrooms and dressing rooms all over the place. Yeah. It was, it was Remember the Starskiing hutch that was uh, shot there? They had a wrestling mm-hmm. episode and it showed you all these different details of the uh, Olympic that you never got to see before. I found that fascinating. There's another uh, great one. If you want to see the, 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 like a lot of the backstage stuff, there was a, uh, a bionic woman they did. Where, because you know, every show at that time had to do you know mm-hmm. something where oh, sort of get involved in wrestling and whatever. And, yeah, and the wrestling Jamie episode became... and, the, and the punk rock episode. Every show had to yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
They always had to yeah. do that, and, and occasionally, if it got really bad, they do a roller derby episode, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it, the, <laughs> the Olympic, it's just again, it, it just had that that flavor. I mean, the, the, I always loved, you know, and we talked about this before on the show. Um, I, you know, the, the the you know the big arenas are nice and, and the stadiums and stuff like that, but you know. Give me a, a place that smells like old socks and popcorn. That's where I want to go to see wrestling. I, you know, yeah. I, I I don't I don't I, I you know the San Bernardino Arena, which has always been my favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I love that place. You'd walk in that place and it just smelled like beer, hot dogs, and vomit. I mean, and that's if you're <laughs> going to watch wrestling, that's where you want. That's, yeah. that's the kind of atmosphere you want. You know, because because in those situations, and this is something that that's really missing these days. When you had weekly shows like that, it, is that you saw the same people every week. You you know the guards were the same guards every week, uh, and it really was a family uh, type situation. A little more closer to the Manson family probably than any other mm-hmm. kind of family, but it still was a family situation, you know, and, uh, you know, and so like the guards would grab someone in a chokehold and drag them up the, the aisle, take them out back and then say, all right, don't, don't do this anymore. Oh no, I'm sorry, angel. I won't do it anymore. You know? And, and that's what's this really kind of missing from, I always considered myself to be very lucky because uh, I became a wrestling fan in 1971. So I got the last 10 years or so of the territories. And then, you know, the WWE took over and there was the cable expansion. And then we got into the attitude era. And, and now we're moving into this kind of weird corporate era, which I'm not positive if I, if I like it or not that much yet, because uh, you know, it is different. But it is, you know, I, I mean, it takes the, you know, it's amazing when I look at it to take a, a place that, a sport that was run, you know, in 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 gymnasiums and and, and you know in in the in backyards of churches and places like that, and look at it now where it's like being done in these giant stadiums and there's cable and then, you know, uh, Sinclair is fighting with the WWE and all this machinations going on behind the scenes. It's really weird to see how this little sport has just turned into this this giant monster that will probably eventually eat itself. It's the trust fund era. The big companies have all the money and so do yep. the workers because they grew up with mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Mm. Bix, what's your take on all this? In what sense? In what Dan just said. What do you think? I feel like, I mean, I don't know if it's relative to the territory he grew up in, but I feel like it is underselling. I mean, granted, it wasn't national then. But yeah. I mean, L.A. was a relatively small territory. I don't mean that in a negative way. Yeah, no, Um, you're right. No, it was. You had to look for the TV anywhere else in the country. Yeah. I mean, the longest drive the guys would have was if they went down to San Diego, that was a couple hours. I mean, most of the time, you know, any place they were going was only, you know, an hour and a half, you know, or whatever. And it was not, I mean... The Olympic was the big fish, of course. I mean, that was the the place you went to. All the other arenas were tiny little cracker boxes, uh, you know, in, in most cases. So, I mean, they, and they always referred to them, of course, as clubs. There was the San Bernardino Club. And there was oh, the San Bruno. Diego that's Club. Bruno. Yeah. yeah. I wrestle yeah. all the clubs. That's... All the clubs want Bruno. And I say, <laughs> oh, there's only so much Bruno to go around. Uh... <laughs> wow, your Bruno is worse than mine. What it gets, about wow. the it gets worse what about each time I do it? Actually, <laughs> well, what about uh, you? What about that? Um, you the, poor the people. arena. 
<laughs> All you poor people, you don't even know this man. No, what about that building in Modesto? Because I always remember as a kid looking at the magazines, and they had these they had these low hanging beams. And even as a kid, I said, "Wow, that looks like you can't even body slam a guy in there." There was a bunch of buildings like that where you were at the top, yeah. or a duck. Yeah. You know, I always I always wonder sometimes. It's it. I don't know if you guys are the same way, but. When I was growing up and I would read the wrestling magazines, everybody else's wrestling always looked more interesting than whatever wrestling area I was in at that time. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, sure. You know. And then when you got there, yeah. it wasn't quite as interesting as you thought it was. You know. It was very exotic. And when you saw a guy from outside of your territory and he would finally come, it would invariably be a disappointment. I can't remember any time anybody showed up and was better than I thought it was going to be. Gordon Sully yeah. would make a big point of saying Milnes Garris, Mr. Wrestling 2, Baron Von Raschke. And one by one, they were just average, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, but the one, territory, the one territory that surprised me, because I was not wise to Memphis before I ever went there in 82 for my first time. And I got there, and it was like all of a sudden the world was in technicolor. It was like living cartoons. Yeah, and I'm it like, was. it was so much better than Florida. So much better than Florida. Florida was great, but it was a serious sport, and it was its own thing. But I didn't know the, the first thing about uh, Memphis. I didn't know who Lance Russell was. And I got there, and just everything was amazing. The little towns, the Mid-South, the TV tapings, and it was just like a cartoon come to life. Everybody was so colorful and funny. And that was the one area that exceeded my expectations. Mm. Harry White used yeah, to talk about that all the time. I mean, he was at ringside in St. Louis for everything from the 60s to the 70s on. And you'd talk to him about it, and he said, oh, yeah, it was incredible. It was amazing. But then I'd see something from Memphis, and I'd say, oh, my God, <laughs> what I wouldn't give to watch that. I mean, well, live, was like Memphis, live, just Memphis was its, its own different thing. And I really, truly feel sorry for anyone who never went to Memphis because it was just so unique, and I don't think anyone can get a feel for it by just watching tapes. If I never went there, I would have been missing so much. You know, pe people could see it, and they could call it whatever they want to call it, but to be there, it was so different. I mean, that's true for everything. I think about that. Like, with Smoky Mountain, everyone could talk about it, but we actually got to experience it and see it. And, like, you know, even, like, uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla or whatever it is, I understand that whole thing. Like, you have to be in the room. You have to experience the room. That's the one thing I regret, you know, in talking about this. I got to go to the ECW arena. I got to go to the Amarillo, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, county fair, whatever the <laughs> fuck that building was. Yeah, I've, I've gotten to go to a few different places, but I never got to go to the Olympic. I never got to go to the Sportatorium. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, I never really think about Florida much, but I guess, you know, Florida, I guess I would want to go to the TV studio almost as much as any of the arenas, although every arena clip I see looks great. But there are certain places I wish I could have gone to. I could still go to Carrickon Hall. That's nice to know. I could still get over there mm -hmm. and any day of the week see a show before 60 people. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I wish I had experienced uh, the Olympics still there. My hope is that one day that Korean church or whatever it is goes out of business and someone <laughs> gets that place back. <laughs> What is it with Korean yep. churches buying wrestling venues? Why? What other venues um, do they buy? Elks Lodge. Go, oh. De La, De La, Chicken De La Hoya said he was going to um, lease the, take a long-term lease on the place and start running boxing again, which I thought would have made him run wrestling again because it's still set up. He doesn't have to do anything, but I haven't heard anything yeah. now. It was about four months ago when he made the announcement. He made a big announcement about it. 
Was he wearing yeah, I, lingerie? I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> what? De La Hoya. Don't you remember, Bix, when those photos came out of De La Hoya wearing lingerie? And then he, no. tried, to say, he tried to say it wasn't him. And then, yeah, it was completely him. <laughs> it was completely well, Where did they come out? In his own Pro Wrestling Illustrated? No, they came out like, this is years ago, where he was being extorted by the person who yeah, took the photos of that. him in the lingerie. Does anyone else remember this? It was, yeah. I'm, go- I'm opening an incognito window to Google this. Why do you have to go incognito for this? Because I don't want to disagree with my searches. What, what exactly are you searching? I searched Oscar De La Hoya lingerie. <laughs> okay, I, okay, TMZ, here we go. Oscar De La Hoya lingerie picks. Quote, bad time in my life. <laughs> what else are you going to say? The only, other well, argument is, said... the only other argument is, I was having a great time. Fuck off. That's the other one. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he should have said he was starting his own uh, apartment house lingerie boxing league. That's what he could have done. You know, something like that. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's always very popular. Too bad he never met Marv Albert. <laughs> okay, that actually reminds me. Did the isn't we were talking about Fred the Elephant Boy earlier? Did the Fred the Elephant Boy like lingerie blackmail video ever make it public? Oh wow, I don't think so. I remember they talked about it on Howard all the time, but I don't think it ever ever came out. Oh, that's Copy good. It. Yeah, he, didn't they like to have to help him? Keep it from getting leaked out. Like it seemed like Howard was intervening in that. He I might have believe. He protected Fred. Hey, listen, listen, guys, I got to get out of here. All right, Bob. I got to leave. This is what we it thought. Was nice happened. seeing everybody again. Nice seeing you. <laughs> too. Talk to you all later. Hey, okay. Take night, care, Bob. Bye. I enjoy the post. Bye. I enjoy the post, man. Thanks. Bye. And there goes Bob. Take Bob. It Frequently banned from Facebook for one reason or another, but a good <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with him, but I don't want to alienate half my audience. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's not really for uh, one reason or another. It's a pretty obvious reason when you look at it. Yeah, yeah. it's one reason actually, specifically. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what were we just talking about? I had a point, and then Bob said goodbye, and I lost my point. What were we talking about? Oscar De La Hoya and, Laund- and Fred the Elephant Boy wearing lingerie. Fred the Elephant Boy. Oh, is Elegant Elliot often still around? Because he was a favorite of mine. Because he was ridiculous. He's alive, but I think he's such a sketchy character that he's just sort of, uh, he's got no other outlet for his mania, but he apparently still 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 lives. Is he still <laughs> running around in Queens in lingerie? Is that Professor Elliot? No, 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 no. no. You don't know Elegant Elliot? Oh, man, Bix, I'm about to expose you to one of the great characters of Uh, all time. (laughs) Elegant Elliot Offen is a guy who showed up on Howard Stern. He was a man who liked to run around in the streets in lingerie. And he talked about how Mm -hmm. it was beneficial. And he also wore makeup. And he denied that he was gay. It was There was something really weird. And he talked in a very interesting way where he would tell you that he thinks you're great. And and I can't even do it. Scott, do you know how he would talk? He would just (laughs) start like... Throwing words together and, and it, you know, it was just such a catchy way of talking, but I haven't. Well, like parlay vu scrambled eggs, Grandma. No, yeah, not not far off from that. Not far but, off from that, but but then he did a complete gimmick change. Yeah, he he he, yeah, he had a really flowery, elaborate way of speaking, and he'd get super hyped up and and uh, begin shouting, and they'd say, "Take it easy, you know, calm down, stop shouting." He goes, "Oh, you don't understand. That's my crescendo." <laughs> 
And then, <laughs> then, then, but then, he, then he switched to, to like an underworld tough guy character, you know, right, right. Five dimes, $5,000, five dimes, right? <laughs> well, that's when he got banned from the Carnegie Deli because apparently he went up yeah. there like beat up some guy stage deli he beat joe corson joe corson that was the name he kept saying the stage deli joe corson i punched his face in right and then they disrespected my father right they banned him from sirius because one of the promos he did he punched a hole in the wall and then they wouldn't let him up at sirius anymore and then he started like attacking howard it's the typical thing as soon as howard doesn't want to work with them they all start complaining about howard and everything i think i think this was a rare case where that guy was legit, legitimately nuts, and they, and uh, it was getting into a more uh, sensitive area where uh, he was very concerned about his. Per- Stern was very concerned about his personal security. They were really, in this case, very right to keep that guy away from them. So they banned him from the building, and then he disappeared. Well, wait a second. Why would Howard be concerned about his personal security? He has Ronnie the limo driver. <laughs> <laughs> The best is the Jesus twins. You guys remember the Jesus twins? I found them too annoying to even watch. That whole thing is the greatest performance from beginning to end because the Jesus twins are amazing. The heat they generate and they get everyone like together to hate them. But the manager, Jonathan Mendelson, that guy takes it to a whole nother level. That guy's such a star and it's yeah. so ridiculous. And yeah. that's it. Like there's what, like four appearances, five appearances? Or maybe yeah, not even that many, but and then he could, just gone. Couldn't, couldn't sustain it, and one of them had one of the Jesus twins had some real severe mental problems, and eventually got. Uh, he, I think he, he got shot. On, he pulled a gun on police, and they shot him in Los Angeles. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hmm. What do they call that when you're almost begging the police to shoot you? Oh, it's oh, a, uh, suicide, suicide by, cop. by cop. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I tell you, I'm not the world's biggest Stern fan, but I think I I like the WOR era the best. And I've got to say, as far as a local station and growing up in Jersey, and even when we were here, I think WOR is like the best local station. Oh, the best between Easy. Joe Franklin, Loved between it. Joe Franklin, Creature Feature, WWF, Kiner's St- Corner, Stern. Well, I'm not a, I'm a uh, sports guy, but um, you know. I mean, WWF I don't think there's wrestling. a local station that uh, I, I only like the fake sports, but I, um, yeah, I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge WOR guy. Joe Franklin, like we don't have any of that stuff uh, anymore. They have everything. Oh, oh. Apparently they're sitting on all their tapes. They have everything going way back, I believe. Oh, that wow. would be something. Have you ever that seen um, the show that Joe Piscopo briefly had on WOR, Brian? And have any of you mm-hmm. else ever seen it? No, no. When was that? Uh, there's an episode that's on YouTube. And it's it's interesting. It's kind of like Joe Piscopo's version of the Magic Hour. What what year is it? From the eighties or the nineties? Hold on, let me look it up. Those Stern shows go go back and watch them. They're in another world. You couldn't even try to air that shit on TV now. It's amazing. I love the New Stern York Prime WR Joe shows. Piscopo was... from nineteen ninety one. Ninety one. I don't even remember that. No. Hmm. Remember, my introduction to Joe Piscopo wasn't on Saturday Night Live. It was. The commercials on WWF for him when he was on steroids, talking about like whatever the protein powder was he was. Oh, which was it? Um, it w- or was he just doing hits for GNC? I don't even remember. But that that was my introduction to Joe Piscopo, and then I found out that he was Eddie Murphy's sidekick. Yeah, when I when I first started seeing the SNL reruns on Comedy Central from those seasons, I was like, 
The Cybergenics guy? Yeah, okay, because yeah, I came up. It was Cybergenics. <laughs> I still remember the ECW fucking commercial because they couldn't get any sponsors, so it was the same commercial during every single break. And it was for <laughs> some fucking protein powder. And oh, they had this what was it called? Big muscle head, and they're like, this guy uses the leading brand. And they ask him, like, what do you use? And I remember exactly and what they he bleep said. It. They bleep it. And he me. says, he goes, I, uh, use, I use a weight gainer, OKG, aminos, a carb drink, and a high potency mega pack from beep, the leading brand. Uh, no, it, the, the interviewer says, ah, the leading brand. And then they tell him how much he could save. And the guy goes, whoa, looks like I should do that. Or whatever he says. It, no, it's whoa. Looks like it's time for a new leading yeah, brand. Whoa. Yeah, that commercial was on every episode of ECW for at least like the first year on MSG. How about the early days of ECW when they had Maddie in the house and uh, uh, Stately Wayne uh, Manor? I don't remember Stately Wayne in ECW. That was probably even earlier. He was very, very brief. I don't know if he ever made it to TV, but I believe that he like started with them and then it just didn't work. And he was. I don't know. I know this. It was the pre sports channel TV tapings. Yeah. Where so it was like well him and Dick Graham. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it wow. was like before he, anybody would have known about it. I didn't know that. So the, the, but that Maddie, that Maddie in the house sure was annoying, though, huh? Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Matt LaMatt. <laughs> that's how badly Paul Heyman wanted to get into the China Club. He was willing to put their bouncer on his fucking TV show. Oh, that's, that's what that was? <laughs> yeah, wasn't he the bouncer from the China Club? I didn't know. I, I knew he was a friend of Paulie's, but I didn't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was the promoter of the of uh, a couple of venues, but it was some. It was a nightclub connection. Bix, hmm. Matt Lamatt. What can you find out? Matt Lamatt. Yeah, I think it's M A T T L E, and then Matt is a separate word. I could be wrong, but I believe that's uh, how he spells it. Matt yeah, he was Lamatt. bad for the business. Yeah. ECW in '94 was rough at time. I mean. Everyone was kind of going crazy for it at the time in tape trading circles. Billy Watts. You you watch back now and it's just I don't know. It's well, a here's lot my of favorite thing. Rough. It's rough. I, I know well, it's a melange because it's, it's, it was halfway between a traditional independent show and halfway between what ECW would become. So you would have your Tommy Kairos who were coming up and these local guys that Paulie was going to mold, but it was still the Eddie Gilbert era and they were booking by traditional independent standards. So you would have like they would bring Don Morocco in. But they weren't ECW yet, so they would bring Morocco, Snooka, some big names with locals. Then it morphed. Then Paul E. came in and took all these guys and brought the best out of them. What I've noticed, before, and, they didn't, and, they, and then they didn't have room for the Moroccos and the Snookas because they didn't fit into the mold of what ECW was to become. Well, plus Morocco, I hate to say because I'm a Morocco fan, was done by that point. And as the fan story, I know, I know. Totally. we've talked about it on the show. Scott, friend of yours, someone I know, Chuck Wepner. Or Chuck Weber, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Weber was uh, at the ECW arena one time, and uh, he was very, very loud. He's the guy who, when I was at Madison Square Garden and Georgia Macropolis, a seat in the second row, I heard from behind me, and I turned around to see him and Greg Greenland, and he was the one during the Hunter Hearst Helmsley, uh, Freddie Joe Floyd match. He was just, he, I shouldn't even say he was yelling. He was saying it so loud, and everyone was reacting and laughing. He went, hey, Levesque! Are you still blowing Kowalski? And everyone heard this, <laughs> including Hunter, because Hunter like comes over to the rope and starts like, I don't even know what he was saying. You know, that thing where you point and you do something. But he just he was smiling and Greenland's next to him just laughing. And he's just like, you're blowing Kowalski, aren't you? I know it. I'm just yelling at him. But Chuck in ECW, the famous line was, 
Morocco's out there one day and he yells, Hey, Stacks, Morocco! <laughs> and Morocco <laughs> was not happy about that. <laughs> but he was a lot uh, bigger at that point in his life. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I but, found I mean, Maddie in the time... house. Tell me about wow. Maddie in the house. Okay. Um, it's Matt Dumat. Thankfully, Google is able to correct it and help me find more stuff, okay? I think Matt Lemat sounds better. He should go with that. But it's M-A-T-T space D-E space M-A-T-T. This is from the website Black Book. Matt DeMatt, a character with a character. I'll, I'll put the link in the Skype chat for those of you who are actually on Skype so you can see the picture of him with Eddie Murphy. Because, of course, there's a picture of him with Eddie Murphy. Um, okay. The word character has multiple meanings in trying to tell people about gaslight owner Matt DeMatt. This is from 2009. He certainly is a character, having been a doorman and subsequently a friend to celebrities like Bruce Willis, Mick Jagger, and scores of page six names. Oh, sorry. <laughs> He's been an actor appearing in movies like The Professional as part of Gary Oldman's Bad Cop Crew. Now I need to check that out because I need to see him as part of uh, Stan's backup. I just opened uh, this search- up. Forget that. I want to see him in Searching for Bobby Fischer with Lawrence Fishburne and, Fishburne and Serving. Yeah. And a couple flicks with pal Mickey Rourke. When Mickey went up to prison for research on his on a character, he brought Matt along to play his cellmate. I, I'm not sure what to think about that. Uh, <laughs> he lands these 20 lines or under parts, because they don't want to say extra, playing a badass. He's been a wrestling announcer for the ECW, now WWE. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the ECW. There's, even a book, there's even a book coming out about his life called War Stories. The first four chapters of this tome, quote, written by a New York Times writer, I guess Matt is saying, are war stories, door stories, horror stories, and more stories. Uh, <laughs> hold, on, hold, on, self- hold on, hold on, hold on, hold <laughs> on, stop, 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 stop. The fr- I'm going to read this again. The first four chapters of this tome, in quotes, written by a New York Times writer, <laughs> are war stories, door stories, horror stories, and more stories. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Go ahead, Biggs. I'm sorry. He's a self-professed, quote, live and die by a handshake, not trying to be a celebrity, just trying to be a nice guy, putting out a good product type of guy. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he put out a lot of good product. Well, if this like is Walter some, White. Like this press release. That <laughs> someone who's not, <laughs> okay, someone who's not okay. trying to be a celebrity, he's doing an outstanding job. <laughs> okay, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Skip ahead a bit. Um, something about some he other club. Francois Petit. <laughs> <laughs> he hopped at Paulie Herman's Cafe Central, Pacino, De Niro, and Harvey Keitel. He was a fixture at Club A with owners Carlos and Pele. Yes, that Pele. He helped the legendary Jimmy, excuse me, Jerry Brandt and Tommy Pooch open up Spodiote on Way West 23rd Street where the strip joint now sits. There it was, Malcolm Forbes and his biker boys, Zeppelin lead, Robert Plant, Rod Stewart, Rick James, Axl Rose, Edgar Winter, and Keith Hernandez. Yeah, that Keith Hernandez. (laughs) Their all-star jams with the Stones, studio musicians, and others brought special guests and anything-can-happen attitude. Matt owned Thursday nights. He was at Le Barbat, with my dear departed friend Joyce for a six-year stay. By the way, that's what it was. It wasn't the China Club. It was Le Barbat. Mm. And that's probably why there. I thought it was Matt Le Matt, because it's Le Barbat. 
he got mentioned briefly in the Times in '96. What is this article? <laughs> it's who owns the knife? Promoters. And talking about that Labarbat place. Oh, jeez. Um, well, hey, we're still talking about him today. So that was the move, though. Heyman wanted to hang out in all these nightclubs, and all he needed was one guy to be a wrestling fan. All he needed was mm. one. And Matt Lamette's running. He's one of the kings of the nightclub scene. Paul wants to hang out and I don't know, watch people, whatever it is that he does. And Matt gets him in. So what? What does he do? He puts him on TV. Maddie in the house. And boy, was that awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was bad. You know what? If you're watching ECW from that era, too, you need to look out for is when Joey Styles quits to go just do his day job. Listen to Jay Sully in that era, who no longer talks like old Jay Sully, but instead Heyman is just feeding him the same lines he was feeding Joey Styles. So you have, like, flippant trying to be cool version of Jay Sully. I like the first time they repackaged him when they tried to make Jay Sully, who was really just a... A, a not good announcer, if I could be uh, blunt about it. They repackaged him as Jay Sixpack Sully. Remember? And he came out and he was mm-hmm. drinking. Drunk, yeah. Yeah, and then that went away. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and they moved on. They gave the drunk gimmick to the Sandman instead. <laughs> oh, gimmick. It, well, they, they allowed him to broadcast his <laughs> drunkenness publicly and wrestle in such a state. He's sober now, though. He's been sober for several years. People forget. Scott, do you remember? I mean, Dan, you were on the West Coast. I don't know if people out there would have been talking about it, but me and Scott knew people that went to a lot of the shows. When they did the Sandman mm-hmm. Tommy Dreamer angle where Sandman went blind, I could tell you a lot of those ECW regulars in Philly thought it was real. Like, they believed it. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually, the reason I think that that uh, always worked, that was actually the very first few ECW shows I saw because uh, a friend had uh, had one of those big old giant ass dishes in their backyard where, you know, you could pick up, uh, you know, Memphis and ECW and and any any other dog and pony show that was going on. And uh, again, I did, as, as they always say, and I hate to be one of those guys that does that. It was just so simple and so easy. And I think deep down, everybody kind of knew where this was going, but at the same time, you know, it, it just was, was done so, so perfectly. And I remember everybody was trading the, the tapes out here at that time. That was, you, you run around the late Eric Caden was always a, a, a big, uh, a big source for all that stuff. You would go in there and Eric would, you know, have four or five tapes behind the counter. Oh, you got to watch this. You got to watch that, you know? Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I do miss sometimes when it felt real. I mean, the first, the very first angle that I remember that felt real to me was when Jimmy Valiant turned heel and uh, and beat up Jay Strombo and bloodied him with uh, with Albano. They they did the famous one of many uh, wrestler of the year uh, broken trophies over somebody's head, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 those things felt really really real at that point. And uh, I don't know if it's possible for us to feel like anything is real anymore. When, nah. was, when was the last time you felt something in wrestling was real? Um. You know, it would have to go back. I always like it's. It's always a kind of a fallback for me because stuff with Lucha, uh, because the fans are uh, are are so into it and everything. It, it's so easy for them to get bent out of shape over uh, little things. I mean, there's a very popular uh, tag team uh, out here uh, called the KKK uh, that, that work Lucha shows, <laughs> and they wear they come to the ring in in, in a uh, in, in in the hoods. And the robes, uh, which are made up uh, to, to look like American flags, and they throw tortillas to the crowd. 
And uh, yeah, I mean that that sets things off. But I was again going back to that those AAA shows that we talked about. You know, they oversold the sports arena. Uh, you know, there were people sitting in the aisles, and you really literally couldn't move one way or the other. And they lived and died on everything that happened in that ring that night. And one of the things that's always stayed with me was uh, everybody stood up. No one sat down. So then everybody started jostling around each other and throwing shit at each other because they couldn't see something. And this one father thought it'd be a good idea to take his small child and put him on, on his shoulders so, you know, so that he could see better. Well, the fans hated it because now the kid's blocking the ring. So they, people start throwing things at the kid to try to, oh. get, to get him down off the father's shoulders, you know, and the father can't hear. And the kid's screaming, you know, like from bloody murder, you know, take me down, take me down, whatever. And the father can't hear him because he's too busy yelling at the ring, too. I mean, that stuff, uh, you know, anytime that I'm in an audience and it, it happens so rarely where it, it feels like at any second it's that it, it, it's, it's something's going to burst or something's going to break. Um, that's when it really feels real to me. I mean, one of my favorite scenes from the old Vivian Vachon wrestling queen um, documentary from years and years ago was, I forgot who it was, but they were down South someplace and somebody, one wrestler had insulted this guy's mother and this guy burst into tears and had to be held back from the police. Uh, and he said, no one talks about my mama that way. No one talks about my mama that way. You know, <laughs> and they had to hold the guy back. And that's, that doesn't exist anymore. And like I said, I don't, um, sometimes, you know, I, I think I, I have a tendency. Yeah. It could. I mean, as soon as I that happened, to watch. let's say that exact thing happened, Dan, someone mm-hmm. would go on Twitter yeah. right away and say, you're not going to believe this. This asshole wrestler yeah. just mm-hmm. insulted right. this woman and ruined this man's day. How dare you? Right. And then the wrestler will yeah. say, I was playing a character. I'm very sorry if I upset anyone. I did not mean <laughs> to do that. I'm just a working man. Like every, It's just the same thing happens. But yeah. That was a regular occurrence every day in wrestling. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and that's what you expected to do. That's, that's what you were supposed to do. Uh, one of my favorite John Tolis angles was this: uh, these fans had given – um, had given the medic, one of many medics out here, uh, a portrait of his father, the original medic, supposedly, and told us to uh, grab the, uh, the paying, of course, and smashed it over the medic's head. And when they asked him, why did you do that? He goes, ah, I never liked the kid's old man anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and that's all that it needed. That, that, I mean, that literally, again, you would see them, you know, coming through the ropes. And, and I, I saw that. Uh, several times. I mean, that's just, that's just something that, uh, again, everybody's, everybody's too hip for the room. That's what it comes down yeah. to. Everybody's too hip for the room. And it's something that we sacrificed a long time ago to be smart fans. You know, yeah. uh, though when I was a kid before, I didn't start reading the newsletters and I didn't really see any of that stuff. I, I think the very first new newsletters I saw that weren't K Faber, Michael Harris. Uh, the combat sports because the golden apple, the comic book store out here started selling those, um, you know, over the counter. And from there, I, I, I found the observer right after WrestleMania three. Uh, but prior to that, I would still watch the shows and go, Oh, I, I, I know this is going to happen. And that's going to happen. This, some of the stuff was so telegraphed, but again, sometimes that's not the worst thing in the world. Sometimes it's, it's good to telegraph stuff. Sometimes it's, it's good to lay that out there. Because when I was a little kid, the very first time I saw wrestling, uh, my father said to me, oh, don't believe it, Danny. It's, it's not real. It's fake. 
And well, my father told me that, so I, I never did. So I was never, ever at a point anywhere in my life where I ever believed wrestling was real, even as a small child, you know, yeah. uh, which is always funny because people yeah. say to me sometimes, how did you become a fan? And I said, uh, it's just, it's, it's just full contact improvisation. That's what it is. That's what I yeah. like about it. You know? Yeah. It was, right. It was wild. It was funny. It was, you know, it was crazy, violent. <laughs> what do yeah. you need? I always call wrestling sports without the boring stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I mean, and, and this is not, not, it's not to say that I don't enjoy stuff now. Uh, actually, I have a lot of fun. Um, I don't make my wife watch wrestling. Okay. I, I have to clarify that because a lot of people give me a hard time about that, but she does like to watch certain things and she never really watched wrestling growing up, but she, the stuff that she gravitates toward, listen, listen, this. my wife, my wife of 38 years, she'll watch all Japan. She'll watch NXT. She doesn't want to watch WWE because it's stupid. You know, she wants to watch, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, my wife came to me and said, Hey, that Jericho is going to be in Japan. Can we watch that match? Really? You know, it, it, to me, it's like, it's like the old joke of, it's like the old joke of I could just find a girl whose father owns a liquor store. I'd be set, you know? And for me, you know, I found a, a woman who actually was interested in professional wrestling, but she liked yeah, she's cool she that watched, Mary. Yeah. When we watch that, and, and you know, the when we watch the, 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 the network shows, she wants to watch the non kayfabe shows. She wants to see them like the, the, the dinners for three and that kind of stuff. She wants to see the stuff where they're talking real and they're being real about it. She doesn't want to see all the, all the bad acting. You know, she, she, we can watch any crappy movie on Netflix and see that stuff, but she wants to see the stuff that's real. And again, mm-hmm. I just don't know if, if we can ever get the genie back in the bottle. And uh, it's, it, it just has to, to morph and transform into, into whatever's next. You just need you know? one person. And with again, money. you need one person with money yeah. who actually mm-hmm. has good instincts, who will say, we're doing something completely different than what everyone else. WWE is, a sometimes silly product, which has these silly skits all the time and has all these other things and this ramp and this thing and everyone else copies every single thing they do. But, they're, but they're, yeah. if you're on the indie scene, you get a pass. But if you if you do any yeah. of that stupid shit in the WWE, you know, they would go crazy, these fans. Well, but you need I, one guy yeah. to say, I do not like any of this. I'm not going to have guys come out on a ramp and do fucking poses like they're gymnasts right. or anything else. And I'm going to have promos and I'm going to have a controlled setting where I can get things going in the right way. You need one person to do that. And uh, yeah. unfortunately there's no one in the current crop of people doing wrestling capable of that. Yeah. Well, and here's something I, I wondered. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Vic. That's okay. uh, why do you think Mark Cuban hasn't gone further when you consider how big a wrestling fan he is and how much money he has? Maybe because he realizes how much money he would lose. That's what I was thinking. Because you have to be able to scale it, and you need to have the you need to have to really be able to keep the overhead in check. And I would say nine out of ten, if not a a higher uh, ratio, would completely fuck yeah. it up right away. It's well, the thing is, they they everybody has to realize anybody. And I said this to guys before. You know, they'll say, "Oh, I want to I want to put some money in some wrestling shows." And I say, "Are you prepared to lose money for several years before you, maybe, if you're lucky, you see anything?" Because that's just the way it works, you know. And it, it depends upon how much you know. We hear those stories all the time about those poor suckers who all of a sudden they inherit all this money and they go, "I'm going to put on a wrestling show," and, they and then they it. get stripped clean. They get it's like one of those Bugs Bunny cartoons. 
is where they find the, you know, the, 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 the buzzard skeleton in the desert. I mean, that's how badly they get, they get stripped clean. And, uh, you know, nobody really, everybody wants to be, I mean, I've worked for so many guys that, you know, owned jewelry stores and they wanted their girlfriend to be a, a, a valet and they wanted to be a heel, uh, you know, a heel manager. And, and, and their best friend is, is, is an undiscovered world champion. And nobody ever really wants to do it. The shows because they want to put on good shows. So they do stuff. They always want to do it because they, they, they have something down the line. They want to get to, they, they have something that they, you know, their friend or their person or whatever. I want to impress somebody by using wrestling. And that's always yep. been the thing that's always made me nuts. One of the reasons why I think that, that I had a nice run out here was because I was one of the few guys that wasn't a wrestler and wasn't interested in being a wrestler. So I had no ego. I didn't put myself in any kind of angles and everything because of the fact that there was no reason to, that's not what I was interested in, but everybody always, you know, everybody guys would come to me and they always say, I had this great idea uh, for, for an angle. And I would say, does it involve you or does it involve somebody else? Well, it involves me. And I said, then I don't want to hear it. Because it, this is your kind of, you want to put yourself over. You're not interested in, in the product or making anything, you know, you know, better. You just want to put yourself over, and that's the frustrating part that uh, that uh, that always drives me crazy about wrestling. It's such a, a love hate relationship. Well, there are so many people out there now. I mean, I never saw an independent card uh, growing up. I only saw the whenever the WWF came to town, and now. <laughs> You can barely go anywhere uh, where there's just constant. There are people that have no problem setting up really small shows. I don't know what yeah. their end goal is. Uh, some of it's just a just a gimmick to get people to to go to their their, their sketchy, uncredited training uh, school or, or yeah. whatever it is. But I'll tell you a story about a promoter over in. Uh, near Albany in Troy, New York. He runs a really great rock and roll club. Not a huge place, but I've seen a bunch of great shows there. And uh, we were talking about this and that. And he said, yeah, he said a local wrestling promoter called me the other day. He said he wants to come over and look at the space to see about running shows here. And I kind of chuckled because the place is, is okay. It's big enough to have a small, small wrestling show. Uh, but the, the promoter says, or the guy I was talking to says, the promoter says, yeah, I want to come over and look at your building and see if we can run a wrestling show here. And Brian, the, the owner of the club, says, well, if I put a ring in the middle of this place and we put open the space around it for people to, to sit or stand, he says, I don't think you can even get 200 people in here. And the promoter says to Brian, man, if I ever drew 200 people, I'd shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> So dare, dare to dream. But here's the thing, though. <laughs> New York, you can't, because of all the commission-required stuff, the scale is not there to do that kind of bar show the way it is in other states. What currently is the commission-required stuff in New York State? Um, promoter's license, obviously. Um, How much insurance? I've, I've heard conflicted stories. Okay, oh, I forget. Well, there's only like one company that sells the policies to – I don't remember exactly how much insurance. I've heard conflicting stories on if you need to be bonded. Um, and then the you know, doctor at the shows, 
ambulance at the shows. That's the big expense is the ambulance because you can get a doctor to come and be the doctor for the show. Yeah, that's nothing. And take the blood pressure. Yeah. Renting the ambulance plus the commission percentage, but that was already there. It just went up. The, the ambulance is where it gets expensive because no matter how much your building costs, you get a free building. You're out at least a thousand dollars just on the ambulance. If a wrestler owns yeah. an ambulance company, are you allowed to book him on the show if you're going to use his ambulance? Well, it's funny you ask that. I forget which. <laughs> oh, it's oh no, it's a uh, Finbar's in South Brooklyn. One of the reasons that's a big indie wrestling venue for New York City, even though it's all the way out in South Brooklyn in the kind of like you know Brighton Where? Beach, Gravesend oh, type Beach. area. Okay, okay. But that the kind of like that general part of South Brooklyn. The reason that's a big indie wrestling venue is because for some reason Finbar's has their own ambulance. It's Brighton Beach. It's Russian money. I don't know if it's exactly Brighton Beach. Beach. Did I say Brighton Beach? Um, (laughs) But that general area, I'm saying South Brooklyn, Brighton Beach, Gravesend, etc. But one of the reasons that that's a big indie wrestling venue that a lot of promotions run is they have their own ambulance. So if you run that venue, even though it's very far from so much stuff it's worth running if you can get fans to come because you don't have to pay for an ambulance. See, that's now, fascinating to me because I've lived out here in California since I started doing shows in 1990, uh, refereeing or doing whatever on them in all that time. I never once worked on a show that had an ambulance. Never, ever once. I worked on a show that had like a golf cart where they would throw a guy on back of and, and roll him out of the arena. But I never, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, and, and I've, I've heard stories yeah. about that, you know, the, you know, about how they, they, uh, you know, about how important the ambulance is. But then again, you know, since 1990, was, you know, you didn't need to have a license to promote wrestling in California. Right. Um, it's got deregulated. Yeah, got deregulated, and there and there's and and but I have never and I've always been amazed because I've worked shows where I've I've been surprised where people haven't been killed. I mean, I worked a show where one guy was doing a a leap into the ring and fell and landed on his head. <sighs> you know, the 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 guy did a job to the ropes on the way into the ring is what he did. You know, uh. and then he was then he was like. They, they, he was, you know, there was, a, it was really scary for a while and, and they took him back and he was okay. And then he said to me right afterwards, so when am I going to get my big break? And I said to myself, I think you just had it, you know, it's, it's, uh, but I mean, I, I think, I think, I think there should be doctors at this stuff. I think there should be ambulance at this stuff, especially when you got the, the stuff that these guys are doing now. I mean, for God's sake, well, I can't imagine an ambulance company. They would, they would have looked at triple mania over the weekend and go, uh-uh, I ain't going anywhere near that. I ain't going anywhere near that. You know? Well, they wouldn't have but, definitely uh, would have gone anywhere near Vampira with all the farting going on. What? <laughs> you didn't see this? Hold on. I no, 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 no. Stop right now. I did see one clip where someone said that, the loud noise was actually the sound of Vampiro's farts being picked up by the microphone. Did it happen more than once? No, that was the one clip. But there was an awkward silence, and Stryker clearly thinks that Vampiro farted. Has everyone heard this, or should we play it? I haven't heard it. I heard the part where he's asking for his music. Yes, not pressing the, like, direct-to-the-back button on his headset. So it just goes out <laughs> on the stream that he's demanding they play his music. And poor Striker, yeah, poor Striker, you know what I mean, though. He's, uh, the, wor- is, he's the worst commentator of all time. He's trying to cover by saying, oh, Vampiro sure? wants the psychological advantage of having his music played. 
Uh, <laughs> are you, are you, not bad. I mean, what else are you going to say? Are you sure it was Vampiro farting or just Stryker's commentary? That's the whole question. I'll tell you, as, soon as, you hear, as soon as you hear Matt Stryker's involved with a project, it's like you, right away you could just tune it out. Like, oh, no. Yeah. He is so mm-hmm. bad. And it says a lot about either the lack of good commentators in circulation for wrestling or the lack of commentators getting opportunities. But he is so bad that he has go-home heat, and I don't understand why anyone would still hire him not understanding that. He has go-home heat as an announcer. But he was the least yeah. of the problems at that Triple Mania. The, the <laughs> highlights or lowlights or whatever you want to call them, it, it's astonishing. I've never seen a disaster on that level in, in a long, long time. You watched it? <laughs> No, no, I just watched a really lengthy wrap-up of all the disastrous things that happened. Oh, I haven't seen that no. yet. There was uh, the guy, one of the guys who do the, like, everything wrong, wrong with X movie or whatever type videos did everything wrong with it's, Triple Mania. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I and, didn't see this. Oh, my yeah, God. I need to see it, too. I haven't watched it yet. I heard about it. Okay, I have the video queued up. Um, Matthew of Botchamania's Twitter upload of the video as of this recording has 242,000 views. All right. And here Any, it comes. Anything we need to know before we hear it? No. Okay. Not really. All right. Let it rip. So here we go. Something's going to happen. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Okay. Uh, now, whoa. <laughs> I mean, wait a minute. Even if you fart, the fart was louder than Vampiro's actual voice. How could that be a fart? And the He's adjusting his line. mic, but what would sound like that? Let's hear it again. So here we go. Something's going to happen. Oh! Wow. Okay. <laughs> now, whoa! <laughs> it can't be a fart. It can't be. <laughs> Who thinks? Does anyone think it's a fart, or does anyone think it's something else? Something's got to happen. It's... <laughs> it sure sounds like it, but it could easily be like, you know, the twisting of a headphone or something like that. I've yeah. never heard a mic being adjusted that sounded like that. I've never right. heard a fart picked right. up on the mic. You want to tell me Jim Ross wasn't cutting him at ringside there's... for years? Come on. <laughs> but there's uh, a thing. Oh, oh, did you see the Jim Ross thing today, by the way? I have no idea. What was a it? certain convention um, where he was doing a live thing tweeted that Rey Mysterio was going to be the special guest. And... This was up for hours. I don't know if it's still up because when I tweeted it, I did a screenshot because oh, his name it got deleted. Yes, it had him as Jick Toss. <laughs> J-I-K-T-O-S-S. And it stayed up for hours. Oh, I love flubs. My favorite still, those morons that used to run Ring of Honor, the biggest bunch of fucking idiots and crooks, I, I may add. Lying. Wait, which dirt. error are we talking about? I'm talking about Pre Sinclair. That fucking. When you negotiated with them. Okay. Oh, yeah, when I was doing business with them. The biggest bunch of fucking talentless idiots. They deserve the worst shit in the world. But anyway. <laughs> Tell us how I, you really feel uh, about Sid. Oh, no. I, I, it's, Sid was the least of the problems, believe it or not. Really? Everyone, everyone wants to blame Sid. You should look at the top. Look at the guy who was actually telling Sid what to do. It was the whole good cop. You know, whenever anyone leaves WWE and you hear like, oh, you know, Vince loves me. It's just, you know, Triple H doesn't like me. Or, you know, it used to be John Laurinaitis doesn't like me, but Vince loves me. It was the same thing with Ring of Honor. Everyone be like, oh, you know, they, I love the, the moron in charge. It's just the office that's, no, they're all fucking dirtbags together. Uh, and yeah. by the way, like I said before, Horrible human beings, just despicable, horrible <laughs> human beings. And yes. those idiots 
because they really wanted to get it in the newspaper that they were in Madison Square or not Madison Square Garden. I should have said yes there. Just I was just kind of res- saying go on and now. Yeah. Well, but those idiots when because they Carrie's going to be very happy when he hears this. Clearly, he, fuck him. He's such a <laughs> cunt. Honestly, Carrie oh. Silken. <laughs> Carrie Silken is another guy who should be thrown into a fucking wood chipper. A you know, Carrie listens to this show. I know Carrie. He's obsessed with the show. Everyone who's on the show tells me Carrie hits them up and begs them to be his friend. Fuck Carrie Silken. He is a crook and a liar and a dirtbag piece of shit. He joins JBL in the wood chipper club. Throw that motherfucker in a wood chipper. If you see him at Ring of Honor, just remember when you see him and he wants to shake your hand. He is a dirtbag piece of shit. And I will say that uh, to everyone, whoever wants to know about him. And there's a lot more I could say. Believe me. There's a lot more, and I probably will say it pretty soon. Well, but anyway, these idiots. On a related note. Well, hold on. Let me finish my well, fucking story. Bix. Dick Toss is still up after nine hours. <laughs> well, they. <laughs> but these idiots uh, for the Hammerstein Ballroom show, they put an ad in the paper that said tickets available on the door, not at the door, on the door. <laughs> Which is still one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. And uh, they tried to defend it. Oh, no, the newspaper made a mistake. No, it's because you guys are fucking idiots who can't do anything except lose money. They say that in England. So probably Nigel McGinnis called the ad in. uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That on the door. Oh, but seriously, though, one of the biggest dirtbags ever. And everyone who left Ring of Honor who was like, oh, Sid, Sid. It was Carrie Silken. He's the fucking guy. Sid had no power. It was coming from Carrie. Carrie is one of the biggest dirtbag liar piece of shits I've ever fucking dealt with. And I'll say that. And if you listen to this show, you know who I am. You know how I am. You know, I try to be honest about every fucking thing. Carrie Silken should be in a fucking wood chipper, period. So uh, <laughs> that's what I said. So uh, New York State Athletic Stronger words to follow. Uh, but anyway, what were we going to say, Bix? I don't know. Um, oh, <laughs> how did we even get on that? I don't know. Okay. Um, I was going to – with the – somehow, I don't even remember how we got away from that whole thing. With the ambulance thing, like the other thing, though, is that um, you need to have the ambulance there for the show to go on. It's like with it, if you do an MMA or boxing or kickboxing card. So like, if someone gets hurt and needs the ambulance, if you only have one ambulance, yeah. you're basically just tending to them in the ambulance until an ambulance you call comes. <laughs> yeah, what do you, I didn't even think about that whole idea. If you're paying $1,000 to get the ambulance there, what happens if you use it in the first match? Yeah, you either need to have two ambulances or you're just keeping them there in an ambulance with the MTs tending to them until the other ambulance gets there. Yeah. Crazy. No, how but many, I mean, I've been at shows where they needed it, though. Right, like, but how many states require it? That's hmm. what I'd like to know. For specifically ambulances, I don't know. But I mean, last year, it was October at the October House of Glory show. Um, Chris Seaton of the New York Wrecking Crew tag team does a moonsault, lands wrong, breaks his femur. <sighs> and it was, it's the, it's the, in terms of like the way the wrestler was acting, it's the most gruesome injury I've ever seen live because he hits a moonsault. What kind of weird, like, I think, or it may have been a missed moonsault spot. He's, he's, he's yelling. I'm talking to my friend when I'm there with him. I'm like, is he selling? He keeps screaming. He rolls to the floor, still screaming. And we're like, he's not selling. So eventually the screaming stops because he's passed out from the pain. And then 30 seconds later, he wakes up screaming again. Ugh. Wow. This, this is why I don't go to wrestling. This is one of many reasons why I don't go to wrestling. <laughs> I'm getting you to come to at least one show Mania weekend. I got invited actually to a show tomorrow night, not far from me. A friend of mine 
Uh, I, w- I won't say who right now because I don't know if he wants this out there, but a friend of mine uh, from outside of wrestling is doing something with the show and asked me to come, and uh, I'm not going to be able to, but I uh, was asked actually to go to a show here in New Jersey tomorrow, but uh, I, ain't, I ain't fucking going. <laughs> you know what promotion? I'm not, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to blow up my friend's spot, but uh, I, I was, and, and you're Oh, not gonna... wait, I actually, I know what show it is because a friend, I think I know what show it is because a friend of mine's right <laughs> Send that to me in a message, and I'll confirm or deny that's the show. But don't, <laughs> don't say it out loud. Uh, but yeah, I you're not going to get me to go to a show, probably. No one is. Uh, that's the thing. I just don't want to do this shit. I, I enjoy what I do here. Yes, that's it, Bix. Okay. I enjoy this. This is like the limit of what I enjoy with wrestling. It's not actually going to wrestling or going to being around wrestling. <laughs> this This is the limit of my enjoyment. I would like to go to a show and... And just sit at the top of the bleachers with like the average fan and watch the way they react. I don't want to go to a show and be around a bunch of fucking, I don't even know. What do you call them anymore? They don't read newsletters. They're, and I hate the term smart because it's so fucking overdone, but just that fan, you know, I don't want to be around a show with that fan. It just doesn't seem like fun to me. I mean, I'll, I'll say this at mania weekend at indie shows, at least I did not find there to be any, at least where anywhere I was sitting, there were no like annoying fans. At WWE stuff, yes, but at indie shows, no. Like the fans, like that, I was that were around me, like at WrestleCon Super Show and stuff, were all awesome. See, the way I look at it is like there's not a single wrestling event that would be worth me not reading a book or doing something. <laughs> ah, but you know, maybe we, I, you know what though, I would say yeah, like I got a lot of. Books. I think you would have. I, I think you would have enjoy, enjoyed Wrestle, WrestleCon Super Show live. I wouldn't have though. See, because first of all, I don't understand. I, I don't. I shouldn't say I don't understand. I don't enjoy the style that most modern fans do. I, I accept that. I love following the wrestling business. I love following it as a business, the same way I love following companies that I own stock in as a business. I, I enjoy the wrestling business, and I've been studying it since I started in the Observer when I was 13 years old. But the actual wrestling, for the most part, I have no interest in. It's not fun to me anymore. The silliness isn't cool to me, and it's not funny to me. The whole thing like, oh, we're just having fun. But if I don't find it funny... Then it just kind of just ruins enjoyment of any. Well, that's why I mentioned that show specifically. What was on that show? That was the show. Okay, so they had of the current New Japan guys. You like Ishii, right? Oh yeah, he's actually one of my favorite New Japan guys. Okay, so Ishii wrestled Jeff Cobb, which was incredible. I would like to see that. That would be actually be something I would want to see. Yes, they did immediately after that on tape in my living room on my TV. Okay, great. They did. It was the lucha match where it was. Ray Phoenix and Ray Horace against uh, Flamita and Bandito, which was incredible. Like, literally, as f- I don't say, think I would necessarily say either match was the best I've ever seen live. It was the best back-to-back matches I've ever seen live. And those were the two uh, opening matches, or are you just listening? To not the, the opener. Okay. They were kind of, like, in the middle of the show. That was the thing. It was like that. You also have to remember, that show had, like, two or three matches advertised. The rest of it, they might mention some of the wrestlers on the card, but it's all surprises, too. So that's also, you know, where Suzuki and Tanahashi were surprises. And that was that was one of the more enjoyable times I've ever had at a wrestling show. Okay. I mean, like I said, I really I have a giant pile of books here. And <laughs> I really want to read them. I got the book by Harold Ramis's daughter. I'm looking at one of my piles here. But dying to read this Ghostbusters daughter by Harold Ramis's daughter. I have the Jim Henson biography. I've been dying to read the Seymour Stein biography that just came out. I've been dying to read the new Tiger Woods biography. 
I have a lot of, uh, I'm a very big into nonfiction, and I'm not even going to get into any of the political books or uh, history books right now because that could stir up some trouble with some listeners. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. It's just, if there was a wrestling show that I thought had elements I would enjoy, I would be into it. But a show like that, I mean, I may enjoy some things, but I, I would just want to sit far away with either some friends I could talk to about it without attracting attention or just watch like casual people. But there, that's not a show where you get casual people. I mean, I don't want to be like an industry show. You know, like in the music business, I hated industry shows. I hated fucking showcases. I hated all that shit. I wanted to be at the real shit. And like, to me, that WrestleMania weekend, it's just fucking South by Southwest. It's just fucking everyone in an industry in a town. That sucks. I mean, with all apologies to Dan Farron out in Los Angeles, I hate industry (laughs) towns. I really do. It's not fun for me. I don't want to be in a town where everyone fucking wants to be at a wrestling show you know it's like brooklyn all my friends moved into brooklyn i never did i would work in brooklyn i would make money in brooklyn i would hang out in brooklyn i didn't move to brooklyn and i just had the philosophy it was like beyond the fact that i love everywhere i live whether it's in long beach or here in uh suburban north jersey but it's like i can either move into brooklyn pay an astronomical amount of rent and be another person with every fucking lou reed record or I could be the only guy on my block who has a good fucking record collection and be unique. And, you know, that's, that's it with wrestling. It's just these, these shows, these everyone in town going to this thing. It doesn't appeal to me at all. I want to, that was one of the things about Amarillo that was cool. It was like you were making an excursion and the people that were there, it wasn't that many. But the idea of like thousands and thousands or in a WrestleMania case, tens of thousands of wrestling fans in a very small city area get the fuck out of it there's not there isn't enough money in the world to get me to go to one of those things because it wouldn't okay be so fun. in other words you'd, you're saying you'd rather go to chattanooga for the scenic city invitational than you would to wrestlemania weekend uh hypothetically i don't know too much about it i know scott hensley who's a who's a good guy uh but i don't know too much about that other than what i've seen you post and what i've heard from him but hypothetically if it is what i think it is yeah i'd rather attend something like that than like I said, South by Southwest. I never went to South by Southwest. I never wanted to go. I was invited so many times. I never wanted to fucking go, and I never went. And I'm happy for that. And uh, it's the same. Right. Yeah. No, I said, Brian, do you think one of the reasons why is because you've seen so much wrestling, there's very little, anything new or anything they could, they could grab you? No, uh, no, these no. Days, they, can that would it be? they could grab me if they could hook me. You know, like, it, sound, it may sound yeah. weird to some people, but Goldberg versus Brock hooked me. And I thought those matches were amazing. And what was the first match? 90 seconds, maybe? But it was perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. It was every single thing they did was perfect. And it got the reaction from that crowd that they didn't expect. That hooked me. Yeah. That, that whole little program, that mini program, maybe not the promos and stuff for the most part. Some of it was okay. But eventually the WWE ruins anything they fucking touch. But that hooked me. So it's not like I've seen everything. And I've gone through periods where I thought about that, like, you know, in the 90s, I went through a period where I was like, can I enjoy this anymore? Have I seen too much? Am I getting too much? Am I seeing too much? Do I analyze too much? And it was hard for me for a little while. And then, you know, something cool happens and it triggers you to fall in love all over again and see it, you know, with all new eyes all over again. That could happen with wrestling. I don't know if it's going to happen with what's currently out there. I could really enjoy the Kenny Omega Okada matches. Those are great. Those are fantastic mm-hmm. matches. But there's also a lot of shit I don't like. I don't like all the comedy stuff. And I'm 38. It's not like I'm one of these old guys. Like, oh, it was better in my day. It's just I don't enjoy it because it's not funny usually. That's the thing. I like comedy. 
I don't know how many wrestling fans yeah. like comedy. I like wrestling <laughs> and I like comedy. So when I see really bad, lame comedy, and usually lame is the main word, I don't have any fucking time yeah. for it. I don't want to see that. I got the entire SCTV box set here. I got the Larry Sanders box set here. I need to see a bunch yeah. of fucking guys dance with each other. It doesn't appeal to well, me. Well, if I anyway. may say the if I may state the obvious, not to cut you off, but the whole difference in the equation is kayfabe and the lack thereof. Because well, everyone that's always in the been one of your big smart. arguments, right, Howard? Well, exactly. I'm I'm like totally with Cornette on this and the big diatribe that he has on the internet somewhere, like why wrestling is dead. I made the same speech before I ever saw him give that because everything wrong with wrestling is attributable to that one key difference, kayfabe. That's what gave each and every guy their own aura. That's what made your casual fan not know what was going on. But all these shows that you talk about that are addendums to the WrestleMania weekends and the all-in and all this, everybody is fucking smart. And believe it or not, the one person who was actually in favor of this, you'll never guess, Gordon Soley himself said to me, he's like, well, that's why it's so big right now. This is in 98, because everyone's in on it. Everyone wanted to know what was going on all this time, and now they know, and they feel like an insider. And, okay, that was cool as it began the transition into everyone's smart now, because all these things opened up, and shoot interviews came out and all this, and now everybody gets to be kind of an insider. But today what you have is all this athletic stuff going on, which is amazing to marvel at from an athletic standpoint. But where's the emotion? Because you know these guys are just going to like compliment each other on um, Twitter and stuff. And, you know, that's the whole dynamic that I attribute everything to. I can't sit through a freaking wrestling match, and I get invited to wrestling stuff down here all the time. And you can't drag me with a team of wild horses. I'd rather be Well, dead. most of your local I, injuries are I, terrible. Well, I'm supposed to go to an MLW show, so nobody kill me if I do show up there. But I, I always say my my stock line is um, I'll meet you at the bar after. That's the fun to me. I like MLW. But, um, I, you know, I'm not aware of the product, but a, a friend of mine wants me to come, and so I might. But um, you can see La Parca. No, There's no one more old school right now than La Parca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I see. That's the thing. I'm, I'm a fan of like legit. No, I'm a fan of I'm legit. Serious. You know, guys. But the whole. I mean, nobody is going to be. You need a crowd full of seventy-five percent dense marks for a wrestling show, and that's that's never going to exist again, unless, as Terry Funk says, wrestling is going to grow out of UFC and MMA. You don't need dense marks. You need people you need willing to lose them. No, well, you need people willing to lose themselves in the action. Maybe t- turn the lights down a little bit would help, but it's like New York. If a band would come into New York and play the Bowery Ballroom, it could be an exciting band. I mean, I've seen bands rock that house. One of the great shows I ever saw there was the Hives, like when they were first hit America, and that was an explosive show, and boy, was that great. But I've also seen bands who were really, really good, play, and the room just stood there and stared at them with their arms crossed. It wasn't because they weren't enjoying it. They were enjoying it, but they just couldn't let go of themselves into the music or whatever it was. And it's like that with wrestling now. You can't just sit there and lose yourself in it. You see too much evaluating, too much standing there, and it's true. Everyone is an insider now in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Whether they're as inside as they think Mm -hmm. or not is another story, but it's yeah, a, it's but a that's fe- what killed it because it's affected everything. You yeah. know, yeah, 
Unless you get, That's unless you do an infected. angle that is like super personal, or somebody is such a good actor, and then the business, of course, is its own worst enemy. Because if you're, I mean, if you're going to get on there and do anything, I mean, go on Twitter and all that, but be in character. Say I'm going to fuck you up. Say I hate your guts. Say you're ugly. I hate your mother. No, but then you'd have to apologize. Then you'd have to apologize. Yeah. I want to apologize to all the mothers out there and all the ugly people and whatever else I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's that's yeah. why that's why that's why I love Tomasa Ciampa because when <laughs> WWE wished him a happy birthday on Twitter, he blocked them. <laughs> and I thought that was the yeah. See, that's what I'm talking thing. about. Yeah, I I, I applaud that. that. I mean, my friends. My friends who are wrestling fans or, or fans of, of writing or anything that's creative, this is the guy that, that you watch. This is the guy that knows how to create a character and to, and to pull people in. There's no way you can't hear that and not smile, you know, mm-hmm. about, okay. And that's not, it's not a smart ass smile. It's like, yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. know what you're talking about here. That's the, uh, you know, Sputnik Monroe runs through your veins somehow. You know, uh, that, that's what it comes down to. I know when I watch matches, I, when I, I watch other matches now, people ask me what some of my favorite matches are. Their match, they aren't always great matches, but there's matches that something about them emotionally affects me. Whether Emotion, it was a time exactly. period or, yeah, it was something like that. And I, I always get kind of annoyed with like when they put up something on the network, like the, the most recent uh, world-class stuff they dumped from uh, 81, uh, which is Fritz von Erich and Kabuki and, and that stuff. Uh, and a lot of, I hear a lot of fans go, oh, that was, that's awful. Oh my God. It's awful. But I watch and it's kind of like, you know, I, I think it's kind of quaint. I think it's kind of, it, it, it's something that I remember as it was. And, and they always talk about, we all say that, you know, the wrestling we saw as kids is the wrestling that we remember is our favorite. And, uh, I mean, I can, you know, you, we can watch a whole bunch of stuff, but when I hear people like being critical, like when they put on those old, uh, I, I remember those WWE, uh, weekly shows, uh, the ones long before superstars back when it was, uh, a barely coherent Antonina Rocca and, uh, and Vince, you know, doing those shows. Uh, they're not yeah. great matches at all by any means, but God, I could sit there watch those things for hours mm-hmm. eminently more watchable because they were under the auspices of kayfabe and everything came under that old school this is how we conduct professional wrestling and now the work is affected so that you can't buy into it emotionally because everything requires um cooperation yeah. like all the spots all this fancy stuff is just a big choreographed dance but all you need is two guys that you can convince the crowd that they hate each other, Buzz Sawyer and El Gran Apollo, something that nobody will ever see except the 5,000 fans that were there that night in Miami in 1982. And it was one of the best matches I ever saw because Buzz Sawyer was completely believable as a maniac and they had great matches and they looked like they hated each other. And that's all it takes. That's professional wrestling. That's all it takes. You don't need a whole uh, Cirque du Soleil. It doesn't need to be professional wrestling doesn't lend itself to a high budget showbiz production. It's the opposite that lends itself to professional wrestling. And you brought up improvisation earlier, Dan, that's gone. Yeah. And that's the saddest Mm -hmm. thing. And I I don't know. I'm not even going to talk about the in-ring improvisation, the promos gone. One of the great American Mm -hmm. art forms, the professional wrestling promo gone. Mm -hmm. Don Morocco's (laughs) worst interview is better than anything that has been taped in the last 15, 20 years. 
because it's real. Captain Lou Albano, who I was never a fan of, it's real. That's Captain fucking Lou Albano. That's his opinion. That's who he is. He doesn't need a script. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You know, now, I'm but this really is the thing. Right like, everyone... Hey, hey, guys, while you guys finish talking about this, I'm going to add someone to the call. Jump back in. I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. No, I I feel really, I mean, because I'm the oldest guy uh, among y'all, and I I keep feeling like now I need to go out and stand and start yelling at the kids to get off my lawn. Uh, Because that feels like, I mean, I am, like, I agree with you on all that stuff. I am always open. I'm open to all kinds of of, of wrestling. I'll watch anything or a little bit of of anything uh, to do it. But, I mean, I just, I do find it doesn't touch me emotionally as much as it, it does mm-hmm. and i think you're absolutely right about that it, it, it's it, that's what's missing i i hear guys all the time saying well what can we do to get that back and i said i don't think you can get that back i think what you need to do is invent something new or or, or try to slend a different way to me the greatest the greatest audiences uh for wrestling shows are kids because kids will accept the show and what's going on in the ring um, you know, at, at whatever level it is, they'll accept it that way. And it's, you know, as, as later on, they're going to turn into to smart ass skateboarders, but right now you can get them as kids. They will cheer the good guy. They will boo the bad guy. They will uh, live on, on, on everything, um, you know, uh, up and down. I know that when Vandal, one of the reasons why Vandal loves, uh, uh the, uh, the Argentine wrestling so much is because most of that audience was kids. It was it was little kids in in a circus tent watching this thing, you know. And to be honest, like, I was, was a weird a lot kid. But I was a weird back kid in the day. I must say. Oh my god! Oh, there he is. I recognize that I, voice. I, I I think the, the kids were so accepting. They would the even cheer. They would even cheer for some fool like Vandal Drummond, Rock and Jerry Brown, Jimmy Cyclone, Lucky Pierre, the abortionist, the HIV <laughs> kid, the Aztec mummy, Paparazzi number one, Donkey Show Dominguez, aka El Pornográfico, <laughs> the Slap <laughs> City Smasher, RUR two thousand, Doctor Alchema, Caveman Wellington, El Autistico, Televangelist. <laughs> The but squealer, you still, you still, and even you, El Robo Fatva. <laughs> you still were not. No, wait my, just a my, second. I've, I've got character. to know what was El Autistico's finishing hold. As a, psycholo- he, as a psychology would, major, would, I must know. He would beat his chest with the back of his wrist, and uh, while Self, he was self-stimulation, he's about, he about to put the guy away. <laughs> Um, he would notice there was a piece of thread on uh, the apron of the ring, and so he would uh, go there and just start staring at the thread and petting it until oh his God. facilitator, who was Mary Tyler Moron, um, <laughs> gave, gave him a fish cracker if he would get back in the ring. OMG, that's Jesus tremendous. <laughs> Self-stimulation oh, into the distraction over the thread. OMG. Wow. Tremendous. What about HIV Kid? What was his finisher? His finisher was he would gig himself and the opponent would run away from him. Ah. <laughs> See, that's good, mm-hmm. too. He even R-U-R-2000. 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 What's his he finisher? He was uh, just based on the robots in the play R-U-R, the Russian play. And he never he, won uh, a match. That's the reason why. That's why he never <laughs> had his finisher because he never won a right. match. <laughs> What I loved best was remember Dan. Remember the time when uh, uh, R two thousand was going to wrestle, and who was it? One of the boys in the dressing room didn't have his trunks, 
So, mm-hmm. you know, I had this silver, uh, you know, silver tights, you know, from head to toe and black trunks. So this guy desperately needed, God, was it, who was it? Was it Makoto? I can't remember. But um, uh, anyway, so I gave him my black trunks. And so I had this pure silver suit and people started screaming crash test dummy when I entered the ring. And I just gone with that. <laughs> that could have been another identity. Do you, know, now you uh, see that is that's what's missing that's what's missing from wrestling today. There you go, Dan. What I were you agree. Say? See, I mean that's. Oh, uh, one thing I was saying was that uh, you know Kurt though the, the only thing was I was always disappointed that you never played my greatest incredibly strange creation. Do you remember who that, that who we? That was Doink Diggler, the porno clown. Oh, that's right. You never played him. You created Doink, played, Diggler? Uh, Doink Diggler. That was your. Doink I, I Diggler, played the, the HIV kid. <laughs> Yeah, I, I played the HIV kid who wrestled Doink Diggler, and I lost because he yeah. shot jizz in my face and pinned me. Jesus. <laughs> See, I bring that up that. because that way I, I bring that up so that way now that we spent the last hour like complaining about how, how bad wrestling is, I, I, I want to take credit for a really weird, strange, bad character. See, that's, that's what I was <laughs> yeah. And Johnny Legend got the ball rolling, and, and God bless yes. him for that. God Bless him. Speaking of that kind of stuff, like Titanics in El Ring, I've been going uh, gaga watching old cat weasel matches. Now, that guy was bomb. That guy was the bomb. (laughs) I feel like I saw a couple of cat weasel matches once, and they were very similar. Do you feel like they are all similar, or are you seeing a lot of differences? They're all, yeah, they're pretty similar. Uh, The one I haven't found is I, I know one of the routines he would do was he would spit out his false teeth when his, uh, the, the heel was going whack job on him. No, it was pretty standard stuff. He would have been perfect for Titanes and El Ring. And what fascinates me most about him is, that, is how he got over in places, you know, got over in England where, you know, the guys could be pretty badass. Uh, you know, Mick McManus would even give him a fall in a two out of three match, which, uh, you know, they didn't do with everybody. <laughs> uh, but the thing that... Cat Weasel piqued my curiosity way back in 79 when I got the uh, – I used to subscribe to the British wrestling magazine Ring Sport. And you would see all these, like, just, you know, really tough-looking dudes like Dynamite Kid, uh, you know, Johnny Saint, uh, you know, my, uh, Mike Marino. And then you see Cat Weasel, this guy who's like six foot four, you know, makes Gumby look obese – and, uh, you know, and what further captured my imagination was about, oh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I was trying to, you know, just do online research about British wrestling. And it sounded like all the boys, the wrestlers had a real soft spot for him. And the most recent thing I learned was their annual, like, wrestlers reunion that they have every year in Britain for, I think, like 20. 23, 24 years now, it was all started after Cat Weasel died. It was uh, in his honor that they uh, formed that reunion. And now a moment yeah, you don't hear enough, Cat Weasel. You, you, don't, you don't hear enough about Cat Weasel these days. I tell you, the kids, they just don't understand and appreciate the Cat Weasel. That's, the <laughs> That's right, damn kids. We're getting <laughs> exactly. old. When you start hey, saying Brian. damn kids. 
Brian, I'm going to powder out at this point. Uh, uh, not not because Kurt's here. I, I talk to we talk all the time, so that's not a big deal there. But <laughs> I had a I had a very long I had a very long day at work uh, working with a, with a with a couple idiot guards because I do security, but you know that's that's my thing. <laughs> and uh, I need <laughs> I need to go and rest. I, when you know when you're working with a guard who calls you and says I've locked myself in the booth and I can't get out. <laughs> you just know where the day is headed at that point, you know. So you had uh, one and, guard named Ignorance and the other guard named Want. That's it, huh? Well, it was, it was you know it was ninety five degrees today, so I said, okay, I'll be there soon. And I left him in there for about fifteen minutes before I, I went and got him out. <laughs> at that point, you know. And upon it's, his it's, passing, it's just, you tipped your hat to him. Yeah, it's just like I I, I refer. Well, he's twenty years old, and I called him the son that I never wanted. That's how I refer to him. <laughs> So, but guys, it's good to talk to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go enjoy my long weekend, uh, and uh, and we'll do it again. And once again, all you wrestling fans out there, get off my lawn, okay? I'll talk to you guys. Later. <laughs> Take it easy. Take care, Bye. Dan. Take it easy. Dan. You too. Be in touch. Well, here we are, and jeez, uh, how long we've been going now? It's been going a while. Yeah, we're well over three hours into this shit show, as it always is here. Uh, <laughs> Try to think, should I add anyone else? Uh, it was one other person I was supposed to add, but he did not get back to me when I said, hey, man, are you ready? After he said he was ready a few minutes before that. But uh, I may not. Can I add someone? No. God, you should have let uh, Vandal on a long time ago. That was the best laugh I've had since I don't know when. I was not prepared for that. Bix, message me who you'd want to add. What's that? Okay. I said, Bix, message me who you'd want to add. I'm very curious who you'd <laughs> want to add to this. <laughs> I just, oh, who, all, who all is here, by the way? Hold on. Uh, Kurt, you're on the line with Scott Cornish, the wrestling humorist, of course. Howard Baum, David Bixenspan, the late Dan Farron just left the call. And actually, <laughs> uh, David Bixenspan just made a recommendation to call something I haven't heard in a long time. So, Bix, uh, you can call, but just make sure you hang up before uh it's over but yes it may end on its own because it that happens sometimes this is something i haven't heard in so many years but this will take me back okay have you dialed I, I actually introduced some people uh to this on the well actually to the two of the four people in the car two of the others already knew it so i introduced this to uh someone on the drive between chattanooga and nashville to the uh sup show but here we go i didn't know you went to nashville Just take me back. Hey, there, wrestling fans. Yeah, it's Friday, August 31st. Here on the Wrestling Hot Seat, this is Dominic. Uh, today's wrestlers' birthdays, we got Kid Ice. Um, Sua, a.k.a. Judo Sua. Remember him? From oh, WCW I can't, Worldwide. I can't, I can't, I can't. Uh, we got Ty Dalton. We got um, Japanese star Animal Hamaguchi. <laughs> We got Tank Toland, who nope. used to be James Dick when they had the Dick set. Stupid Dick. Oh, my God. Uh, we got Jeff Hardy, the Enigma. Um, from Mexico, Aguilar Solitaria. Ember uh, Moon. All-time great Big Hans Herman. The always gorgeous Mickey James. Blade Bordeaux. No relation to Scarlet Bordeaux. Um... Isn't her name Bordeaux? And let's see. Okay. We also got Lady <laughs> Great Old Time Star, Brittany Brown. 
Love you, Patty, if you're listening. All time star. Celebrities from the 50s. Marsha Clark. What? The lawyer from the O.J. Simpson trial back in the day. What? Actor Mark Harmon. Richard Gibbs. Itzhak Perlman. Debbie Gibson. What? What's going on? Oh, wow. Howie Levin from People's Court. Baseball great Frank Robinson. Oh, that's what people know. Uh, Edwin Moses, Chris Tucker, Van Morrison, you and me, my brown eyed girl. Sha na 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 na, my brown eyed girl. Right? Oh, my God. All right. Today in wrestling history, August 31st, 1973. I hope you're not now, this is legendary. for this. Mr. Wrestling number two, Johnny Rubberband Walker, defeated Rubberband. Boy Bill Watts in Atlanta, Georgia, to win for the second time the NWA Georgia title and the guest referee, Fred, Freddie Blassie. Okay? Uh, the quote. <laughs> okay. Carmen okay. Florida got it. No, not yet. Not yet. From Manhattan got it. Wait, what? What? Uh, AB in Colorado got it. Brian from the Bronx got it. It was the rock to Chris Jericho. You think you're so big and something special because you were in Mexico and wrestled some guy named Juventud. Yep, exactly. The rock to Chris Jericho mentioning Juventud Guerrero. (laughs) All right, the quote today. I'm not shaking no more hands, and I'm not kissing no more greasy babies. <laughs> Try that one and see see how you do with it. All right, oh let's God. go to a new tournament. You're going to love oh, no. this one. The Samoans invade Texas. What? Or basically islanders of any kind. What? I like this. Opening match, what? Umaga. Against Mark Henry. What is From Silsby, Texas. His fantasy time. <laughs> I'm glad he pointed that out. Okay. <laughs> Impact Wrestling. A damn good show. And here we go. This was taped August 12th and August 13th. Ryan Cage defeated Phoenix with Pentagon Jr. in his corner to retain the X Division title. Five stars, easy on this one. Five stars? Pentagon Jr. did not even get involved. (laughs) After the match, OVE, Dave and Jake Chris came out with Sammy Callahan. They run down and attack Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. All right, Fix, I think it's time to tap out. just stood there and looked for a while. Oh, God. Wow. I have not heard that. Guys. What I've got to say, I don't know who that is, but the, the spirit of Bob Luce is alive and well. <laughs> Where were you what on the fifth, 1974? I thought, Dick the Bruiser, Comiskey. Comiskey, <laughs> maybe you have your ticket stub in your back. <laughs> or they don't make accents like that anymore. <laughs> Here's the outlaws, Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch. Oh, look at him go now, fans. You're not going to see this anymore. <laughs> oh, the blood is flying. There's Bobby Heenan and Billy Red Lions in the cage. Today's birthday is Dusty Rhodes, Dick Murdoch, Chicago. Debbie Gibson. <laughs> 
Yeah, what, what's the miscellaneous uh, celebrity? Yeah. That is the funniest. <laughs> there's nothing funnier than somebody with a horrendous northern accent doing anything. Well, so who is that guy? So here's, the story. here's the story. Here's the story. <laughs> and by the way, Bix, that's great. Bix, if I'm going to be doing that in my head forever. That's like. I'm going to get the number, too, to get, so we can give it to everyone. Well, yeah, and by the way, I need to look into these free hotlines. Maybe it's time I start one for the oh, show. Oh, that's great. I used to be involved in this. In the mid-'90s in New York <laughs> City, the free wrestling hotlines became a really big thing where people would get a, a uh, answering service, and instead of saying, like, hi, this is Joe, leave a message after the beep, they would fill up the entire five-minute message with a wrestling <laughs> report, and then people could either leave a message or you know just hang up. But there were all these free different free uh, hotlines and really the godfather of them all in new york city was this guy dominic valente and i know dominic i haven't spoken to him mm. in 20 something years very, i know that name yeah very nice guy he did like the arena reports in the nassau coliseum programs in mm -hmm. the late 70s he was i think a member of the bruno san martino fan club he was totally in that like georgia macropolis mike madunio scene mm -hmm. dominic was always a good guy i always liked dominic he used to have me on his show all the time uh, oh, his show, his 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 answering machine, so many times. And, uh, <laughs> his answering machine show, the newest trend in uh, wrestling I, media. I would love to see your your. Uh, I would love to see uh, your portfolio where you mention I was a guest on the answering machine. And then in high school, right. I actually made a good amount of money selling videos that I would only advertise on his hotline. He had listeners all over the place. He really did. Hmm. And he's, I can't believe he's still doing it because this is 96, 97. That's crazy. And that's such a throwback to like, yeah. um, wow. Wow. No, but that's see, like Lano with a New York accent. In. People used to send who, in. What is the market for that? Like nobody who has any <laughs> access to anything whatsoever except one phone call a month from somewhere? Like what? Well, you know, oh if, you know God, I think people, classic. if you've been calling them, you're used to them. It's kind of something you, I'm sure you would want to incorporate into your daily life but people, people used to send in you know you heard some of the birthdays you heard some of the whatever that tournament was the texans versus the islanders or whatever that was <laughs> oh my god he used to also do where people would he would read letters and dominic would go uh joey from brooklyn wants to know who would win a match between rick steiner and a piece of fruit i would probably say rick steiner uh joey from uh cincinnati wants to know who would win a match between elix skipper and uh Christopher Daniels, <laughs> I'll have to go with Elix Skipper. Like, he would just start like predicting matches that weren't happening. It was bizarre. But no, my favorite oh, was, was it was I don't remember who the two women were, but it was like who would win a match between uh Sonny and Terry Ronalds? Me, because I'd be the referee. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Good guy. Dominic's Only in wrestling. That's tremendous. I always totally. Dominic. Dominic Speaking of people named Dom Dominic back east. Now I know this is kind of before your guys' time. But when I used to take all the newsletters in the late 70s, everybody always brought up this indie wrestler named uh, the Italian Stallion Dominic Giovanni. And, you know, as of what, like 16 or so when I'm you know reading his name, I'm thinking, oh, I guess he's pretty popular there. But I, I didn't know whether it was legit praise for this guy or kind of a... a a little goofing back then because I remember people said uh, you know, when I started you know meeting people who actually hung at the bar after the garden they said Giovanni would always be going in there and he had this head that looked like like fresh Abdullah the butcher gig marks and he'd go up to people like Bruno San Martino and try to boast like all, about all the, the times he's gigged his head and how badass he is and I wonder if anybody knows the story behind that guy I never even heard of him no me neither. Oh yeah, 
Interesting. I'd, I'd, I'd love to know if anybody out there in my age range remembers that name. He was in the news. I see his name. I, I, oh yeah, he was. He was. He's on a lot of indie shows. You know, which Where? isn't you know saying all that much. There are plenty of them. You know, there. I mean, Pinky Larson was on a lot of. Uh, indie shows too. But where? Oh, all of Rand, New York, um, New Jersey. Okay, so he's a Northeast guy. I, I've never heard yeah. of him. Yeah, oh yeah. That's to... why I was wondering if you guys might have heard of him, is because I used to hear people just bringing up all the time, and I could never tell whether they're bringing him up as, hey, there's Dominic Giovanni, or get a load of Dominic Giovanni over here. If you want to know, Vandal, call the hotline. I'll tell you. Yes. <laughs> if you'd like to call the Wrestling Hot Seat with Dominic Valenti, you can call it at 212-629-1900. That's 212-629-1900. I have it down, yeah, yeah, I have, I have it down as 516-922-WINE. <laughs> <laughs> I still have uh, the stars the, of the, the golden... I still have the phone number 212-228-6533 in my head. Captain Way back in the 70s, that was Captain Lenny's hotline number. <laughs> and if you're wondering why I remember it so well, is there was some really bad person out there. I, I can't remember what his name was. I think he had a lot of aliases. But he would call Captain Lenny Collect all the time, and Captain Lenny would go into a rage and slam the phone down. Um, I don't know who that bad, awful person was, but sometimes he'd call Lenny 30 times a night collect and lenny would scream no i will not i refuse the charges and slam it down he'd never take his phone off the hook or anything like that either so it wasn't even a hotline it was just his phone number it was it was his phone number it was billed as uh, captain lenny's wrestling hotline and uh you'd call him up and he'd answer wrestling lenny and uh <laughs> I, I saw it listed in a magazine and so this is around that same time. I was about 16. I figure, hey, Wrestling Hotline, I'll call it up. And after talking to him for like five minutes, I said, okay, I got to call this guy regularly. But it had nothing to do with wrestling. I just had to hear this guy talk. This guy was a grip. <laughs> I mean, I told you that story about how he was uh, – <laughs> he was uh, – he grew up in the same neighborhood as Jack Armstrong, and that's how I introduced myself to Jack Armstrong when I <laughs> met him, saying, do you know a guy named Lenny Dauber? And he's, like, unlacing his boots, and he just freezes like a statue and looks up at me and grins as, oh, you sick fuck. How do you know Lenny Dauber, and why do you know Lenny Dauber? <laughs> I miss well, the days where fans gave themselves wrestling. nicknames that wrestlers use, like Captain Lenny, Captain Ivan, Professor L. Yes. No one does it anymore. I know. Remember, I remember that guy, Blackjack Brown. Blackjack Brown. <laughs> he literally would wear a blackjack glove everywhere he went. I don't know if anyone's ever noticed that, but if you look at Blackjack Brown, sometimes you can see him in the crowd on like a Raw or something from like the early 90s. Oh, no way. He's dressed like a blackjack. He has a black glove on sometimes. Trip go, out. Go check that out. Little, little known facts about Blackjack Brown. Yeah, there was a, there was a whole entourage of folks in the East back then. We didn't have much of that here on the West Coast. I mean, there was a whole crew. There's all the guys like Mike O'Hara, Bill Hill, Paul Abenanti. Um, there was a Lenny Burstyn, right? Yes, yes. I don't really know who and, these people uh, are, but I know the names. You know, it's like all part of our DNA. Exactly. Donnie Liable, of course. Yeah. Great orator, uh, Donnie Liable. 
<laughs> I modeled my early appearances on him. Brian will tell you. He'll tell you. <laughs> I said this guy has a style. I said this guy has a style that I'm gonna latch on to. <laughs> I just said, yeah, Brian and I both not taking the bait on oh, uh, Johnny Clark. Yeah, no, 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 no. This is all uh, Brian knows. <laughs> Don't say things like that. If I ever jump, Brian's going to blackmail the fuck out of me on my first appearance. It was unusable. Oh, my. It's, well, it's a. Oh, that's not even a six the worst. A six that's, of, that's, that's not even the worst. That's not even the worst. I channeled Pete Letterberg and a meth addict at the same time. <laughs> that's not even well, the I'm, worst. Well, I was rusty. I hadn't, I, hadn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't done anything. I had a lot of ring rust on me, but. Your first appearance yeah. was certainly different, but that's not Aye the vey. worst. In terms of blackmail material. What may be worse is what your original direction for Bob Cottle was before he was Dungeon Master Bob Cottle. See, but that's just controversial. That's not incompetent. My first one was just like, <laughs> that was just but, incompetent. Um, I, what was it? Was it I don't, true to yeah. life like Ku Klux Klan member Bob Cottle? It can I can I say what it was, it, Howard? You know, I don't even think I can remember it. I so can say what it was. Great. I have the tape of it too. Uh, I won't play it. Okay. Uh, unless Howard <laughs> says play it, I'm not going to play it. But. I'm, no, play it. I don't. Play it? I, have, I. I don't care. Hold as on. long as I don't suck, I don't care. I, you can't be too controversial for okay. me. Hold on. I actually haven't heard this in a while. I've had it on my desktop in case it was needed. Let me add it. Hold on. Here. <laughs> okay. You guys playing this? I, I did not. He did not know I had this. So no. <laughs> Surprise, uh, Howard. <laughs> so this is because my deal. Th- this Go is ahead. right here. A clip from uh, the Super Podcast. This had to be completely redone, and I think you'll hear why. <laughs> I put my foot down on this one. I said, that's a step too far, because also the guy is alive. This is the wrong thing to put on someone who's alive. This is... If I could... Yes, without saying it, yes. If I could say my deal with... My my unspoken deal with Brian is that I... There is no line with me, and that he can decide where the line is. So I just take it to the limit, and then Brian can decide in the edit, like, what he wants to do, because I don't give a fuck. This was one of those lines. Uh, Here it is right now. I don't hear anything. All right, hold on. It's because it's uh, only playing out of one side. Hold on one second. Let me uh, quickly turn this into an MP3. Unless it was, unless it was mute, Bob Cottle. No, no, no. Just uh, bear with me one second. I'm just transferring. Actually, I have a way I can do that. I can fix that quicker. But okay. This is the precursor <laughs> to uh, Dungeon Master Bob Cottle for all you. No, but I love, I love too that I... Brian's worried about like. <laughs> Impugning the reputation of the pro wrestling person who's probably done the work, has had the most negative impact on society of anybody in pro wrestling. <laughs> See, but you know something? I didn't even know any of that. And then, and I still don't remember what it is that I said or did, but um, Brian told me, like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, I wasn't even aware of any of that. I was just trying to be funny. To be clear, we're talking about him being an advisor for Jesse Helms. Okay. Yeah. He. Yeah. I know. He's like. You know. He's all conservative and stuff. But I don't even remember what I said. So this. I don't even mean conservative. I just mean racially. But, huh, I wonder what I said. Now I'm very. I'm waiting. Yeah. I, I'm very <laughs> curious what you could have said about Bob. So Paul I, rem- I, rem- enough, I remember. I remember. I remember. An S and M enthusiast. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean. I'm yeah. I, had to work I, in- I think I have it straight okay. now. Let me. Uh, it, it's loading up. And. Uh, yeah, Jesse Helms. I mean. That is a big deal. Oh, boy. There, there's a blast from the past. All right. Hold on. Let me move this. 
if anything will work. There we go. Uh, all right. And sorry, guys, bear with me. I'm trying to make it a little louder because I'm afraid you guys aren't going to be able to hear it. <laughs> this is a little bit of the behind the scenes of the super podcast here. A clusterfuck each and every week. Okay. <laughs> here we go. You ready? Yes. Holocaust denier Bob Cottle. Wait, what? That's right. Holocaust <laughs> denier Bob Cottle. That's not even funny. That's not even funny. <laughs> I know, after all that build-up, geez. I just wanted to know how you came up with that. We are bringing two <laughs> airwaves of the 605. High school shooter Lance Russell. Okay. That's right. Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Those were the two that did not make it on the air. Holocaust denier Bob Cottle and high school shooter Lance Russell. Those were the two. I wonder the story nowhere. of how those came into your head. That <laughs> that is well, well, especially well, because you know about the Jesse Helms. <laughs> well, they're like America's grandfather, so I figure, what's the most horrendous thing that they could do? You know, well, high school shooter Lance Russell. I thought hard. Jesse I, Helms. Jesse Helms. He got wait. Jesse Helms. Bob. Jesse Helms looked so old and decrepit. He looked like a ten-day-old cum shot. I mean. That guy was one of the most sensitive. I, I, I can't quite get him and Bob Cottle together. Now that I think about it, maybe high school shooter Lance Russell was the one that bothered me more. I forgot. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's so, the one. I mean, is Holocaust However, not I mean, Bob Cottle really an exag- that much of an exaggeration? Don't, don't, don't tag him with that. Hey. You have no idea if he has any thoughts like that. That's unfair, Bix. That's unfair. Come on! You don't know if he's a Holocaust denier, even if I mean that. That's... Advise Jesse Helms. Jesse Helms did he, Jesse Helms ever comment on the Holocaust? Oh yeah, I'm sure that Jesse Helms loves the Jews. But did he deny the Holocaust? <laughs> but did he deny the Holocaust? It's not about loving the Jews; it's about the Holocaust. Jesse Helms, Holocaust. <laughs> well, I mean. You don't, there are no you Jews don't in North get, Carolina. Oh, here we go. Reporting, I okay, guess, okay. on the Dominic Valenti hotline. That's all. I don't want to be too contentious, but here's a headline: <laughs> Abortion compared to 9/11 terror, 9/11 terrorism, Holocaust in New Helms memoir. So I guess he does believe in the hmm. Holocaust. Well, hold on. When did Jesse Helms die? <laughs> well, this is from 05. Yeah, when he died in 08. I thought he was dead long. I mean, he looked like he was dead when he was yeah. when he was still prolific. That fucker. I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, the genesis was just like to take a kindly old uncle type and make him do the most horrible things ever. And I wasn't, re- wasn't really a political commentary. My favorite, I thought the topper of that episode was going to be Lance Russell High School Shooter. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's a that, was, that, was the re- that was really the controversial. I'm trying, but I, I, got, I got to admit, I, I, I have this hysterical picture of uh, Lance Russell like in, in a tower shooting, you know, just randomly shooting at the public and just, oh, oh gosh God. darn, I missed that one. Oh, hot dog, <laughs> well, I think I, I got him. I pictured it more like a um, Columbine thing in the black trench coat and everything, being all armed with a big bag of guns and everything, you know, like. Why are you guys doing terrible. this to Lance Russell? I don't understand. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, because We're all going to hell anyway, so I, get, I figure we go for broke. I can say this. One of the reasons also why that one was specifically a problem, I think, was timing-wise. That may or may not yeah, I know. go back and look have happened right around the yeah. time of another yeah. 
It was. School. And by the way, if it's in America, more than likely it did happen around another high school shooting because they happen so frequently. But I believe this one specifically. Yeah, that's the truth. Happened around <laughs> one, but uh, yeah. So that's no, it the was around a high. Year. It was around a high school shooting. That's why I came up with it. But uh, my only uh, reservation was because it was about dear old Lance, oh, as geez. you know, as everyone knows, <laughs> I love him. So you know that was the comedy. Like you know, Lance would never do anything that horrible. And then Bob Cottle is the other America's grandfather, you know, Mr. Lovable Uncle. Hence the invention. <laughs> but but all that forced the invention of uh, of S&M Dungeon Master Bob Cottle. So Which was better it's a win-win for the wrestling yeah, fan. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's right. Much better than Holocaust. Where are you going to go with Holocaust denier Bob Cottle? Plenty for all the sick minds out there, but I don't Where are you going to go other than Brazil with, with Holocaust denier okay. Bob Cottle? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a good one. <laughs> Just talking to Klaus Barbie over here, <laughs> fans, as you know. He likes that Rhodesian barbecue. <laughs> well, well, we've reached a new low here in the history of the Super Podcast. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, <laughs> You're on Labor Day. By the way, it is Labor Day Star Wars. I want to mention, uh, actually nothing. I'm looking to see if there's any good Labor Day Star Wars show. 83, world class. The main event was the Freebirds beat Kerry, Kevin, and David. Iceman Parsons beat Buddy Roberts. I think that was the famous hair match, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Johnny Mantell beat the Mongol. That must have been great. Bruiser Brody beat Kamala via DQ in a lumberjack match. Kevin Von Erich over Jimmy Garvin via DQ. David Von Erich over Terry Gordy in three falls. That I'd like to watch again. Kerry beat Michael Hayes in a country whipping match, and Chris Adams beat Mr. Ebony. So that's uh, Labor Day Star Wars 1983, September 5th, 1983 in Fort Worth, Texas. 11,573 in attendance, and I'm getting this information, actually, just in case anyone knows, uh, wants to know. Pulling it up quickly from ProWrestlingHistory.com, which I believe is run by Jason Campbell, who's a good mm-hmm. guy. Fan Week alumni did a mean Tommy Rich impression. We did a Dungeon of Doom in a van, which had... Uh, different people being different characters. I think uh, the wizard was played by D'Lo Brown, and I think I. There's played... video of this, by the way. Right. So it's the Dungeon of Doom, but also a Masahori playing Giant Baba, and Jason Campbell as Tommy Rich. That's our Dungeon of Doom right there. So, uh, and, and there is video. I think it's Masa's video, if I had to guess. But uh, yes. It is. Yes. So that's uh, world class Labor Day Star Wars. And uh, Labor Day Star Wars 84, Freebirds and Nirvana Ricks again. But Does he still do that uh, Tommy Rich impression? I don't know. I haven't heard it in oh. a long time. Do you remember his impression? No, I don't remember it at all. I just have an idea for him. It all came out of Buddy Landell doing an impression of Ricky Morton at <laughs> the barbecue. Once he did that, it like set off impression mania. You mean the Ricky Morton <laughs> smoking crack? Yeah, that... the Ricky Morton smoking crack <laughs> in the hotel room while the Shiite Muslims are climbing up the building with suction cups to get him. Suction cups, yeah. <laughs> That just started like a week long of just chaos and, and funny impressions, and it just turned into hilarity everywhere we went. See, that was good. That I like going to because it wasn't just everyone in the wrestling industry and Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It was whatever, 40 fans in different cars. You can get away from people if you need to. That's the way to do it. I'm not. Question. Yeah. How many fans chose to hang out with the baby faces? I know it was, there was always like a few, right? Well, I mean, what do you mean by hang out? Wasn't there an event instead of the heel barbecue for the fans who wanted well, to hang out with the baby faces? Yeah, in 94, Scott will talk in a second about whatever they did in 93. In 94, we were supposed to go to Hooters to hang out with 
the baby faces. I, I seem to remember Bob Armstrong there. I don't remember what other, maybe the rock and roll. I don't remember any other baby faces there, but the thing I remember most about that is new Jack showed up. The both gangsters showed up <laughs> and new Jack was driving like a Ferrari or a poor. I don't even remember what he was driving. He was driving a fancy car and someone keyed it while he was inside. Oh Jesus. And uh, <laughs> I believe the rumor was they may have done it because he had a giant Malcolm X license plate. So maybe that was a little bit of their heel heat, uh, you know, because of the racism that uh, they may have been experiencing in some places, but new Jack and Mustafa showed up there for that. And then in 95, I actually don't think we had a baby face event. Uh, I could be mistaken. I don't remember one. Scott. I know. I know who keyed his car though. Who? Holocaust denier. Bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Uh, This is the king. And I like how Scott says it too. Like he's not re- the way he he kind of the cadence of the way he said it was not referring to the character Howard came up with. He was just it sounded like he was just kind of plainly saying Bob Caudle, who is a Holocaust. <laughs> Scott, I'm not saying that at all. What did you guys do in '93? And uh, did we do anything in '95 with the baby faces? I don't remember anything. I don't know if there was anything specific in '95. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was that thing, meet up at Hooters, which was crazy because, <laughs> you know, they always want all those guys to participate, and some of them did or didn't. Uh, they probably got a little bit of pay to show up to some of these things. But who so seemed funny, the most enthusiastic about it? Who the most into it of the wrestlers? Tracy was just nice. Tracy I don't was amazing. Yeah, necessarily say enthusiastic, but he was he was friendly to everybody. But one guy that showed up at that thing. No Rock and Roll Express, but Ricky Gibson was there. That's right. That's right. Ricky Gibson showed up. I forgot about that. And I, and I don't exactly know why so many years after his retirement, uh, his wrestling career came to an end, Ricky Gibson still uh, bleached his hair blonde. Oh, trip out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember this because he, he got an award during Night Legends, right? Yes. Yeah. And there was some. Well, he was I at ringside. Even... He was at ringside for the Rock and Roll versus Candido and Brian Lee with Tanner yeah. at ringside. And there was a little angle going on at the time that they were going to announce a new uh, commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And I think <laughs> the so called experts among us were all going, well, there's Ricky Gibson, and he just got his hair bleached. <laughs> it's got to be him. <laughs> I thought it was. Oh, I, I remember in 79 when he, he, and, he and Robert Gibson came in to LA. And it was oh, yeah. like, man, it was like refreshing watching them like wrestling the twin devils. I mean, you saw people just like working their butts off. And then after like, I think one month they split <laughs> no explanation. Probably those beautiful LaBelle payoffs had something to do with it. That says a lot when they then just went back to working in Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get a ghoulish payoff. We might as well be close to home. Well, the, the scarier stories are about those like those Mexican job guys that they would use in Tennessee, and they would pay them so little that they couldn't leave. Oh, I've I've heard of that other places too. <laughs> yeah. oh. All right, yeah. guys. Take a sport. some night nightmare stories about visas being taken away. Oh, going God. way back to I think it was was it Ted Thigh promoting in Australia. Apparently he had tried to get a hold of wrestlers' visas and leave them with no money so they couldn't get back. That's the South African thing. They've gotten a few people with that. I think they tried to get Bobby Blaze with that, actually. Yes. 
I'm not giving my Holocaust visa. Holocaust denier Bobby Blaze. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Bobby's a good guy. <laughs> uh, All right, guys. Well, we are over three and a half hours into this wonderful program here today. I, I, I said it. Oh, man, I'm just starting to wake up, man. <laughs> I said at the very beginning to Howard, I said, this is probably the most tired I have been in a very long time. I'm so drained this week, and uh, but we're still really? doing this. Worse than when we cut the top ten a few weeks ago. <laughs> the top ten. Will I'd be love to hear that top ten very soon. The top ten will be back very. very I mean, soon. I got to be honest. That the show you did with uh, me, Howard, and Jace, the one that you said was a train wreck. I thought that was art, baby. That was art. You were David Seville, and we were the Chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> It stuck to the tape. It was better in playback. It's always different in playback than than when you do it. That's the oddity it's of so it. True. I think it's. I think. A, well, I think a lot of it is Brian is a master editor. He's the Jimmy Page of the studio. You know. You didn't edit that no though. Way. I didn't edit that much. <laughs> that that was one. Lord of the ones knows we. <laughs> I gave up on that one. I said this. Well, no here's way the thing. Out. Okay. If you're having like three or more people on a Skype call, you kind of just have to accept that something like that might happen. <laughs> As we've seen tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think that the podcast is going to bring many people together in the future. Hello, Lucia. Are you a lesbian? <laughs> Do you like to go to bed with women? Call Lucia right now. Answer calls. When I try to kiss her, she says she got a cold. Well, I won't make it. Grandma Lama. She got female trouble. Grandma Lama. Fa, fa, fa. I said. All right. The the sounds of Kurt Brown here on the Super Podcast. Coming soon on Acadian Vanguard Records. About the only name I haven't wrestled under. (laughs) (laughs) Scott, play that clip again. Hey, girl. Don't call. Or your weed might fall off. Because, Because of you, that fucking line has been stuck in my head all fucking week. (laughs) <laughs> Good. Yeah. Hey, girl. I, all week I've been thinking about that line and just laughing. And uh, it made my day when we put up the post about, like, what was your favorite thing on the show? One person just put, hello, Lucille. And the other person put, hey, girl. Don't call. <laughs> sweet, sweet. See, that's Brian, what I love. Are you, you coming to, are you coming to Cauliflower next year? Oh, probably not. Oh, come on. <laughs> See, Brian, listen, listen. You got to understand this. I'm not a social guy. And there's no more wrestlers left, but there's it's fun. I mean, if I'm saying it, it's fun because I don't like anything. And it is a good time to be had, I'm telling you. And it's a quick, cheap trip. Exactly. And I never even attend the seminars. (laughs) I I, I even barely pay attention to... uh... Make your own fun. That's the deal, man. Make your own fun. So many people. Yeah, and I wasn't even going to go, and now I have so many friends, I have to go. I make my own fun Exactly, same here. I don't know. I don't know. It's not looking likely, I'll say that. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, on paper it looks like shit, but if I like it, believe me, it's fun. They need to I like enough that they can get into the year. If I send you though. a list okay. of marijuana strains that I promise to bring next year, will you go? Right. You know, if you bring... It's so plentiful there, it's, it's ridiculous. If you bring bubble yeah. gum and green crack, will be cool. But Bix, what were you saying? I feel like they need to start holding it a different time of the year, though, because it seems like holding it so close to WrestleMania is keeping a lot of the people they want there from going. That's an interesting point, and you may be right about that. What do you guys think? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, 
my biggest thought is also they always have it during the week. Um, and it's yeah, because of the hotel rates. Because of the hotel rates. Because it would be more expensive on the weekend. And so There's you know, all these be a little bit of George Goulis and pro wrestling, no matter what the event is. But Brian, I swear to you, and guys, I would love nothing more than Brian and uh, Scott. And Bix to come out there. I'm no shill for that thing, but I'm telling you, yeah. we had a good time. And oh, if I can so have a good time, fun. the normal human will really have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we should have a goal of, of getting three 605 tables at the banquet. I would like to see at least two. Because, you know, I mean, we filled up one table, but I think we could have done two because then everyone came out after the fact. Yeah, I heard from like, people after here, the fact but, that wanted to sit at that table and didn't know about it. And they're like, I'm a 605er. I don't come out, I didn't know. And I, and I just said, truthfully, I said, uh, blame Howard <laughs> Baum. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what more we could have done. I mean, but seriously it was a good time and uh it's a fun yeah. town all kinds of fun stuff to do and we did plenty full and um scott we sit around we get i went once uh you know in the early 2000s or something uh and had a great time i don't need any convincing it's just uh logistics and time of year and and, and so forth uh, you know i'm not against the idea of going um it'll be interesting to see if uh as a certain crop of wrestlers gets older, if they actually do start to embrace, you know, certainly the legends that we think of, if, if you're, we're an older fan, are, uh, are all fading or gone or going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just wonder, you know, how, how it, vital well, it you know, continue to be. It freaks me out looking looking at photos I took of the Cauliflower Alley when it was at Studio City, California, every single that. year. Because I look at them and I'm saying, "Oh my God, everybody in this picture is dead." It's and it's mm-hmm. it doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah, this was the first year that the Destroyer was a no show, and he was amazing. Yes, yeah. Terry Funk was. Thank God, there. I got He's some good shots regular. with him and stuff. Yeah, thank thank God, I got some good st- shots with him. And the, you know the thing. Another thing I will say, guys, is that the thing with the CAC is you can never predict what's going to happen in advance because it's always some hidden guy that you would never think twice about that ends up being a total hoot. And just hanging out with the people, I got so many friends there now, you can't go wrong. So It's true. It's true. It's just like one big party. It's one big party and yeah. nobody needs to organize it. It's just fun. It's just Sure and like fun. they got the weed dispensary, <laughs> they got the weed dispensary right across yes. the street. So I mean, that should be the tagline to the entire convention, as far as I'm concerned. That's like, if you can't have fun yeah, and, doing that, oh yeah, totally. No, but totally. it is good. It is good. I, uh, you know, there's going to be less and less golden age workers, of course. You know, when is it? The Brittany Browns are not with us anymore. But yeah, all time great <laughs> Brittany Brown, uh, <laughs> which is hysterical. When is Kelly Flower? <laughs> um, April, May, like the beginning of May. You know what? There's a yeah, Met, April or May. There's a it Met is, game you know? tonight, guys. <laughs> it's a, oh my god! Yeah, he just doesn't want to. He just doesn't want to hang with us. I think that's I, what it I, is. I would, I would love to hang with you guys. I have no desire to go to Vegas, and quite frankly, I have no desire to be a part of a wrestling event. I really don't. It's not like that, Brian. I am with it's you. Not like I that. Swear to you. I don't go there because it's a wrestling event. I go there because. People, uh, kindred spirits are going to be there. Yeah. Lots of kindred spirits. Bunch of freaks. 
me, Vandal, Carmine, Dale. Are you, um, are you on it. the lamb or something? No, but we got to. Do, do you have a warrant? Carmine Spirito? Arrested in, in Nevada? Uh, no, I, I have never uh, been arrested, no. No, but it's cool. I actually it look just, forward it to just it. Doesn't now, seem, after this... like, other than you guys, I mean, that's honestly, other than that, well, there's nothing about it that appeals to me. I got the. Uh... I got the advance word that next year they're going to honor Dominic, the hotline guy. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll, go. maybe I'll go. I'll go. He's, gonna, he's getting he's getting the Bob Luce Award for journalism in wrestling. <laughs> I would go for that. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm with you, Brian. I'm antisocial. I got to tell you too. If I went, I wouldn't attend any of the things. I would hang out with you guys. I wouldn't pay to go to a banquet. But that's what we do. We and I don't. We do five minutes into the banquet. I nudge Vandal. I go, come on. We went to my room and smoked for the whole uh, banquet. <laughs> so was, yeah, I'm telling yeah, you, it actually makes it hysterical. It's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful experience. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I will, yeah. I will consider. Although Vegas does not appeal to me at all. I'd rather me neither. I'd I'm rather we do you. something in L.A. or out here in the East Coast. But uh, I will consider it. Only to hang out with you guys, but I won't consider going to any of the actual functions or anything because it doesn't appeal to me. But like, come there, no, and get, a, get between, a suite, and hang out with you guys. That I may possibly yeah, do. That I may. That would be between, fun. That's be, what it's all about. Listen, there there have been Vandal, times I considered going and not finding and not paying for the banquet or anything, just checking into a hotel and just. And there are some people who do that even. <laughs> between Vandal, Carmine, uh, Dale Spears, we just had a great old time. Jace, of it was course. So much fun. Jason, Rudy, all the uh, the big shots are there. I don't but know. We really had a good time. I don't know if I could do it without Budokan there. It wouldn't feel right. <laughs> well, let me th- see. The thing is, every year it's a different vibe. If you go every year, there's no continuum of the SA, of the CAC except for maybe Kurt Lauer, Carl Lauer, um, and a few stalwarts. That guy who looks like George Steele got shrunk in a dryer, who has that little um, <laughs> chill day in the back of his head. That for he, was a, he was a roller derby or a boxing referee, wasn't he? Oh, Don Lostra. <laughs> Is that for true? <laughs> yeah. Um, that for but no, listen, man. Brian, I swear to you, I don't like Vegas. I don't like Markish stuff. Uh, I'm not a huge wrestling fan at this point, and I'm not a big camaraderie guy. But it was freaking fun. We had a good time. Yes, yes, I, I'm. <laughs> I totally echo what uh, Howard just said. I mean, yeah, Vegas is not my scene. You know, Elena, Elena loves no. going there, but I tell her, you know, go with go with some of your friends from work and stuff like that because it just it doesn't do, do anything for me. But it's the one place I know each year there's going to be all these people that we just gel with just beautifully. Yeah, now and now weed is on the table. Come on, it's great. Why don't you guys just come exactly. in? I, I got a giant house. Me, I got a basketball court. We can have fun. The woods, animals. <laughs> well, throw one up there, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to listen. I'm one of those guys, too. I'm happy to stay home. I can entertain myself. Weed we is plenty. I'll fly to, Hey, if you got something to get there at your house in New Jersey, I would fly there. Yes, yes. Woods? Could we all go walking through the woods with Gumby and Pokey? You could. I'm not. And have our picnic? I, I keep my distance from the woods. <laughs> but anyway. On paper, it doesn't sound like anything, but really, year after year, you always go and you think, why am I even going? And then you actually have a good time. And there's people so, you know will be there, and there are always surprises. It's like, what the hell are you doing here? I had no idea you were going to be here this year. It's, it's, yeah, that's the beauty. That's package. the beauty, truly. Truly. And I'm like, you know, not a happy-go-lucky guy. I'm entertained by nothing, and I love it. 
I don't know. Like I said, <laughs> I, I like that. I'm entertained by nothing. I like the idea yeah. of hanging out with you guys, and that's really the beginning and the end of it. I, I have no desire at all to attend the function. Or and we and we would and, we would have our own fun, and you know, truly, I would love nothing more to hang out with you, Scott. You know, we'd have a ball. Because you need it's smart so people. Fun. You need like well, you know. Well, thank you. Very much. You need the people who get. <laughs> you, people like no, you need the people who are like on the same. You need the people who are on the same page. You know. And so let 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 let's put the word out there to those dedicated listeners who have endured three and a half hours of uh, the Super Podcast Labor Day episode and say, "Come to Vegas, cauliflower. <laughs> You'll be with friends you never knew you had." Or you can come to New York for WrestleMania weekend, and uh, I will not be there either. Neither will I. That I can guarantee. That's what we have to do, though. We have to go out to Las Vegas and just piggyback on Cauliflower Alley and <laughs> throw our own, throw our own get <laughs> yeah. convention. Throw a, throw a rogue convention in one of the hotel rooms. Hmm. Like yeah, announce me and Vandal did, and just say what room you're going to be in. <laughs> I heard yours was sponsored much, by Leafly. That's, hey man, that's pretty much what we did this year, anyway. So. <laughs> screw or screw. Uh, we could get a smoking room and just see how full of smoke we could get that room, you know, and just. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe if they honor Dennis Caraluzzo one of these years, I, I'll do it. But uh, but I don't know. I want to hang out with you guys. I'd like to find a way to hang out with you guys and not have to deal with the uh, rank and file lowest common denominator <laughs> wrestling fan that isn't a 605 uh, caliber of human being. Uh, <laughs> that's 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 my thing. I, uh, you know, I turn down a lot of shit. People fucking, I don't even understand why they offer me stupid money to do wrestling shit. And I just have no desire at all. This is the beginning and the end of my enjoyment with wrestling. Talking about it here with you guys. <laughs> After that. Yep. Fuck I, that. <laughs> fuck it all. I don't give a shit. Those guys. After that, I got the Mets. <laughs> I got shit to do. I got the kids. I got a, a lot of fun activities. This. What is, about the award winning WWE network? What award has it won? Many. I I think it probably awarded itself many. Yeah, I mean, that's Vince's thing. I, I just found the picture in a Japanese magazine when the British Bulldogs presented Vince with an award from the fans of the WWF commemorating the gold status of the WrestleMania VHS tape. He I love that clip. He presented himself with a plaque, is what it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> right, Bix? Is, yes. is it true that he th- throws surprise birthday parties for himself? I think I've heard that before. Wait, what? Yeah, somebody told me that that he'll he'll throw a surprise party and act like he's really surprised that oh my yeah. god, you threw a party for me. Vince McMahon. <laughs> That's what I heard. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a great story well, either bitch, way. You heard that too. <laughs> it sounds familiar, yeah. Okay, now I got to know this. Does Vince McMahon throw himself surprise parties? That's the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Oh, I got to find out. I need to crack down on that. The weird part is when he gets there early to hide behind the couch. <laughs> At his own party? Yeah. Then he jumps out and turns the girl and yells, surprise. And then he turns around. Oh, my God. I got a cauliflower question. Uh, every time I go on Facebook, I see Bill Anderson is always saying that superstar Graham is suing Cauliflower Alley. Does anybody know what? why? Yeah, he says he's suing them for defamation, but he won't go into any details. And he does the you know the usual wrestler thing of, uh, 
you know, there are some fine people in Cauliflower Alley, like Brian Blair, but other people who I will not name, they never name who they're going to, um, who, the, who they're aiming the lawsuit at. But where is Cauliflower Alley technically headquartered out of? Good question. I mean, maybe federal. Let's see. That's, I've never heard that before. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Yes. Hey. So we're gonna start taping the show tonight. We're ready. <laughs> the ceremony so is about to right begin. Now. I've never heard Tremendous. that. Go, going back to whatever we were talking about before, whatever it is that just happened. Uh, I don't know, Howard. Do you know what state is Cauliflower Alley technically registered in? Jeez, man. Leave the technical stuff to Bix. I don't know, man. I just show up and look for the local uh, fun. No, I don't. I don't know exactly. Vegas, I guess. Right. But I don't know. They have uh, a lot well, of people, that's where they hold it, but I don't think where the... Yeah, I don't really know. I don't bother myself with technicalities. I ain't here but, but yeah, for a long if, time. If I'm, I'm not going to invest too much... Exactly. I'm going for a good time, so I'm not going to invest too much time in trying to figure out what makes CAC tick. I might be curious, but I'm not going to go beyond asking questions. Were, right. you there, were you there when Chavo tried to get at Vern? Uh-huh. I was, I was the front row yes. for that. And, and he went after Bob Orton Sr., too, right? I, I, saw, I didn't see the Vern one, but I saw Bob Orton Sr., and I remember Chavo's glasses were up on his forehead. Mm-hmm. Like, he was so plastered. And that same uh, year, oh God, that, was, that was right after Eddie Guerrero won the title, and I went up to him, and I go, hey, how about Eddie? And he's like, how about Eddie? How about me? <laughs> and was, and I'm he, like, yeah, wow, that's serious. He started screaming at somebody you have never honored a Guerrero at Cauliflower Alley, when in fact they honored Gory Guerrero in the early 90s, and Chavo Sr. and Jr. were there to accept the award. Uh. <laughs> why did yeah, he, he was guys, a pistol Chavo. Hold on, I understand why he was mad at Vern, allegedly because of the payments that weren't made from the Super Class 3 pay-per-view. And by the way, listen to the next episode of Super Podcast. I believe it'll be on that. If not, it'll be part two the week after. Uh, but Danny Wolf talks about the fact that Vern actually may have been telling the truth, that he didn't get the about money. What? That he didn't get the oh, money. from Score. From Score, because Danny says they didn't get the money from Score. And Danny was the one who hooked really? the whole thing up. But you'll hear hmm. more about that. But I understand why Chavo tried to get the Vern. Why did Chavo try to get the Bob Orton Sr., the Zodiac? He was, yeah, he he was, was just clowning around with Orton, but Orton was looking – I think he looked scared. <laughs> I mean, Chavo was just going off his, off the deep end. Well, yeah, wait, Orton had, was ancient at that point. I mean, I just, Orton was, I was in a wheelchair. Say, I it would make no sense. I, I, <laughs> I remember, I, I remember shaking Bob Orton's hand. He stares at my shirt because it was for the old punk group Fear. Nice. And he just looks at me and goes, "Fear what?" Uh, goes, oh, it's the it's the name of a rock band. And he just looked at it like he was trying to figure it out. <laughs> but it is the name of a rock and a roll band. And shortly after that was when Chavo uh, was all over him like a cheap suit. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember Chavo was just clowning around, but it was, it was he was going way over the deep end like it was getting physical with a guy in a wheelchair. So Yeah, it but. seemed very odd at the time. I was like on the outskirts of that. I, I like came in right at the tail end of that, yeah. Uh, and I, uh, the other the other funny thing about that night is Chavo got kicked out of the casino and he went across the street to another casino and got kicked out of that one too. Huh. <laughs> Jeez. He was a pistol. What is your preferred Chavo outburst or incident that you've seen? That or Jake chasing him with a snake? Where was that? Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, that was funny. What was that? 
the first AAA show in L.A. Uh, in 1993. La Revancha. Uh, La Revancha, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Jake's in his dressing room, <clears throat> and Chavo uh, shows up, you know, all lit up, you know, early in the evening. <laughs> and uh, at one point I see him walking into Jake's dressing room, and about 10 minutes later, you hear this scream. It's like a woman screaming. And Chavo runs, like he sprints out of that dressing room. I mean, half scared, but also laughing at the same time. And then you see Jake running out with a, a cobra in his hand, and he's chasing Chavo around with it. <laughs> and that was the same night when I was, they had these humongous phone booths, you know, in the, in the backstage area that were probably, you know, it's 50 years old already. And I remember I, oh, I was calling Elena. And next thing I know, I see, I, I hear this banging on, you know, the window. And I look, and there's Chava with his face pressed up against the window with this big grin on his face. <laughs> and I open the door and going, yeah. He goes, ah, you got 50 cents, man. And I'm going, <laughs> what uh, the fuck? yeah, Sounds I like do. the way I, you I, just did it. I know. Oh yeah, I guess I, I guess I accidentally uh, impersonated Mondo Guerrero instead of Chavo just then. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, oh uh, yeah. So I, I just grabbed whatever change I had and I gave it to him. And I, I thought of all the times when Gene LaBelle would say on TV, you know, boys and girls, when you get older, you can tell your grandchildren you saw Chavo Guerrero wrestle. <laughs> And I'm saying I can also boast that I lent him 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he was also talking to Ron Scholar that night, just just uh, like talking about how he's going to sue the shit out of Pena and all this stuff and the things he was going to do to AAA and then wanted Scholar to work with him. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> you have to be delusional at that point. Scholar is totally tied in with Pena and AAA. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. And, and the school, I, I, I remember just looking, just observing him through the whole thing. And, uh, uh, scholar is very polite, has a slight smile on his face and is nodding his head occasionally, but he had this look in his face, like, what the fuck is going on here? And, uh, um, Oh God, what was it? Chavo asked him something like, uh, like, are you a good guy? And, and, and I just said something like, you know, I said something like, Oh, he's cool. You know, he shoots with you. He's, he's, he's not swerving. You. He, and Chop goes, uh, I don't know what the word shoot or swerve means that you're referring to. Uh, but oh, so he's trying to case a Bron Scholar. Uh, hence he was not booked again. Yeah, well, he wasn't even booked that night, but he wasn't in the dressing room after that, I don't think. <laughs> was that the night that Roy Lucier got chased out of the building before the first match? That was the next, that was the next show, the show that I was on, because I was on the second, second match. I remember I hear the whole crowd booing like crazy, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, the first match I don't think is happening yet. And I look over, and there's like Mondo Guerrero and Crazy Boy, who are in the first, is like a six-man tag. I'm like, yeah, it hasn't started. And, uh... Uh, Augie Loya comes in the dressing room and says, Kurt, Kurt, you'll never guess who they were booing just then. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I thought, wouldn't that be funny if it was Roy Lucier? But I didn't really think it was. And I said, uh, I don't know. And he said, it was Roy. 
Yeah, he got so much heat they uh, had to esc- escort him out of the place. God bless Roy. <laughs> what did he do? Well, he held up signs he- cheering for the Rudos, and uh, those fans there were not having it. And from right. what I've heard from Bob Barnett, who was sitting next to Roy when he first started, Bix, mute yourself if you're going to type, uh, is that Roy... I was muted. Oh, well, someone was typing. I apologize then, Vix. You look, it's Skype shows. Where are the sounds coming from? I'm not the paying attention to fucking blinking. Skype. I'm paying attention to something else. Maybe. Well, why are you blaming me? This story about Roy Lucia. <laughs> so Roy started getting hit with, like, diapers and piss Ugh. and everything. everything. And he's... Yeah, and he's, he was... What? Go, Kurt. Well, from what I understand, he wasn't just holding the sign up. He was marching around with it. Yes. Like, oh, my God. He was like a moving target. I mean, we uh, could come up with a carnival game. Can you pelt Roy? You know, uh, after they kicked when him was out, this? And this was ninety three. Ninety three. I think. Oh my god! Really? And then after they kicked him yeah. out, Roy told me. Actually, I think he said it on the air that the only good thing was he wished he was in the show, but across the street was a laundromat, so at least he was able to <laughs> get his clothes off and clean it because he was covered in filth from the oh fans. My god. He used to wear all white back then. Well, did he get extra clothes or did he strip in the laundromat? That would be an episode in itself. Yeah, we, we need to find out. Because that that's not exactly the uh, the friendliest side of town, the L.A. sports arena. You don't go for late-night walks there. What's well, well, that, What? What are you going to say, Howard? You go. uh, I was just going to say, the L.A. wrestling scene seems so much more exciting than anything I've ever been around. I always loved the danger of the business, but I've only been around a few near riots. And you guys, it's like a common occurrence. I think it's great. Oh, I, I, I saw two at Hadco Plaza alone. They were two of the best riots I ever had, and they don't kick the people out either. So I love the yeah, danger they're, they're, aspect. I love the danger aspect of wrestling, and I never got enough of that. It never got intense enough for me. Well, I think one of my favorites was in San Bernardino Arena. There was a fan uh, in San Bernardino Arena back in the day. The the seats were were like like set like they were nailed to the floor they were they weren't going anywhere as was the ring and it was a really old club so on one side in the front row you could reach uh reach out and you know put your uh, arm halfway across the apron hmm. and one night peter maivia's wrestling chino show and there's some fan i don't know what what was up with him? Everybody hated this guy because he'd, he'd come to Santa Bernardino Arena every week and they'd see him smacking his kids around. He's always way drunk and just – and, you know, he he just kept, you know, kind of you know, reaching out, screaming at Maivia. And you see Maivia whisper something to Cho, and Cho just takes Maivia and throws him out of the ring right into this fan. <laughs> Maivia gets back up. Show throws him out twice more, and the third time, Maivia is eye-to-eye with the guy and has this just sinister grin and says, did you come here to watch wrestling, or did you come here to go to the hospital? Uh, the guy booked out of the arena and healed Maivia for uh, about 10 minutes was the top baby face in that arena. Huh. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Now we really are going to wrap up because we are now over the four-hour uh, time limit uh, significantly, and I am starting to fade. My coffee has been gone for at least three hours. Uh, I began the show with a nice glass of coffee that I made from the Nespresso <laughs> machine downstairs. Uh, but as we begin to wrap things up, uh, final words, final comments. Kurt, I will go to you first because you were the last one to join the call. I think that sums it up.
I, I assume so. The 605 can stress anybody out. Okay, all right. Well, there you go. The 605 <laughs> can stress anyone out. Uh, Scott Cornish, final thoughts well, or words? No, just that I hope that we all actually do get to meet together uh, at some some place, sometime uh, in the very near future. Yes, just, just so King Shivas can at least take a picture with all of us because he deserves. I second it. that. <laughs> and by the way, how come I never see? You know, I discovered King Chivas before the six hundred five and the mothership and all that. I don't. I've never seen any love for him in his Bam Bam Bigelow video. I think that's like a work of art. What is what? Oh, it's a different guy. Is King, huh? I'll, I'll post it if it's not the. I mean, if there's two King Chivas's, all right then. But the is Bam this Bam like, Bigelow is this video. Like Brian, remember when we confused Bam Bam Little Al Vavasor, or I confused no, Little you Al did. Vavasor? I didn't with, do that. You confused him. <laughs> I know you're right. I did, but I like to blame other people for my my. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, either look it up or I'll post it. But the, the King Chivas, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, unless it's a different King Chivas. Oh, Got to check that out. But, yeah, Big Al Amerlin was the guy who was arrested for impersonating Gene Kaniski, and I mixed him up with a little Al Vavasur. The and then uh, Big Al Amerlin yeah. was actually jailed for it and started sending uh, uh, letters to all the uh, wrestlers for Al Tomko saying I'm being held in jail against my will, but your cards and letters can get me out. Al Tomko, by the way, there's another one. There's another Bob Luce of the Great Northwest. Yeah. Or should I say oh, Timko? I forgot. Great. He's Al Timko. Al, always Al Timko. He was great. Name. Scott, you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, just I hope that we can all get together. And uh, I think what Howard saw was not King Chivas. He saw the number one King Chivas tribute act on the East Coast. <laughs> it could be. What could is, be. I, I don't even. I'm still confused. Is it a music video? I mean, you said it's a. Video. Yeah, it's like I don't know if he just did the song and someone else made a video out of it, but it's this Bam Bam Bigelow tribute, King Chivas, and it's like shows him like, oh, he didn't beat Barry Windham, but he kicked his ass, Bam Bam Bigelow, and it's a <laughs> sample from uh, the Ocean, Led Zeppelin. So I liked it on a double level, and it's like okay, it's, well, there's a video of them doing it live. We can see if it's the same guy. Yeah, because it was a while. It was before I even like got on the show or anything, and I just loved it. And then you know, I mean, how many King Chavises are there? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but shout out to you, King. And, and yes, I hope we all do get together because oh, it's we him. Need, like, yes, it's him. It's definitely him. Well, there you go. Well, we should. I'm going to post that because it deserves publicity. It's a great video. Bam, bam, Bigelow. I gotta check this out now. I've never. I had yeah, no idea about good. It. I I thought, I thought that certainly before I arrived, it had been played out and had its time in the sun, and then it was over with. But um, you guys never even heard of it, so so uh, give it a bump, Brian. It's good. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna play it after the show. Check it out, and uh, we'll take it from there. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we, I think at a minimum uh, he deserves to get his picture taken with uh, all of you guys. So uh, so we should definitely try to figure something out. <laughs> No, it's great. I mean, based on the video, we deserve to have our picture taken with him. It's great. Yeah, no, he is, he's uh, done a lot to promote the show. I'm very appreciative of him. Good guy, too. I've uh, communicated mm-hmm. with him a little mm-hmm. bit. But as we wrap things yes. up, uh, Howard, did, did I go to you already? I don't even remember. No, but uh, Hardway Art, let's do the Facebook. Facebook, Hardway <laughs> Art, because we're, we're switching servers, and um, all the excitement is coming down the pike. We're working on designs for our various things that are coming out, like it's in the, the, the legit happening phase so we're switching servers 
and uh, Hardway Art. And you can also feel free to friend me on the Facebook and look for me on the Twitter. Howard M. Baum. The M is for Magnificent, of course. And I, I uh, appreciate all my friends from the 605, and I appreciate all you guys. And thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Bix, any final words from you? I'm just looking at these pictures of CM Punk hating life at the autograph signing today. I saw something that was actually a good time. Well, how could you not? How big was that line? I mean, that, that can't be a problem. It was ridiculous. Yeah. You see that video? Jeez. Yeah, I just that's not a pleasurable experience. Again, I have no desire to attend any Well, but any... although it clearly wouldn't have been a pleasurable experience for him given nope. the of the business ties of everyone there. Well, that uh, actually <laughs> Actually, how does that work? Doesn't Cabana if he owns a piece of Pro Wrestling Tees and Punk is doing an autograph signing at Pro Wrestling Tees, how does that happen? I don't Well, if this was I don't know when this was set up originally. Well, it was obviously set up before the lawsuit. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, huh. All right. Well, well, we'll there's see. evidently some money to be made there. Yeah, something happening. But uh, anyway, as we wrap <laughs> things up, thank you, as always, for listening to the Super Podcast, supporting the show. And uh, we hope you enjoy this holiday Star Wars. If you want to follow the show, you can go on Twitter to 605pod. I'm at Great Brian Last. Uh, we're on Facebook. If you want to support the show, Patreon, PayPal, T-shirts, at tinyurl.com slash superpodstore. And, of course, the Amazon link, tinyurl.com slash superpod, Amazon. But uh, other than that, that's it. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy your Labor Day. Tally-ho!